Hello, everyone. Between Sheets, episode number 414. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined, as always, by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, we were in the 80s last week. It's time to go to the 90s this week. Indeed. And then next week, we go back to the abyss. In a way. <laughs> it's 2000, but uh, we'll have more on that later. But, uh, yeah, it is a Patreon-requested show, so there is that. But, yeah, it is 2000, so it's not too far into the abyss, I guess. It could be a lot worse. Well, it has 2000 <laughs> WCW clips, so. Well, it's 2000. Well, yeah, but at least that's entertaining. <laughs> In a manner of speaking, but, yes. Yes. But anyway, yes, uh, back to the 90s this week. Yeah. And uh, we don't have a guest. Me and you are just going to ride this one shotgun here and uh, we're gonna go to a week that i'm kind of surprised we never did before and i think the main reason why we haven't done it yet is because it was the week of where most of the uh, steroid trial was taking place but taking all that out it ended up being a pretty interesting show as we go to the week of july 12th through the 18th of 1994 now WWF has been getting all the press and everything, and the newsletters are full of jury trial, uh, steroid trial stuff. So the coverage of the middle of July is interesting because it's behind. It's the catch-up issues, yeah. So it's it, this could be more in-depth than what it was, but still we ended up having a, a decent-sized show. Especially what happened in WCW during our week, and that's where we begin World Championship Wrestling. And we start with the Pro Wrestling Torch. Hulk Hogan made the rounds to various lightweight media outlets on the week preceding the Bash at the Beach pay per view. The following are excerpts from his appearances on The Tonight Show and live with Regis and Kathy Lee. On Regis and Kathy Lee, Hogan was on for less than five minutes. It's the first time Ted Turner's ever come out and he actually signed a big match, he said. If I win this title next Sunday night, it'll be the sixth time I'll be the heavyweight champion of the world, and Hulkamania will live forever. Kathy Lee says she didn't know there were two conferences in, in wrestling. Now, hadn't there been WCW talent on their show before? At that point, I don't think so. Sting, Sting went on there once? Ooh, I don't, I don't think, not off the top of my head at least. Okay, okay, just, just asking. Uh, Regis asked Hogan how big his arms are. He said, bigger than yours, Regis, and that's all that matters. Hope mentioned a Shaq, George Ford, and Mr. T were celebrities involved in the event, and he concluded, so all of a sudden, wrestling's cool again. Was it Mr. T? Well, no, Shaq and George Foreman were pretty big deals in sports at this time, Big, so there is that. Well, yeah. There is that. <laughs> um... Okay, so I just went to look at... Okay, so the only Hogan on Regis that's on YouTube is from March. It's not on YouTube. Uh, it would have been in the notes if it was. So what, <laughs> what was this promoting? But, uh, what, March? Yeah. Thunder Paradox. Was it already on TV by then? Uh, if it wasn't, they were about to be. Oh, because it was mid-season, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so yeah, March, no, yeah, March 94. Okay, there we go. Yeah. So, yeah, the uh, July appearance isn't on YouTube, but the Tonight Show is. And let's talk. Let's get Wade's summation of that real quick before we go to the clip. On the Tonight Show, Hogan feigned having his hand crushed by Jay Leno's handshake. 
Hogan said he was coming out of retirement because his son, Nicholas, nearly four years old, doesn't understand what Hulkamania is all about. Hogan's talking about meeting his wife at a restaurant. Leno made fun of Hogan's first name. That's what people don't realize about wrestling. You know, it's a control situation. Entertain the people. If it's fake, that means you didn't get hurt. You get hurt. We go out there and work as hard as we can to have good matches. Leno made fun of Hogan beating around the bush, so Hogan said he wanted to get Leno in the ring. Leno asked if Hogan ever would have against a boxer. Hogan said, yeah, in Rocky Three. Leno then somewhat ironically said, no, I meant in a real match in the ring. Hogan then talked about training with George Foreman, Hogan Combat Flair, who throws punches on the break. Well, let's go to the clip, shall we? Let's, let's see uh, the Hulkster here on the Tonight Show and how he handled himself. Time to put the Superman clothes on. Time for the red and yellow because just like Jay said, this Sunday night. Oh, I know. This Sunday night, I've got I, a chance I, to be I the know. world's heavyweight champion for the sixth time, brother. In oh, my for the sixth time, this is Sixth time. So why are you coming? Tell us why you're coming out of retirement. Well, there's a lot of reasons. Yeah. It's what I love uh, to give do. Give me one of them. It's what I love to do. And <laughs> yeah. I've got two small kids. Yeah. Nicholas and Brooke. And Brooke is six years old, and she kind of caught the tail end of Hulkamania. Now my son Nicholas is going to be four, July 27th, yeah. and he's all the time I'm signing these autographs while I'm doing Thunder in Paradise now right, in right. Disney. He's going, Dad, why are you signing that Hulk Hogan? I thought you were Hurricane Spencer. That's the Navy SEAL name. Oh, I see. That's in the TV show. Yeah, yeah. and so now oh. all of a sudden Nicholas is going, Dad, I want you to wrestle him. So when I take him to McDonald's or wherever, Nicholas goes, Hulk's the rules, dude. And then my, my daughter Brooke is going like this all the time. Yeah. You know, so. That's where I see a woman going so like this. So that's one right. good reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they don't know you as it, so they know you as the thespian. Huh? Yeah, well. <laughs> What's that mean, man? Actor, actor. Oh, actor, yeah, right. <clears throat> now, do you wrestle with your kids? Do you teach them to wrestle? Yeah, we've got a thing, um, well, even before The Lion King came out, we've got a thing we do called playing lion, you know? Playing lion? Get down on yeah, all my fours. wife and I do that. <laughs> well, I keep my underwear on. Anyway, you know, <laughs> just joking. So, so you play lion. No, so I saw play lion with my kids, and I right. get down there. He likes it, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> but I crawl around, and my kids get on my back, you know, and I try to buck them off. Right. And um, finally, when I buck them off, then they get down, if they get tired of being thrown around, and they play little lion. Oh, I so, see. So, so it's kind of like a wrestling match wrestling with the kids. Well, let me in. Now, you've been married how long? Almost oh, wow. 11 years. Almost 11 years, okay. Now, what, what, now, obviously, were you, was your wife a wrestling fan when you met? Did she see you in the ring and that's how you met? No, she wasn't. She was uh, a manicurist here in the Valley. Yeah. And I just finished the Rocky Three movie. And all of a sudden, um, I was in a place called the Red Onion. And I was standing there. Yeah, I was oh, standing there. like a singles there. place. So you were yeah. like cruising for babes, I believe, the night I was cruising for babes. Not looking for a wife. Cruising. Cruising. For babes. And I saw Linda. 
And I said, oh, my God, that could be championship material there. <laughs> and, the, and the next thing I, I knew, you know, I kind of watched her, and I reached out and grabbed her when she walked by. And I said, you reached out and grabbed her when yeah. she walked by? And I said, how'd you like to have a drink? And she says, no. And then I grabbed her again when she came out of the bathroom. <laughs> well, I don't know, you know, it's just... How I guess I say. times were different 11 yeah, years ago. Yeah. And she goes, um, weren't you weren't you in that movie? And I said, yeah, 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 I was in the movie. And so, to make a long story short, I called her the next day, and her mother answered the phone, and when her mom kind of... Well, let me, let me back up a minute now. She said, weren't you in Rocky Three, or did you say, she you said, know, I was in uh, no, Rocky Three? Come on, come on, I know guys. She said it. She said it. You she didn't say it? She said it. All right. And the, the next day, when I called her, mom kind of put her hand over the phone, and... Uh, when they said this guy's called from the Rocky movie, he said, Mr. T? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I kind of could hear her through her hand, and she goes, ask him his name. She forgot my name. So, you know, we've been now, together. Now, what did you say, Hulk? <laughs> well, at the time, I did. You said, this is Hulk? Does your license say Hulk? Sure, no, it doesn't. It says Terry. Terry? Terry Hulk Hogan. Oh, they know Terry. that, man. That's no surprise. No, they yeah. know that. Let me ask you this. Is it like this? Is it... Oops, excuse me. Mm. Let me see. I mean, when, when you sign it, do you sign it? It's Terry... With, with a Y, not an I. The I with the little circle. Oh, please. <laughs> did your family worry about injuries? Is that a bit like, do the kids, oh, Daddy, you're going to get hurt and all that stuff? Well, they do because, you know, whenever we go out there, that's one of the things that people don't realize about wrestling, you know. Even though it's a controlled situation, we're out there to entertain all these people. A controlled hey, situation? Control man, because if, it, if it's fake, that means you didn't get hurt. And you right, get, right. You get so hurt it's every control. Night. Yeah, and we go out there and we work as hard as we can to, to have good matches. Right, right. I'm going to get him in there and show no, him. No, no, no. Yeah. 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 Control. Have you ever wrestled a woman? Do you ever think you'll see that? You'll have a no, co-ed wrestling. I kind of got knocked out by a woman one time. Huh? The Red Onion? <laughs> Almost. So I, was in, I was in Madison Square Garden, and this, the bad guy, his manager was a woman, and when she jumped up on the apron, I pointed my finger at her to tell her to get down in her seat. And when she slapped me, she kind of cupped her hand and hit my ear like, like that. Right. And it kind of knocked me out of my feet. And the first thing that happens when you get knocked out is you straighten your legs out. But usually you're laying on your back, but I, I was lucky enough to bounce off my knee and straighten my legs out. So I was, I was walking around the ring and knocked out from the lady, you know. Just to be clear, there are other times in this era where he explicitly says it's Sherry. It's Sherry, yes. yes. Anyway. But it can happen. Have you ever gone against, a, like, a boxer? Have you done that? Yo, Rocky. Well, you guys saw it. I did the Rocky Balboa and uh, Rocky. Well, not the first. movies, but I mean, in 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 a, in a real match. Uh, no, I'd never get in there and box the boxer. Yeah. I was in the ring uh, two weeks ago with George Foreman. Oh yeah, was sparring or just? Well, he was helping me out with the promotion, working out with me, you right. know, because this guy I'm wrestling, Ric Flair. He throws these punches on the break, you know, kind of over the referee's shoulder. So George said, "Oh, you got to watch out for that punch. I've been watching." So we went out there and uh, worked out at his youth center there in Houston, near the airport. And uh, that's a good reality check. George hits pretty hard. He's unbelievable, isn't he? He hit it's... me so hard. I had my hands like this doing the rope-a-dope. George hit me so hard in my arm, my body went numb. Yeah. He's, it's un... yeah. he's unbelievable. But you think he's like a fat guy or something. He's but not. It's like this. He's not. <clears throat> and you know, it's like hitting a Cadillac. And he's so big, you think he's slow. But he's so fast, you can't even see him. Yeah, he's, like, yeah. he's all over the place. Oh, he's unbelievable. He's great. Okay, so the big match is uh, Sunday, Magic at the Beach. Pay-per-view. Hulk Check Hogan. It out. What you gonna do, brother? Hulk Hogan, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I mean... That was probably as good as it could have been. It could have been for a Hogan appearance. 
Everything yeah, was, was moving good, yeah. good pacing. Hogan telling you know, you know stories, you know. Um, yeah, interesting. You could definitely tell he's motivated here. Yes, he's missed it. You definitely tell that you know how he is. He he's definitely uh, he he's definitely ready to get back going again. He's he's he's. He's got that look in his eye and just the way he's talking, you know. But uh, but it's funny, though. You know, this interview with Jay, and then four years later, Jay's in the wrestling ring with Hogan. Who's selling <laughs> and, for Jay. Yeah. And this is the air tonight show where uh, Bramford Marsalis is the band leader, not Kevin. Um, so there's that. Um, did you recognize the guy that was on the couch beside Hogan? The previous guest. No. It's Franklin Ajay, a former uh, a comedian from back in, the, in those days. And it's funny that Hogan was the third guest, so he was the last one. Oh, boy. Jamie Lee Curtis was the uh, the marquee guest that night. This is promoting True Lies, or is this later than that? <laughs> this is oh. July 94. Uh, True Lies so- came out in 94. I'm checking when exactly. Uh, yeah, July 12th, or July 15th. There you go. So, so there's Hogan on the Tonight Show, a good, a good appearance for Hogan. So there you go. Yes. Mate, go ahead. Anything else? No, I'm just refreshing my memory to the cast of uh, True Lies as I talk. Been a minute since I uh, watched that one, but yes, I remember that well. Um, make no mistake about it. Bash at the Beach was a huge success. Dave Meltzer's, I don't think it was close to the best preview show WCW's put on as of late, but it accomplished what it needed to do. And at least as far as first show went, the Hogan signing was a success. The Bash drew an estimated 1.02% buy rate. The biggest WCW buy rate since 1991, or slightly more than double that of Slamboree. That would mean it was ordered in about 230,000 homes with a WCW gross of $2.58 million. Hogan's approximate cut between Fabian and Live Gate would be six hundred and eighty grand, which isn't bad for one night's work, especially when his opponent did most of the work in the ring. Hogan deserves credit for doing a great job going coast to coast, getting on network talk shows, and calling in his markers for the celebrity tie-in for the last-minute hype. As far as after profit goes, if we go into the assumption that typical pay-per-view needs $800,000 to break even mark, so that's the WCW preview show did about a $400,000 profit. Starkey with Flair Vader probably did about $700,000 profit. That's on the show. WCW and Turtle Entertainment split the money, and who knows what actually comes down as company profit, other than isn't nearly enough to wipe out the millions in losses. Throwing in Hogan's share, the extra money spent advertising expenses of the lie, this show probably did about $550,000 in profit, but more than a typical show, but even with a large audience and the company's largest pay-per-view gross ever, the profit probably wasn't as much as the two of the shows in the last seven months. If Hogan can maintain it at this level for the next two shows, his signing is a success. Last year when he came back with Titan, the audience was almost cut in half on the second preview, which was a WrestleMania versus King of the Rings, so there are other major factors involved. If anything drops in below 0.85 the next two shows, this still won't be short-term successful. Long-term, the idea is Hogan was supposed to brought new fans with a bigger audience resulting in a bigger base, but those things sound good on paper, and in practice, almost never materialize. 
It was the first time in history that WCW show outdrew a WF one during the same period. And we're talking about thirty percent. The show also drew about fourteen thousand fans to Orlando Arena, of which nine thousand one eleven were paid. With a game they built one hundred forty thousand dollars, which would be the largest crowd and gave for WCW card since nineteen eighty nine during the Ric Flair Terry Funk feud. And the reason was clear. It was the appearance of most of the work during the last week of Hogan because the car did not have a strong undercar. The problem line was the crowd was there to see Hogan and to a lesser extent Flair and the heat underneath was subpar. Even the work itself was strong, particularly in the Rick Steamboat-Steve Austin match. We said it before when discussing Hogan and coming to WCW. We did a, a whole Patreon show about it. Uh... Patreon.com slash Trini Sheets. No matter what anybody can say regarding how the product changed, how, um, you know, it became more of a cartoon, it became all Hogan, this and the other. If all Hogan is on WCW, WCW probably dies. Yes. Yes. It, it was absolutely a huge initial success. Like, there's zero doubt saved, about that. It saved them. Yes. You know, and I mean, look at those numbers that we just talked about. 14,000 fans, over 9,000 paid. You know, WCW was not drawing those numbers. 240,000 buys. Yeah, not close. I drew a WF pay-per-view by 30%. I mean... Well, I mean, th- well, I mean, no, I mean, you're not giving them enough credit because of the way you're making the comparison. They did more than 50%. I mean, they did just under 50% better than the last WWF pay-per-view. Oh, there you go. Because you get what I'm saying. It's like, you know, you were comparing the difference between the two buy rate percentages, but the actual increase from a 0.71 to a 1.02 is like, what, like 40, 45% increase? So, yeah. yeah. Um. I did pull up the mat watch for July because they, you usually sh- stay away from those later mat watches because they're monthly and the dating's weird. Um, yeah, I looked at it. <laughs> but well, yeah, for something like this, I guess you could. But uh, Steve Beverly talked to the pay-per-view editor of Multi-Channel News, who he calls Tom Umstead, or Thomas Umstead, who told Steve, the Turner people are claiming a one-and-a-half buy rate. Which, of course, won't happen, but they're going to hit the one pretty easily. Most of the major markets are reporting double or greater the usual business for a WCW pay-per-view. Mm. And they spent about $450,000 on advertising and promotion. Yeah, I mean, they put they put their chips all in on Hogan at this, in this time, and it paid off. Yeah, and Steve even makes a prediction that turns out to be dead on. If Hogan draws a strong clash rating in August and Halloween Havoc draws strong business, bet the mortgage WCW will re-sign Hogan, who will probably be who will probably up his price exorbitantly for a contract renewal in 1995. Because remember, this is something we should be talking about, too. Hogan's on a six-month contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That is it. Because he didn't, I mean, one thing, he didn't know how long he was going to do it. But uh, he doesn't know how long this will sustain, how long TBS is going to want to pay the money, etc. Yeah. 
But anyway, so a boondongle for WCW here. Absolutely. All right, so let's go to the show. Dark match at uh, Brad Bryant Armstrong beating Bad Attitude. Steve Kern and Bobby Eaton in the opener said it'd be a star in a quarter match. Well, Bad yeah. Attitude and been too long put together and already jobbing in the dark match. Yes. I mean, also, it's not the only dark match of the show, which I guess the uh, Dirt Sheets brother did not have a good uh, understanding of. Which Okay, so do we have a chapter mark on here for that, or should I pull up the time I tweeted it? The uh, the, the the one that included Ron and Fez. See, nobody mentioned none of that in the newsletters. Uh, no one did. Way. I mean, it was may have even been before doors were officially supposed to open. Because it's a... Uh, hold on. Let me pull up the... Uh, let me find my tweet. Because I tweeted the clip at some point. Uh, from David Bix, Ron, Fez... All right, if I put it in our in Firefox, is it going to make me log into Twitter if I'm not already? Or are they still doing that bullshit? Uh, okay, good, they're not. All right. Well, all right, let me play this. Fans of the state of Florida, even up my understanding, Savannah, Georgia, the Ron and Ron radio show is red hot. Now, before the matches began live on pay-per-view tonight, we had a very special match earlier in the night. Ron Diaz and Ron Bennington were in the corners. The Sassy Boys, Fast Eddie and Fez Watley, two men took on Molly McShane. Ron Diaz was in Molly's corner and Ron Bennington in the Sassy Boys corner. And they were here earlier in the evening and there was some there was some action earlier in the evening here, Jess. Yeah, and what's that goofy Jimmy Hart doing in there? He's the referee. He huh? was the special referee for this special match. One woman against two men. Watch out. A big roll up here. And that was it. Molly McShane, as Ron Diaz was in her corner, defeated both the sassy boys here. Ha. So how about that? I think you could have gone in and beat the sassy boys, Tony. Well, maybe I will next time. Would you be my tag partner? Get Lois. She's better. <laughs> All right. So that happened, and our thanks to... Uh, Ron and Ron, members of the Ron and Ron radio show for uh, helping us with promoting Bash of the Beach. Tremendous crowd on hand, like we said. Full to the Raptors here in the Orlando. And uh, did they say who the non-Fez sassy boy was? Yeah, he mentioned his name. I forget who it was, but yes. Uh, Chris, describe about how many people appear to be in the arena at this point. I mean, hundreds. Yeah, I mean, they... This must have been right as doors open. I mean, it, it looked like the first match on Boston pay per views in Vegas. Yeah. Where there's hardly nobody there. Yeah. Anyway. Especially in the, uh, at ringside. Yeah. All right, so anyway, uh, first pay per view match proper is Lord Steven Regal retain the TV title, Pity Drabby Bad, in 1040. Oh, wait, we're not going to talk about Darren Norwood singing the Star Spangled Banner. Wasn't in the notes, but I'm yes, kidding. Darren Norwood's in the song Spangled Banner. Uh, Regal did a sunset flip on the ropes for F kick Regal's hand off and bad reverse to his own pin. But Regal reversed that and held the tights for the pin. Now, Sting was pulled for the show for a worked injury, which was announced on television this weekend for the show, because he wanted to give Regal a clean win at a show when Antonio Noki was there as a favor to Anoki. The match was a good opener and two and a half stars. Well, speaking of Anoki. 
After the match, they presented Anuki with a plaque. They put him over strong, although most of the fans seemed not to know who he was. Gene Urkel told everyone to give him a standing ovation, but the best he could get was a polite applause. And then Regal came in and said he knew Anuki had defeated Muhammad Ali, actually on his back for 15 rounds against Ali in the shoot, and Andre the Giant. But when he was in Japan, Anuki was nowhere to be found. Anuki took off his suit jacket, and Bill Dundee pulled Regal out of the ring. Anoki deals a favor to Hogan since Anoki gave Hogan his first superstar break back in 1980 before Hogan reached that level in the United States. And WCW fan are friends at this time, so there's that too. Yes. But all right, so let, let's watch this, shall we? Let's watch the uh, Antonio Anoki uh, ceremony here, and he's about to get physical. Well, actually, real quick, Chris, since we have our abridged pay per view recaps here, um, Johnny B. Bad had replaced Sting. That's because what Sting just meant. Well, no, but uh, there's more to this, is why I'm saying this. Uh, who was selling the eye injury from the Flair match on the live... Ma- was it Saturday night or main event? I think it was Saturday night. And from when Sherry gouged him in his eyes. So the idea is Sting can't wrestle. Uh, Chris, who was main eventing the house shows in the weekend leading up to this? Sting. WCW, everybody. Mm-hmm. He had his eye bandaged. Couldn't do that here, I guess. Of course not. Well, anyway, let's uh, go to Gene and uh, his his greatness. Tony and ladies and gentlemen, here in Orlando and around the world, I want to introduce to you one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, certainly Japan's premier superstar, and ladies and gentlemen, not only a great talented wrestler, but also a tremendous human being. Here's a man that was elected recently by really? popular vote to the House of Counselors. He is the equivalent of a senator. Please welcome the great Antonio Anoki. Here with many dignitaries from Japan, including Maso Saito and Esta. We can get uh, the translation on this. Let's get a stand ovation for all of these great fans, and of course for all of us at World Championship Wrestling. Well, Chris, he attended her wedding, so yes, of course, yes. Uh, okay, so is Anoki wearing an untied bow tie, or is that an ascot? He's wearing an Antonio Anoki style deal here. It's, it, it is a, it is an ascot, yes, kind of sort ish, but it's tied like a tie in a way. And also, we have an unnamed woman in an evening gown here to help present whatever now, this is. She did other things for WCW. I could have swore I've seen her before in WCW programming. Okay. You say so? I'm trying to put it together. We want to present to Mr. Antonio Inoki on July the 17th, 1994, in recognition of your tremendous contributions to the sport of professional wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, this plaque... And a standing ovation for Antonio Anoki. You got a kiss. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Am I led to believe my eyes here that this man from overseas is receiving a plaque for being an honorable wrestler? When a noble Englishman like myself, who's been elected into the House of Lords and has beat everybody that you have to offer, doesn't get an award? 
Am I led to believe right? You'll have your day someday, Regal. I put an end to one legend in this country, and now you have to fly legends, supposed legends, in. I've just come back from Tokyo, where I defeated each and every one of the supposed great stars in Japan. Yeah, the actual highlight of this is Regal having the contents of the Bad Blaster all over his back. <laughs> yes. Also, uh, work the hard cam, brother. <laughs> well, different era. I didn't see this man anywhere to be found. Are you kidding me? He is a legend in Japan and all over the world. Listen, beating Muhammad Ali, beating the late great Andre the Giant doesn't wear with me. I am far superior to you, and it's a bloody good job you're retired right now. Else, I'd have to give you a lesson just like I give Zabisco one. Hey, young man. Joined by Jesse the Body Ventura. Great to see Antonio Inoki with us. One of the real legends, like Gene Okerlund says, real superstars in our sport from Japan. Yes, I had the good fortune. I wrestled Antonio Inoki one time in Tokyo, Japan. Well, what's up with the Regal? I mean, for crying out loud, he, he won the television title. He won his match. Shouldn't he just go back to the dressing room, leave well enough alone? You have to ask him, not me. Lord Steven Regal, still the television champion. What planet is Jesse on? We'll talk. We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> that comes up. Um, like, he genuinely had no clue they were doing it on camera. We're going to talk about Jesse later. Um, this made me want to see Anoki gets Dundee. <laughs> That's one thing I made me want to see. Huh. Good Lord, imagine how that match would have went. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what's up all of a sudden, though, that he wasn't kayfaving his English at all. No, he was out there speaking his English. <laughs> Young man. <laughs> oh, that was great. All right, so uh, next we get Vader beating the Guardian Angel about his qualification in 758. It wasn't the Vader's usual standards, but the work was pretty stiff. Vader did a moonsault about the landing, sold the move himself instead of pinning Angel. Harley Race got on the top rope, and Angel threw him off, the, threw him off and then threw him out of the ring. Angel suplex Vader in, a rep up, and Race gave Vader a nightstick. But Angel got the stick before he could use it. The ref saw him and called it for a DQ. Terrible finish. They didn't want to pin Angel because it was his first major match with a new gimmick. And obviously, after all the jobs Vader's done of late, they didn't want to beat him again. But it makes Vader, who was a top attraction, look weak when he can't even win his second match on the card. It made no sense as he was scheduled to work on top in the triangular match at the next pay-per-view. Two and a half stars. That finish was terrible. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I would say this is probably the worst of the four pay-per-view matches they had together. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a situation where you don't want to pin Angel, you don't want to... Um, 
I mean, why are you even doing this Vader match just... when they're both in the triangle match at Fall Brawl? Do, do another finish. There's ways of creative finishes you could do. We don't have to do a clean job. Just do a creative finish. This is a shit finish. They just should have had them like brawl, brawl outside the ring, ref call, no, you know, no contest. Just, just something to build up the triangular match. You know? Yeah. Stupid. But it's WCW. So, be expected. Next, Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck beat Dustin Rose and Arn Anderson in 11 15. Dustin worth all but the first 30 seconds of the match. Doing a good job getting heat and fighting his way out of trouble. Finally, he made the tag to Arn, and the cameras, which were somewhere else, missed Arn's big move. So let's go to the clip. Well, this version appears to be from the home video because it doesn't miss the turns. Aha. Uh -huh. I mean, the audio is the same, so the purpose, for the purposes of the listeners, it's the same. But anyway. Scene is still in the ring Thank right now. Yes. We go to Mean Gene Okerlund, who will try to talk to these men as they well, come up on. towards him. Gene? Oh, yes. 
Well, I thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. That is perhaps one of the most disgusting, one of the most despicable things I have ever seen. I can't believe it. Greed has had to have reared its ugly head again. Something's happened here. Something is amiss. Arn Anderson, who and who do you think you, what are you trying to pull? How can you turn on your own partner? You want to talk to me, Oakland? I want to talk to you. Come on back to the party. We're celebrating right now. All right, I apparently am not going to get anything out of Arn Anderson. This capacity crowd on hand here is absolutely appalled at what they have just seen. Arn Anderson has turned on Dustin Rhodes, and as a result, well, you saw the conclusion of that match. It was Dustin Rhodes going all alone and going down to defeat at the hands of Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk. This is the bash at the beach, and what I have seen in this particular match, Tony, I'm not real happy with. Let's go back to you. All right. All right. Thank you very much, Mean Gene Oakland. Yes, the natural Dustin Rhodes, we understand, possibly has a broken arm. But oh, thank you. Aaron Henry. Aaron, good to have you with us. The all-time home run king at ringside. And a great ovation from our thousands upon thousands of fans here in Orlando. Hank, thanks for being here. I tell you, we're seeing some great action tonight. It certainly is, and I'm enjoying myself very much. In just a few moments, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan, the match everybody's been waiting for. Who do you think is going to win? I don't know. I'm pulling for both of them. Bully for both of them right now. No doubt Hank's going to run for president in four years. That's right. I'm a great politician. <laughs> well, Hank, it's always good having you with us here. Thank you very much, and I'm it's sure everybody's enjoying themselves. I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much. Hank Aaron, the all-time home run champion with us here as part of our many celebrities on hand. So-so hitter. Fans, the next big pay-per-view <laughs> for World Championship Wrestling is coming up in the month of September. It is a fall brawl. Of course, last year, Fall Brawl, as you know, featured... What's with his emphasis on the syllables there? But anyway, uh... about Greg Gagne was? Greg Gagne was in the ring trying to break it up, and then Ming was grabbing Greg Gagne from behind, and Greg turned around like he was about to do something, then saw who it was, and decided to not do anything. (laughs) Okay, I'm kind of curious to see this now. And then Dave mentioned, boy, talking about Greg, said, boy, did he get old or what? <laughs> Three stars Dave gave the match. I, the turn is supposed to be telegraphed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it is what it is. I think everybody knew it was coming. Yes. I'm curious to see oh, what happens is. with Greg Gagne as he takes his break from teaching stereotypical Native American dance. I see. He's in there, so just watch what happens. I'll he's, tell you when. Yeah, he's just I'll playing... You, uh, all right, so now he's with Arn. Okay. Yeah, I'm zooming in. Now, keep your eye on Ming, Ming, Ming here in a second. All right, here's Ming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. That was a business decision on his part, absolutely. But yeah, the term was telegraphed. I mean, it's a, but it's supposed to be exactly. I mean, it's Dusty Ole, you know, nineteen eighty. So, although not as uh, well built, but still, it's Dusty Ole in nineteen eighty. All right. Well, so, Ole, it's not Arn plotting for a year, but uh. no, but it's. And Anderson and Rhodes teaming up together, you know? Yeah. We'll have more on this in a minute. Stunning Steve Austin and Ricky Steamboat, 2010, the 10 U.S. heavyweight title. This started slow, but turned into a super match. Steamboat was the best performer on the card. 
The crowd got into it in response, but didn't get the heat. It should have because so much of the crowd was either papered or dared to cheer Hogan or paid to see Hogan. Either way, they weren't going to get anything underneath. How that was triple reversal into a tombstone pile driver set up before Steamboat did the move. At one point, the ref was about to DQ Austin when Steamboat asked for it to continue. Finally, Steamboat did a crossbody blob, but Austin reversed the move and held the trunks for the pin. Three and three quarter stars. Steamboat's last pay per view match. Until Before the injury. Yeah. Comeback. Until his comeback year, many, many, many years later. Yes. But a hell of a fucking match. And, um,. We talked about it before on the show. It's, it's interesting to see how what happens with Steamboat if he doesn't get hurt yeah. in the Hulk Hogan WCW world. I'm not sure. I could see that going either way. It's it kind of makes you wonder because I mean, I guess he'd probably be in the same spot he was in because it's not you know? like Hogan had anything to do with Steamboat's problems on the way out of WWF, like. No. Hogan probably sees him as a good supporting member of the team who he's maybe not threatened by or anything. And, you know, he's, like, he's used to working you, with who do, you, who do you feud Steamboat with? After, you mean, well, what even was supposed to be the plan after he won the title? He has the Austin rematch, and then what? I wouldn't have been shocked that they probably wouldn't put him with, try to put him with Honky again. The playoff 88, the playoff 87. Nah, I think they were just going to do Johnny B. Bad because of the gimmicks. Yeah, but who would he have been programmed with? A Halloween Havoc or something? I mean, who would have been... Yeah, once you blow been... off Austin, who is there? You know, because it... you look at Havoc, I mean, you got Vader and Angel, which is still continuing their feud. That's Duggan, you know, in Austin. So you don't have Duggan in that spot. Dustin and Arn, they're together. The Battle of Sullivan's, they're together. You're saying Johnny and Honky, they're hooked up. So there's really... <sighs> Regal again? Maybe? Because Regal doesn't even work Havoc. Cause, yeah, because Regal's dropped the TV title, I guess. You, you, you move Regal up to U.S. title status? U.S. title feud? And they're two guys who it's like possible. working together. Yeah possible makes sense and you know who would have been good if he had stayed in that what if scenario and who knows how much the different things would have had to have gone for him to stay anyway Foley as a heel would have made sense yeah but anyway next we get the interview where uh, Arn explains why he did what he did so let's go to Mean Gene in the back with uh, the stud stable. And of course, on the award-winning WWE Network, it says Arn Anderson explains his actions, but because it's WCW, I'm guessing he doesn't begin the promo with, explain my actions. <laughs> and there are late. Hold on! Wait a minute! Hold on, just a second. Arn Anderson! Arn Anderson, I want to get in here. Just a... What? <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. I've got credentials. I've got credentials. I can go anywhere. Pause, 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 pause. Tell me you've you seen the audio guy laying on the floor doing the wires. I was looking away from the screen for a second. Rewind, rewind it back. I'm gonna. I want to talk this shit in here. Oh, I thought I muted it. All right. There he is right there. Look, look, uh, look at this. All right. He's not there now. Okay. He's going to be in there when Gene walks in. So just watch. Okay. 
Gene's coming in with a mic, which is not a wireless mic. It's coming in with a wire. So there's a guy laying in the floor, feeding the wire in as Gene's in there. Let me show you. His head. Yes. His his whole body's fucking visible. Well, keep watching. Hey, wait a minute. I mean, Jesus Christ. I'll never forget seeing this. You want me to see if Steve Beverly has anything to say about this? I mean, I, but I, I, I never forget watching this live and like, what the fuck is this? Alright. Uh, uh, what is this show? <laughs> what is this company? This company? Right. And I've got credentials. I've got credentials. I can go anywhere. What do you want in here? Hey, I want to talk. This to is a private party here. As you can see, we're smoking cigars, drinking beer, and drinking some champagne. Hold this glass there for me, Jesus. Watch this song good right here. We're gonna pop the top here, boys. Number one man right there, brother. A real gentleman. That's the man I want to talk to. Anderson. Anderson. He's our son. Hey, let me say one thing. We was coming out of the ring. This kid leaped over. He leaped right over the top of the railing. And he came up to me and he dropped to his feet. And he had me like this. He said, Why did you do that? Why did you do that to Dustin Rose? He's such a great wrestling entertainer. And I kicked him away from me. And I said, His daddy was too. Before you talk to wrestling, let me clear it up before you talk to you know, it's very few times you make an agreement with a man and you can trust him and his honor. And I want to say this, I want to toast right now. I want everybody with a glass in the air to toast one of the most honorable, finest men, this man right here, that just joined our stud stable, Andy and Thalsa Anderson. Anderson, I can't believe you. I tried to talk to you earlier. That is the most disgusting thing and honest to God I've ever seen. Gene Oakland, less than a year ago, I was laying in a hospital bed in England. Beat, I trust you, Colonel. I trust you. I'm sure it's all in order. I know you do. I was laying in a hospital bed, beat half to death. Right down the hall from me was my constituent, beat half to death. And I thought, for what? I'm not a crusader. I'm not going to lay up here, beat half to death, to represent what I think is right. I'm going to do what I think is. Now, Dustin Rhodes, I told you, if you wanted me to be in the match, you would have to take the old Arn Anderson. The old Arn Anderson who would smack his granny in the mouth for 50 cents. You said, fine, whatever it takes. Good more champagne all over. You got him tonight. You made a pack with the devil, and the devil called his marker in a little bit soon. Thank you, gentlemen. Apparently, friendship and trust doesn't mean anything. In this cesspool, let's get back to you. Ladies, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Beautiful. <laughs> in the following contest, it is for the WCW World. <laughs> Ladies, you should be ashamed of yourself, little girls like you. <laughs> oh, man, that's the best party that Terry Funk had been, been at since uh, Brad Wesley's party in, on Roadhouse. Great wrestling entertainer. 
But if Terry was in it, well, we don't know. We didn't see a, a shot of him. He was in his wearing his white boots or not. Mm. But he did have the uh, the tuxedo blazer with no shirt on up under look. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Arn knew that champagne bath was coming. Who knows? Because as we don't know, Arn, uh, the only bass, he really likes cat bass. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, so are you expecting me to come back from that with by mentioning also his uh, his whole thing about shampooing buffaloes or whatever it is, <laughs> or shampoo a moose? Yes. Well, he has some talent there to work on. So, uh, <laughs> all right, uh, pretty wonderful. Won the WCB Ted Talks Captain's Check Kevin Sullivan in 2011. Well, the Paul Warner was a great work in the crowd. These guys are flat when it comes to being tag champions. Match wasn't good unless you knew what was going, to, going on coming in. With the violence ban, meaning those matches, Captain's Check out on the previous reviews are now never going to happen until things change. You'd come out of it terribly disappointed. It was to the last minute. It was even clear Katniss would work as he was still in rough shape from a back here suffering the match against Sabu. WCW officials were also exceedingly upset about Cactus spitting on the belt and throwing it on the ground during the ECW interview. So upset, Brian Pillman was flown into town to sub for him. But instead, just made a cameo appearance at the Hogan Virtue Party, which we'll talk about later. Match was dull. The crowd was doing the way, paid no attention to the match, went on forever. Finish saw Cactus do a double on DT on Orndorff. But Roma tripped him from outside, and with Jack's legs way on the ring, the ref right there seeing Roma hold him down, still catted, Ordor's head, half a star. This was weird and strange and dull. Because, like Dave said, what we had just seen, you know, with all these great tag matches for these other pay per views, we ain't gonna be able to see no more because of the violence ban. Because of open. Is that a Hogan thing, or is that more of a Janet Reno pressure on violence on TV thing? Probably some of both. The one, so. thing, the one thing I like about this match that I've never really seen anyone copy that I can remember is the spot where they do the thing where they whip someone into their own corner and the partner, like, dives onto the turnbuckle to keep their partner from hitting the turnbuckle. Yeah. That was kind of a cute spot, but other than yeah, pretty that. Pretty wonderful. I, I like pretty wonderful to tag team, but there was something missing. Yeah. I don't know what, but there was something missing. Jody Hamilton? I, I think that, that's one part. They didn't have a, a, a manager after Jody, you know? Yeah. And now, time for the main event. Well, also, they never uh, followed up on Eric Watts being their uh, young ward. He just kind of yeah, disappeared from too. WCW. Yeah. Hulk Hogan beat Rick Flair to win the WCW title in twenty one fifty. Notice the match times here. Lots of matches over 20 minutes. The last three matches all went over 20 minutes. Um, it was first clean pinfall ever in a singles match between the two of them. In 92, Hogan pinned Flair with a leg drop in several time matches, but all their single matches were either DQs or countouts. Hogan got an even bigger pop than Shaquille O'Neal in Orlando when he was the franchise. Three bad points. No George Foreman, 
not in the building. Mr. T was there. So was Michael Buffer. And I was just trying to get over an insulting storyline any fan that's even a semblance of a memory that this was Hogan's first match in three years. It was the first time Flair and Hogan had ever wrestled. Okay. <laughs> the three years thing, yes. That is terrible. But if you didn't know and you weren't in those markets, you would have never known Hogan and Flair wrestled each other in a singles match. Because it was never a Hogan Flair match on regular WWF television. So that one, they could sign on. The three-year thing, oh no, that's stupid. Flair was psyched up for the match. I'm sure he was. Even though from a storyline standpoint, there's no different area of the Hogan Serena main event match, except it was longer. Hogan overpowers heel, manager stress Hogan, he'll get his advantage. Seven half and twice happened four times. The people who were there to see Hogan's show and Flair gave it to him. Hogan missed a leg drop the first time, but then sells suplex. After a boot to the face, Sherry posted referee Randy Anderson. What, no DQ? Sherry killed Jimmy Hart. Flair clipped Hogan. Sherry splashed Hogan off the top. The Apache ran in the second referee as Flair got the figure four, but Hogan made the ropes. Sherry started choking Hogan with her nylons and raped his eyes. Somebody give that woman a medal for how hard she works at ringside. Sherry missed a second splash off the top rope. Hogan made a Superman comeback. Flair took the bump off the top. Hogan put the figure four on. Mr. T carried Sherry to the back. Flair hit Hogan with brass nuts, but Hogan kicked out of two. No Superman comeback. Leg drop. One, two, three. Three and a quarter stars. All right. Well, let's watch how all this played out, shall we? Yeah, and then I guess we'll skip part of the celebration and go towards the post-match in the back with the, the luminaries such as Brian Blair and Brian Pillman. Okay, thanks, WWE Network. That was weird. I guess I should refresh. I guess. <laughs> that was bizarre. I guess it's all the times you were, you've been fast-forward and stuff oh, and rewind. Whoever, oh, wait. No, no, they finally, finally caught up it? with you. No, no, it's not. Okay, well, all right, I'm refreshing and then 2.30, excuse me, 2.30.35. Let's see. See if at least remembers where we were. Come on. No, it didn't. Okay, great. Give me one second then. Okay. Why? Okay, here we go. Why is it only this? As he beats it with his own hole, this will be the biggest disgrace in the history of professional wrestling. Flair's gotten out of it. Sherry's got something in her hand. Mr. T's got Sherry! He's kidnapping her! Still go! 
still going. The big butt! Oh no! Please, no! The leg! mind it was at the time yeah you know i mean he now has got credibility for his company yeah what was wcw calling themselves openly on tv including i believe at the end of this pay-per-view the new number one Mm mm-hmm because wf i mean good lord look what's going on wf during this week Vince, the verdict's not in yet. Vince is on trial. Vince could be going away. This is Eric Bischoff firing a shot right here at a, at a WWF, which is on the ropes, with the uncertainty that Vince McMahon could be going to prison for a long time. Now, I'm also trying to remember, too. Do we know if the plan was always for the defense to not call any witnesses? Or does that change uh-huh. during the trial? Well, supposedly Jeremy Devitt's going to write a book. So, Oh, I didn't see that. Who said that? That's what was online. I saw somebody post that it's possible he may write a book. I mean, they're his clients, so he has to get it all cleared by them because of privilege. I don't think he would go crazy on stuff, but he probably would, if, if that such thing happened. But would it Again, be specifically about WWE, talk. or would it be about his whole his, legal career? His career representing WWE. I mean, that, that's something. Again, I don't know. It's just something that's been out there. I was in the Observer, apparently. Yeah, considering so, writing a book uh, about his thirty-six year history representing WWE, which would be fascinating to say the least. Although it wouldn't be a tell, is what uh, Pollock wrote. So, but still, be interesting. Um. But again, 
perfect timing for WCW right here. Like I said, because it's not known Vince's future, and if Vince goes to prison, I mean, who knows what happens to WF? So, this is, I mean, an opportunity that is working out perfectly for them at the time. And they definitely come out and say, hey, we're the new number one. Look who we got. Look at what we just did. Bobby Heenan is not touting pay-per-view and attendance success for nothing here. For the guy who's his mortal enemy. Right. When's the last time you heard WF at that time tout pay-per-view success on the pay-per-view? You never heard that. Right. Attendance, of course. But you never hear them tout pay-per-view success. Not during the show. All right, there's Duggan, who's not debuted yet. Brian more Blair. Brian Blair. We'll Brother have more on that. Brudai, yes. Yeah, um, unpause. I mean, unmute, excuse me. Oh, there's Roddy Hogan. Now think about yep. how the match went. Bobby How spawned. Flair put him in the figure four leg lock. How he took the paint, okay? And how he continued to come back. And that has been the one force. That's been the one thing about Hulk Hogan through the years. He's big. He's gigantic. But his heart, his determination... His ability to come back, and it really came through tonight, and that's why he is the heavyweight champion of the world. Then attack. Yes, sir. Let me see that thing, man. Holy moly, brother. One belt, one man, one champion, the only champion in the world today. Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Hart, Mr. T, and all the Hulkamaniacs, brother. All right. Yeah. I understand he's going to go to the interview location right now. Okay, we'll be going in there. I think Mean Gene is back there already. Whoa, what a, what a night it's been, Brain. This is the greatest pay-per-view I've ever been a, yeah, I a, 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 a associated with. But I'll tell you the, the sad thing. I like it. Is standing there right now, that man holding the title. All right, Gene is there. Gene, take it away. All right, I thank you very much, Tony, Bobby Heenan, and this capacity crowd on hand. And dignitaries are filling this reception area. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been down the road with this man. And they used to say back in the Prohibition days... The good old days are back, and believe me, Hulk Hogan, congratulations, WCW heavyweight champion. You have done it again, my friend. What a day. Well, you know something, Mean Gene. Everything that was old is now new again, brother. And I told all the Hulkamaniacs, how'd you like to go on one long ride? And they said, yeah, brother, we'd like to go. I said, well, that's cool. Just as long as the Hulkster's driving, brother. And tonight in Orlando, all the way around the world, all the way to New York City, brother, Tokyo, Japan, Africa, Asia, and all points in between. Hulkamania is running more powerful than it's ever been. Jimmy Hart was watching my back. Mr. T, the maniac mugger, was roaming the crowd. Shaq Attack, who was hanging on the belt, was shaking his head all the way through for Hulkamania. I had George Foreman on my Hulk of home, brother, giving me beat-by-beat instructions, and all I got to say is I pity the fool, brother. I feel sorry for Ric Flair, because as the thousands of Hulkamaniacs were stalking the arena, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, one of my number one Hulkamaniacs. The hacker was stalking the crowd. Great proud of being were coming out, man. Pillman was there. Johnny B. Bad was there. We were rocking and rolling the place. And what is the WCW going to do now that Hulkster still rules? Woo! Well, I got a, a great idea. I'm certain that these fans here are going to partake in a little food and drink tonight. Ryan, great to see you. Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Brian Pillman is here. Bill Shaw, president of World Champion, <laughs> Guardian Angel. And what about the contingent from Japan? Saito, Anoki, 
and dignitaries from all over the world. Hammerin' Hank Aaron is here. Shaquille O'Neal. I've never seen a turnout like this in my life. Holster. Well, brother, Flair was caged in, dude. The Shaq attack told me that all I had to do was stand there and lay the brother up, you know, lay him from one corner to the other. And then, as if he tried to make his escape, Mr. T was there to bend him in a big old pretzel. And if we bent him in a ball, Shaq was going to slam him. And as he bounced off the floor, Hammer and Hank was going to knock him back in the ring, brother. So, Ric Flair... You had no choice, no choice, brother. You had to face Hulkamania. You had to feel the power. And Mean Gene, can you imagine now with all those little maniacs in the WCW, with the Shaq attack, with George Foreman, with everybody wearing the headbands, hiding their dome, with everybody ripping the shirts off, brother, with my shirts being torn all around the world. Can you imagine the pythons, the power I'm going to have when I step in that ring again with my next opponent, brother? And I'd like to know who that's going to be because I've got a feeling there are going to be a lot of them standing in line. I just feel sorry for the next dude. Ric Flair walked that aisle and profiled too many times as far as I'm concerned. I told the brother to leave his limo running, fill the Learjet up with gas, because as soon as we get done partying, me and all my brothers here at the WCW, we're flying all the way back to Venice Beach, and we're going to be riding tiger sharks this weekend, dude. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to be there to do it and be part of it. Ladies and gentlemen from Orlando, Florida, from the reception area for Tony Schiavone, for Jesse the Body Ventura, even for the brain Bobby Heenan, who's really down on his luck. Let's go back to you guys. I like that hairstyle. Well, I'll tell you, pal, put it to you this way, Schiavone in the world. Flair has done it 11 times. He's not going to roll over and die. He's not going to blow away like dust. Hogan, you have started a war right now that General Schwarzkopf won't be able to win. Ric Flair is going to be looking for you for the rest of your life. Our thanks to all of our fans who joined us here at Bash of the Beach. Our thanks to all of the crew at WCW and production in the office and promotions who sweat and bled over this one because Hulk Hogan is the WCW heavyweight champion of the world. And fans, we invite you to join us. I'm sure we'll have comments from the Hulkster on WCW Saturday night here on TBS. Don't forget to give the hotline a call. I know they'll be up and running with very special interviews about the biggest night of the history. Everything they could do to try to kill Hulkamania has failed. As Hulk Hogan says, Hulkamania is the most powerful force in the universe. WCW, what the world is watching. Yeah, Tony Giovanni, Craig Leathers, Rick Fancher. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming associate editor Ron Wright. Probably not that one. <laughs> now, fans, yeah, it's Rob all of us. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Neil yeah, Brewer. Damp behind him. Yeah. WCW, I'm Tony Schiavone saying, wrestling is cool again. Have a good night. Really? Jack Crockett. Wet Stent. Wet Little. Oh, which Pierce. That's a name we'll be hearing about on the Patreon shows. Not in a bit. <laughs> Not in a bad way. My he, he gave some good testimony. Uh, yes, Kemper Rogers. William Bill Berger. Bird. Yes, also a name we'll be hearing about the Patreon shows. And, uh, spoiler, uh, it might not be till part two of the next month with the WCW uh, discrimination lawsuits. But we may get an idea why Paul Heyman didn't like William Bird. <laughs> Stage manager Ron Kirk. Okay, so are we of the opinion that stage manager Ron Kirk is the same person as Clash 4 ring announcer Ron Kirk? Gotta be. Because why else does this guy show up once as a ring announcer never again who happens to have that name? Yeah. Okay. 
Beyond Blues production for Pyro, of course. Oh, Moses Williams, Carpenter. There's a name we're going to hear about yep. you giving testimony in the <laughs> discrimination lawsuit. <laughs> Oh, Doug Tillinger, there's a name we're going to hear being testified about in the racial discrimination lawsuit. <laughs> Shocking. Oh, a Southern cop? <laughs> I'm well, shocked. Not all of them. Not all of them. Well, still. <laughs> a Southern cop who worked for WCW then. Fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a double okay. whammy. Yeah. Alright, so our wrestling operations crew on this show, Bill Dundee, Janie Engel, Greg Gagne, Mike Graham, Jody Hamilton, Al Rogowski. Why is Mike Graham the only one who doesn't have to use his real name? Oh no, Bill doesn't either. Why are <laughs> Bill they Dundee? Yeah, <laughs> William Crookshanks, I guess, was too long and for the the credits. Actually, doesn't he end up does is he ever William Crookshanks in the credits? Yes. He is, yeah. But we never get Mike, Mike Gossett. No. Senior consultant. Jim Barnett, yeah. Jane Bresloff. Legal Eagle Gary Juster. Special thanks to a different Steve Cox. Are we sure? Or maybe not. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Keith Mitchell. VP production. David F. Executive producer. Okay, wait, I want to go back. There's something I wanted to see, too. Um, which was it? But anyway, quite the... Ernie Watts is no relation, right? No. Okay. Um... This is what I mean. Granted, I've, I'm familiarizing, refamiliarizing myself with some of these names. That this was timely to have some WCW credits with the Patreon shows we have coming up. I guess. Yeah, but all the familiar faces on yeah. here. Okay, so the Chris Runnels. He's a grip. But who would yes. that be? Maybe, maybe it's a. Uh, I don't know. So no Dusty's kids. Well, no. Cody's eight years old here, so no him or nine years old. Wait, what's the? He's not worked. What's the older daughter's name? Uh, it can't. I mean, I no. I'm no, trying Dusty to remember. Have grandkids at this point, and it, uh, that would that that old no. What about a kid of one of uh, someone on on Dusty's <laughs> side with siblings and? I mean, it's possible. So it's possible, a nephew. Who knows? I don't know. Okay. You gotta remember his sister. I mean, you know, Kevin Sullivan did uh, blind her in Florida. So. Yeah. That's true. I don't know. But anyway, all right. So let's get Wade Keller's thoughts on this show. Sure. If I had been part of putting this event together, and if my, my primary focus was on making sure the whole Hogan Flair spectacle is memorable and smoothly executed, I would be extremely sensitive to criticism about the show. 
Most everything was well done when it comes to Flair and Hogan. The match was booked to achieve maximum number of pops for Hogan and provide the fewest excuses as possible for Flair fans to cheer. That was accomplished. Oh, what charisma Hogan has. After a three-year layoff, or something like that, Wade had forgotten exactly how good Hogan is at connected with the crowd. And those who argue that Hogan was selfish and didn't get Flair in the offense, you're partially right. Hogan, though, has let very few wrestlers kick out of his leg drop. Flair did, and that alone is worth 10 minutes of hardcore slamming by Hogan. The spectacle of a hot crowd and national, international superstar Shaq presenting Hogan the belt, Hogan posing with the real World Heavyweight title belt, as it was called in WF, and every other detail WCF made sure was in place. The Flair-Hogan aspect of the preview was well done. And for WCW, that means mission accomplished. WCW submits a golden opportunity. When a chance exists to have a historic Flair-Hogan match, it makes this show off other aspects of your product to a large audience at the same time. WCW didn't do that. This show would have been a perfect opportunity to really show their talent roster outside of Flair and Hogan for all the preview purchasers who WCW should hope by next year's bash, which won't have a Flair-Hogan match as the main event. At least, Wade hopes not. <laughs> Just you wait, wait. Not enough was done in the undercard to get viewers decided by WCW's new generation. Steve Austin was in a very good match, but wasn't featured as the next major star. Sting wasn't on the show. Brian Pillman wasn't on the show. He's celebrating Hogan. What was on the show was a series of lane finishes, old wrestlers, and worn-out match storylines. Nothing to get excited about. WCW should not treat Hogan and Flair as going out of business special, their grand finale. They need to build towards next year. Wade's right, but I don't know how you do it the way Wade wants it done. If you understand what I'm trying to say. I kind of get what you're saying, yes. I think... If the edict is not to have Austin become the next major star, which is possible at this time, then it's not. I mean, if he wants to, I mean, here's the thing. If, if, if Wayne wants to blame anyone, he needs to look at Ric Flair. Well, because I was about Flair's to say, bunker. until Hogan came into the picture, the plan for the summer was Flair Austin, right? Flair's the bunker. Right. Yes. No, but I'm just saying. Yes, the plan, the plan is Austin. So, Flair's the one to blame. He's the booker. Uh, we can't blame Ric Flair for anything in this era. No, it's all Hogan's fault. Yeah. You know Hogan has creative control, but Hogan has creative control over Hulk Hogan. And, Hogan and get his budget not, for it, yeah. right? But he's clearly not really exerting much on the undercard yet. That'll come, but not No, yet. he just got started. Yeah. But even like he wants his friends to get jobs. Yes. But this is all Flair, you know? Mm-hmm. So blame Ric Flair for the lack of uh, matches involving the younger talent. Mm. It's very viewed by 90% of the souvenirs being for sale in the building were of Hogan's. Your Orlando Sentinel, which did so many stores for and after the car, noted that and asked a vendor why in particular there wasn't any Ric Flair merchandise. And the vendor said nobody wants to buy anything of Ric Flair. Hmm. Well, you know, I can kind of believe that. He's a heel. In the 1990s, heels weren't selling a lot of merch. Uh, in fairness, though, he just turned, so they should 
they should have Flair merch, and it was a last-second But it's also WCW. But there is merch that exists, is my point. Yes, there is, but it's also WCW, and said merch that exists isn't always great. Yes. Oh, okay, looking at the Orlando Sentinel, um, it says, you know, and they're giving the times and stuff, it says, when? Sunday, 7 to 10 p.m., Pre-show with Ron and Ron show character 615. Yeah, they were putting it out there. Yes. Uh, Alan Sharp. We're billing it as the greatest, as the, excuse me, the match of the century between two of the greatest superstars of wrestling ever. When you ask anybody on the street to name two wrestlers, Hulk Hogan's going to be one of them. The other guy who's right up there is Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Wreck out there, Bix. What? I heard them horns blowing out there. Yeah, and that's whatever. <laughs> I mean, that could just be traffic. All right, well, I don't know. All right, before the bash interview, going back to the torch, Rick Flair told the wrestlers that this was the biggest day of his career, and he wanted him to approach this show with that in mind. Well, is it that interesting? Yeah. So, this is the biggest day of my career. So have that in your mind. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's interesting that he says it in that way, even though, I mean, he is the booker. Yes. Don't disappoint me. Captain's chatting in Russell much. What? Go ahead. Does he mean the biggest day of his career period or the biggest yeah, day of his obviously. career? His career. Yeah. It was his biggest profile pay-per-view match. Yeah. Caddy's chat didn't wrestle much in the tag match because he barely had clearance to wrestle in the first place. Pullman came very close to being assigned as his replacement. That's what he talked about. He's there. Baby said management felt that a 2.6 rating at a live July night show drew offset a lot of the skepticism that was building around Hogan's marketability in 1994. Yes, there is that too. Um, that Sunday show the live main event, the week for our week, drew that massive rating. And it set the proof out that Hogan was there. He's ready. Yeah. I mean, the fans are, are responding to this. With the strong buy rating, Smith, Hulk Hogan, and Jimmy Hart's influence on the product to increase. Oh, yes. Jim Duggan, for example, was going to make his debut with the center stage taping on the 19th. Bruce Beefcake and Brian Blair appear with Hogan in the post-match celebration. Oh, at this point, there's no indication they're coming in. Well, one is one. Eight. And Brian Blair was, was wrestling at the time. I mean, he very well could have been there. And he's wrestling for New Japan at the time. Mm-hmm. WCW uh, partner promotion. Yeah. And you don't blame them for bringing Duggan in either, you know? Yeah. I mean, Duggan, I mean, there was a spot for Duggan. He didn't need to be pushed as a U.S. champion. Right, but there was right. a spot for Duggan. Yes, yes. You know? Yeah. Jimmy Hart is apparently trying to get his friend the Honky Top Man in. And yeah. he does. Yeah. And we know how that turned out. Just Ventura was complaining to anyone who would listen about his treatment. Ventura cited this Saturday ratings have continually dropped since he was replaced by Bobby Heenan. As Dave notes, true, that's more of a result of seasonal variation than related to who the answer is. And was upset that nobody in the company gave him any lead time in knowing what role he played on the pay-per-view. 
when Ventura was out there during the second match, he seemed to not turn off his bad mood even when the camera was on. By the way, Ventura has decided not to run for U.S. Senate. There's your answer. He's pissed. Well, it's not just that, and, though, because and he's done. This this last last, I was about to say this is the last stage. Bischoff has said that what led to the end of Jesse and WCW, and he said he's not wasn't trying to imply anything other than that Jesse was having a hard time, but that he found Jesse asleep in the back of the TV taping. And Flair, I mean Flair, Bischoff has said that in numerous places. That is a consistent Bischoff story. And whatever you want to say about Eric Bischoff, that does not sound like the type of thing he makes up. I mean, that's the same too, that's the same too about Bischoff. If, if it's a consistent story, then use the truth. If it's a consistent story, but also if it's about serious shit, like, obviously some people are going to read that as a drug issue. He understands that clearly, even if he's not trying to say that. It's not no, something, I think, it, it, I, I he doesn't so. take that type of thing lightly, though, is my point. No, I, I know. I don't think it's drugs. I think it's the fact that Jesse had a lot going on in his life as far as being, you know, in politics. Isn't he doing radio? Is, is he still doing radio this time? Um, yes. He's got radio he's doing, you know, flying around doing WCW shit. So he had a lot going on. I mean, there is a. You know, there's a YouTube clip from 83 Weeks, Eric, talking about firing Jesse. But I don't know if we need to play any of it. But, I mean, yeah, you could obviously tell that Jesse was uh, not happy when that clip we played earlier. Yeah. He was detached. And, you know, Bobby Heenan replaced him on the pay-per-views. I mean, he's still doing more. I guess, yeah, he's still doing worldwide this time. Yeah. But he was replaced as the number one analyst. So, yeah. All right, uh, July 12th, center stage tapings. Actually, no. Uh, I I think Poppy's replaced him on worldwide, too. By this point? So, yeah, Jesse, is is Jesse on TV? He had to be somewhere. Was doing pro? I mean, I feel like some people have fact-checked parts of this, but isn't the story that... Because Foley's already decided to quit, right? Um, by this time, probably so, yeah. His story is that he decided to quit because the it was that the Vader match... Because, yeah, when they did, the, like, the gimmick match sweeps thing... Yeah, 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 that was in the spring. And there was the Vader Cactus one, and it happened to be airing the same weekend as the anniversary of the Power Bomb, bomb on the Floor match a year earlier. On that weekend. <laughs> and he was pissed off that they didn't mention it on commentary. And then his thing was like Bobby Heenan <sighs> just saying it, oh, that's Excedrin headache number nine. Or I, I believe there are some inconsistencies in the story, just misremembering. But still, I'm fairly sure it was Heenan. And, and, and Cactus would go on to say, maybe the biggest mistake of his career. Quitting at Quitting. that point. Yeah. Because a year later, he's like, oh God, have I ruined my career? Maybe I can come in and get a spot in the Dungeon of Doom. Like, like we talked about before. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a jokey element to that stuff in ECW, but that's, like, genuinely where his head was at. He didn't know he was going to be in WF. He didn't know he ever get work for WF. He was convinced that J.D. Dillon hated him and would never hire him. 
And the thing, and the thing is, is that I mean, just imagine if Foley doesn't leave WCW, he's part of that. Probably part of that thing with Sullivan and uh, Antenna. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, uh, okay. So here's the thing. I think we've had this conversation maybe once before. If Mick st- sticks around, do you think Hogan takes a shine to him or not? I think Hogan wants a match with him. Because he's a selfless Hogan. big guy who's going to bump around for him. Exactly. Yeah, and it's an easy night for Mick. Well, for Hulk. You know? Yeah. You said easy night for well, Mick. Well, it's easy for Hogan and Mick, because Mick, I mean, Mick will work a Hogan match, you know? I get what you're saying, yes, but still, like, but I do think Hogan probably would like him, yes. Because also he doesn't have, like, the the weird baggage of King of the Death matches or anything yet that might be putting off yeah. people. That doesn't happen until the following year. So, it does make you wonder, like, how much should he have been biding his time there? I think, uh, I think Mick's just caught up in the Paul Heyman Kool-Aid stuff here. I don't think it's that, but, you know, it worked out well in the long run, but, like, you get to a degree why... Um, I don't know. I, I, I think Hayman's hey, probably. I mean, the way the way he's able to work in ECW appeals to that mentality at the time, you know. And ECW going in that direction. Yeah. Like I said, he just had that Sabu match where he fucked his back up, you know. Yeah. But anyway, all right. So center stage, Jamie Bad beat Steve Kern in the opening match. Lord Steven Regal beat Davy Rich. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page, Jean-Paul Levesque, Brian Pillman, Ricky Steamboat, and Harlem Heat won squashes. Oakland reviewed Austin, who was confronted by Ricky Steamboat. Steamboat challenged Austin and Rainbow, also refused. Brady Boone pinned Rip Rogers. I think that was okay. a dark time filler match. <laughs> Gotta be. Pretty wonderful beat Catrice and Kevin Sullivan in a rematch of the tax auto match to conclude July 23rd. July 30th show had Star Stripes winning squash, squash Page. Um... Who would Hart be here? I think that's a typo for he, Heat. Heat. Okay, I gotta be. Harlem Heat, Brian Pillman, Regal, Buck, and Funk, one squashes. Now, Saturday night during our week, the night for the Bash to be interview, so Nick Bowman would go up in the show, but now Sting would not be able to wrestle the Bash due to an eye injury, so Johnny Bat would take his place. Bob Winkle also announced the courts have ruled that St. George Sherry could not be banned from ringside for the pay review. The courts? Yes, the courts. Okay. The previous week's angle was Sherry interfering in the Sting Flair match aired. Steve Austin over Johnny Rich after Austin uh, talked about facing Steve at the Bash. Funk and Buck won a squash in an interview. Gene Oakland hosts the Bash update. Another seven Hogan and Shaq aired. Dustin and Arm won a squash. Then the end of the Sting Flair unification match aired, including Hogan's run-in. John Paul Levette won a squash. Throughout the match, Bobby Heenan trumping him as being one year away for the main events. Well, I'm you can watch it at a time and you you can see that there was thoughts on that guy. There was something there that they they had a thought for him. It's on commentary. So who knows again what happens when he, if he doesn't leave? But uh oh, wrestling be a whole lot different today. But, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? Then Hogan music video aired to American Made. 
Hogan, Mr. T, and Jimmy Hart had an interview for Center Stage. Guardian Angel won a squash. Then last week's angle was replayed in full. Involving Sherry dressing like a man. Better won a squash. And then two men, Kim Sloan catch a Shepby bad attitude. He had built them as undefeated in WCW. And then Flair and Sherry concluded the show in a high energy interview, which weighed so was a strong point. Stood up strong point. Uh, excellent final push for the bash. Hogan's view was well done and hip. Austin's interviews continue to improve. Weak point, once again, the lack of feeling of importance to the TV main event. There's no buildup throughout the program. Huh. Interesting. I think that's fair. No uh, ratings here. Number ratings. That's so yeah, he's done, with, he's done by then. I thought. All right. All right, so quick stuff here. Quick hit. So the ratings, uh, Saturday Night did a 2.1 rating. Main event did a 1.8. And Pro did a point eight. So WCW Saturday Night has already gone way back down from the first Hogan appearance. Or the yes. first in, in uh, center stage. Yeah. Apparently those in charge realize what the rest of us have talked about with Michael Buffer. And they'll use him for as long as they've already committed to, but don't expect him to be permanent. <laughs> uh, that bullshit! WCW canceled July 31st in Miami Beach because event sales were like two dozen. <sighs> House show business this past week saw El Paso on the 14th through 950. Albert Kirk the next day to 1200. Both of these were sold shows. And they featured Sting main eventing against Steve Austin with his eye patch. And to close, WCB sent out press releases and accompanying photo to the media of Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart with a caption reading Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Cliff. Sounds about right. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. WCW, everybody. I see all the obstacles in my way. <laughs> how, how, how does that happen? Of all the Jimmys, you get mixed up with Jimmy Cliff? I, I don't Jim, know. Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Cliff, I mean, that's... I don't know either, Vicks. I don't know either. WCW, everybody. That's what I do now. Well, but I, like, is this under Weber and Alan Sharp's purview? Like, it's my Weber. He's the guy. So, okay. By the way, like, what is the distinction between their two, their job duties? Alan Sharp's name in the credits. So, if if he's doing anything at WCW at the time, he's not a on the credits of, t of the TV. He stuff. is. But, I mean, he was quoted in the. Orlando I mean, he's quoted, thing. but he's not credited on as far as television. So Mike Weber is obviously his boss. Yes. Jimmy Cliff. I, I, I don't understand this company. All right, let's go to Japan now. Land of the Rising Sun. We'll start with All Japan. Dan Crawford, I mean, captured the PWG title from Masafushi on July 12th. And Kagoshima with a finish of several reversals before Crawford wound up on top. Well, at the arena and Kagoshima in front of 3,500 on July 12th, we have Masai away over Kentaro Shiga, the Eagle over Torosako, Johnny Smith and Richard Slinger, Giant Baba, Miss Omoloda, and Rishkamura over Ruka Egan, Mighty Inouye, and Riko Kazumita. Abdullah Butcher and Kamala 2 over Johnny Ace and Kurt Beyer, son of Dick Beyer. Crawford over Fuji to win the title. Kiritawa is a Shakuwa and Yoshinagawa over Junakiyama, Takamura, and Timon Honda. 
and Kendra Bashi, Mitsurama Sama, and Shiyoshikuchi over Doug Furness, Stan Hansen, and Tom Zink. Terry Gordon returned a surprise on July 16th in Nagasaki for the Brisbane Memorial Show. You've been able to it out that he'd be coming back. You're not going to explain why it's notable that Tom Zink is here? Uh, no. What's the notable about it? He, I believe, had to fly from Japan to testify in the trial and then back. Although I think at this point he may not have testified yet. I forget. Well, actually, wait. What day did the trial start? Uh, don't know. I have a schedule. I got it in a FOIA request. I'm pretty sure you did. But yeah, like I have some of like his facts <laughs> explaining his costs and stuff. And how much of a hardship this was. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I have the whole tour schedule, too. Um, uh, he's there on June 30th, July 1st, July 3rd, the 4th, the 9th, the 12th, the 13th, 14th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th. 21, 22. So this was got to be between the, the 4th and the 9th. Yes, that he testified. He misses three shows. Okay, it was July 6th was the day he was uh, testifying. He misses three shows. No, no TVs. Yes, and he was not happy with this and was complaining to the uh, federal prosecutors and all that about this. But anyway, Terry Gordon returned to surprise on the Brutus Road Memorial Show in Nagasaki on July 16th, which wasn't a TV taping. There were no publicity that they'd be coming back. He teamed with nephew Richard Slinger to beat Masano and Kurt Beyer. From photos, he physically looks the same, although he's being kept low on cards and hadn't worked with the top guys the first week. We'll have more on Gordy and Smoky Mountain. Because that comes up there. But, uh, there you go. There's all in Japan. New Japan. And Twitter Loki's still making noise about putting together a match with George Foreman, who he didn't end up meeting in Orlando. Anoki met up with Muhammad Ali in Denver on July 15th and route to Orlando with many photographers there. <laughs> yeah, Anoki was working a deal with the media at the time that he was going to have a match with George Foreman, the, the two great, you know, middle-aged legends here, going to face off in a match in Japan. And, of course, that never happens. Uh, I mean, originally it was announced, like, in Korean state media – that uh, that Foreman was going to be his opponent in North Korea in 95. Yep. But obviously that didn't happen. So, no. more Anoki being Anoki. Alright, um, yeah, a couple of interesting shows in New Japan. No uh, TV tapings during our week, but a couple of interesting house shows. July 17th, the Himeji Welfare Hall in front of 2500. We have Tatsu Takiwa and Yuji Nagata over El Samara and Tatsushi Goto over here on Saito. Yushin Langer and Shinjiro Otani over Black Tiger, Eddie, and Norihonaga. Hiroshi Hase, Manabu Nakadishi, and Power Warrior. Kensuke Saki over the Nasty Boys and Tuko Scorpio. Then we got High Station Guns, Great Kabuki, Kunio Kobayashi, and Shiro Koshinaka over Akira Nagami, Rikichoshi, and Takuchi Izuka. Osamu Kido and Tatsumi Fujinami over the American Love Machine and Black Cat. No, he's American Machine. Well, there you go. But our bar. Yes, wearing his Love Machine mask, though, again. Yeah. Masuro Shono, Mr. Shohara, 
Kitsumoto over Akutar Saido, and Shiyashimoto over Ken Kamura. Then we had uh, July 18th with Tatoran and Dutch Jim from 3700. We have Otani over Takaiwa. Then we have American Machine, Black Tiger Eddie, and Two Cold Scorpio. Then El Samurai, Takamichi Sasawa, and Yuji Nagata. Then we have Mitsu Shahara over Samakito. Akutar Saido over Saido. So we have Saido over Saido. Hiroshi Hase over Tasha Shigoto, Kukumura over Power Warrior, Black Cat and Nasty Boys over Riki Choshu, Jadavi Asuna, and Tatsumi Fujinami. Can you imagine a team that's just <laughs> so different in real life <laughs> or the ring more so than Black Cat and the Nasty Boys? <laughs> imagine uh, Yasuda and the Nasty Boys having interactions in a match. Then we have uh, Akira Nagami, Takuki Zuko, Manama Nakanichi, Shinoshimoto, and High Station Guns, Great Kabuki, Kenya Kobayashi, and Shoko Shinaka over Jushin Liger, Keiji Muto, and Masahiro Chono. And uh, also, do you know what this tour is uh, notable for in terms of our car and the Nasty Boys? I'm sure a fight. Uh, he passed out, I don't know if of his own volition or not. And they shave, they cut off and shaved a lot of his hair and his eyebrows, which is why he is wearing extensions as opposed to his actual hair in the hair match. Yes. So. Yeah. Ah, wrestling. Well, I'm sure there are people who think worse things should have been done to our bar, so I'm not gonna. Yeah, whatever. But that's, I, let's be glad that is not part of the wrestling culture anymore, though. Yeah, but our bar's one of these guys, though, that the way stuff happened like it did, and then him dying like it did, people kind of, you know, look past all that stuff in a way, and remembering him. Yes, and we've talked about that something before. Um, You know? But as far as, though, as far as the nasty boy shaving people's heads and eyebrows and stuff, I mean, I'm glad that we don't have anything like that. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Especially in this case, though, it's like, it's you're fucking with his money. Yeah. And that's like the big no-no of wrestlers, and they're violating that. So I believe he's... I believe the reason they did it was specifically he'd been talking about how he knew he had a big payoff for the hair. Well, actually, no, because he wouldn't have known he was even in the match yet. In July. No. Because it wasn't until relatively short notice before the pay-per-view that it was made a tag match. Yeah. So it couldn't have been that, but I think that's a version that's gone around, but I don't think it could be true that he was bragging about and they did it on purpose, but still, I mean, it's to do that to a guy who's working in Mexico primarily is still fucking with his money. Who has long hair. War! Good God, y'all. Sumo Hall, July 17th, they packed the building for one night trios tournament with Tanu Genichiro, Asushinita, and Bam Bam Bigelow came out on top, being Ashurahara, John Tenta, and Jin Seishinzaki in the finals. Excuse me? Oh, it, just, it gets better as we go along. Uh, the semifinal, which based on photos, would be incredible, and probably was most responsible for packing the place. It was great. Sasuke getting pinned, challenging Ultima Dragon for the UW middleweight title in 22-23. World six-man champs Ghetto Jado and Hermich Fuyuki were upset in the first round of the by Horace Trio. Anita's team also beat Vampiro, Lionheart Chris Jericho, and The Warlord. And Ken Nagasaki, Masashi Yangi, and Arashi before the finals. 
All right, let's go over this, this wild and wacky tournament here. All right, open the match of the show, Masa Carissa over Yoshiroka. Then quarterfinal match of the tournament, Shirohara, John Tenton, Shinsei Sazaki over Gato, Jado, Hermits Fuyuki. Kukitahara, Tsukashishikawa, and Koji Ishinriki over Koji Katao, Akio Kobayashi, and Nariaki Mochizuki. That's Masaki Mochizuki, Kino, I guess, right? <clears throat> uh, I think it's a different one. Uh, 1994. He debuts in 94. I mean, it's possible to him. I mean, it's... Uh, and he's teaming with, anyway. his, with Katao, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's Masaki Mochizuki. It's possible. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. You're working under another name, first name. And it could also be a weird result in the transcription and stuff, too. Yeah, Ken and I got stuck in Masashi, Yagi, and Arashi over Anamamaguchi, Suji Fanaki, and Nabukazo Rai. And Tenru, Anita, and Bigelow over Vampiro, Warlord, and Lionheart. Hara, Tita, Shizaki over Ishikawa, Ishiriki, and Kitahara. Bigelow, Tenru, and Anita over Nagasaki, Yagi, and Arashi. Dragon over Sasuke. And Tenru, Anita, and Bigelow over Hara, Tita, and Shinsaki in the finals. <clears throat> it's war. They love their six mans. They got some weird ones. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about Dave's point about thinking Dragon and Sasuke is what drew the house? Because we're right on the heels of the J Cup and everything. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, you've got Anita on his retirement tour. That's Dude. what I'm saying. I don't. I don't know if I would put the whole credit on them. No, I don't have the whole credit. I mean, it was it was definitely a drawing card, but I don't think I it mean, was the, the only card. like match that's advertised that would be a draw. Yeah, but you got Tenru, Bigelow, and Unita as a team. Yeah, I'm also guessing that Sasuke maybe is getting a bunch of media coverage because he also has the IWGP title shot the next week, right? Because isn't the Liger rematch something like yeah, July twenty third or twenty fourth? But it's just you know, it's it, it's more than just that. I would think so. It's also funny but when still, you think about it that of all the matches these guys have together in this era, I mean, by the, I don't just mean these two. I mean all those top junior heavyweights. This is like the one match between any of those guys that no one remembers. Yeah, because it was on a war show. And there were matches from war shows that people remember, but still. Not no more, Harley. That, that no. you know. I get. You. I mean, that's a thing. That's the thing that's come and gone, sadly. Well, part of it is that you can't get it, any of it on YouTube because Quest will do takedowns on it. Yeah. But Sasha Yagi is heading in FMW as on July 17th in Hall. He jumped at Sushi Onita after his Corken Hall match and did the same the next night. Onita had four matches that day, as he had earlier, were three matches in a war tournament at Sumo Hall, then FNW Corkin. Oyagi said he wants one more match with Onita before he retires. Trivia note, 1989, the first ever FNW show, was headlined by Oyagi beating Onita. Oyagi will uh, debut on July 31st in Yokohama. Tarzan Goto and Mr. Danger, Mr. Matsunaga, continue their angle with Goto, warning Onita, warning Onita that Matsunaga is an Oyagi spy. Masanaga was originally one of Yagi's karate students for both became wrestlers, which is true. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, results of the car. Tissue Kuroda over Kosaka Koshikawara in the opener. Makayato and Shoden Senshi Battle Ranger Z over Koji Nakazawa, Nakagawa, excuse me, and Damiyase Seses. 
Judge Dredd being Hideki Asaka. Oh, I wonder hmm. who got him booked. Hmm. Judge Dredd, huh? Combat Toyota, Sarsha Shulia and Safari Mack defeating Megumi Kudo, Miwasato, and Keiko Iwami. Kasuji Ueda over Gorosurumi about his qualification. Yuki Nameno over Kurosurumi and Damari. Mr. Gonsuke and Kastoshi Niyama over Big Titan, Rick Wagner, Ricky Fuji. Then we got a No Rose Barbar Barricade Double Hell Street Fight Death Match where Mr. Pogo, the Gladiator Mike Awesome, and Hiskatsu Oya defeated Asushi Onida, Tarzan Goto, and Mr. Danger, Mr. Masanaga. Onida's hmm. doing a quasi retirement tour, so I mean. Well, it's not quasi at the time. That's well, still. Quasi. It's resting retirements. Well, yes. And who, who did he pattern himself after, Chris? Terry Foam. Indeed. IWA Japan. They opened up their tour on July 14th for Corbin Hall for 2105. We have Masuyama, no first name, over Hiroshiono, Deli Fred. Takashi Kano over Oriental. Mr. Unpredictable Dick Slater over Joe Gomez. Uh, should I make any jokes or could we get sued? But it's Japan. Well, that, I don't really think that changes that calculus. If anything, I think it makes it more likely. <laughs> uh, the Headhunters, A and B, over Kinect and Shoji Nakamaki. Well, I think we topped the war show. <laughs> Miguel Perez Jr. over Leatherface. Casket Deathmatch, new Jason the Terrible, beat Jason the Terrible. So that would be Tracy Smothers defeated Puerto Rican Jason Terrible, right? That's right. And Nobutaka Araya over Yukihiro Kanemura in your main event. Hmm. Is the second tour? Friday of each band? I think so, yes. What were you saying? I was about to go to the next promotion. Well, yeah, now we're getting really scummy. IWU. International Wrestling Union, a.k.a. Union Pro. Yeah, they ran in Nagano on July 15th. We have Miho Kawasaki over Hiroshi Ono. Nanti Ryan over Poison Sawada. Apollo Shigawara over Kengo Kimura. I mean, excuse me, Apollo Shigawara and Kengo Kimura over Miho Kawasaki and Kishin Kawabata. Gentleman Chris Adams over Rio Miyaki. And he's the only foreigner on here, so who knows? Keno Nagasaki over Poison Sawada. Ruma Go over Kazuka Masaki. <laughs> and, and Black Mummy and White Mummy. Is that like Black Mama, White Mama, that movie with Pam Greer? You've made that over joke every time we've had them lately. <laughs> Gorsh Rumi and Masiko Takasugi. Well, we got some of the same names the day before on the uh, Network of Wrestling N-O-W. Now show. Yes. And the NOW show on July 14th, which is a local civic gym. We have Rio Miyaki over Kanzan. Kazuka Masaki over Putin Sawada. Paul Shigawara over Namti Rayon. And Kishikabana and Ken Nagasaki over Ryomiyaki and Gentleman Chris Adams. So the, Okay, so this is Ken Nagasaki getting Chris Adams in for some dates with various promotions, I guess. Yeah, obviously. Uh, this, is all, this is only the beginning of your smaller indies. It's, all, you know, it's really only the last year or two that indies are really starting to pop up in Japan in any real way in the first place. Yeah. Rings. Like your made an angle in this July 14th Osaka show, which was set off 6,539. Opponent, Dirk bloody his nose and tried to stick his finger in his eye, so Maina came back with a leg last submission in just 254. 
After the match, they had to separate the two of them. Maeda kicked him in the face. Reminiscent of the 1987 shoot kick on Ricky Choshu that made Maeda the superstar he once was. Oh, yes. All right, results of the show. Georgia Kandaraki over Rene Ruse. Masuki Naruse over Yuri Pekashev. Masuki Nagai over Vladimir Petkov. Not Vladimir Pietrov. Well, that would have been interesting. Andre Kopolov over Yoshishi Yamamoto. Volkan over Hans Nyman. And Akira Maeda over Dirk Bruges. I mean, Dirk, Le- or as he is here, Dick Leon uh, Fry. Yes. But it's, it's, it, wait, yes, is it, yeah. wait, is Dick Leon Fry the correct name, or is it Dirk Yeah, Fry, it is. So I just like or... saying Dirk Bruges. <laughs> but yeah, it is Fry. That's the way you're supposed to say it. So why don't they even try to say fly and er, fry? God, uh, God. Ah. Okay, just to be clear, by the way, because when people abuse it, it is a negative stereotype. But the reason the L and R thing happens is that there was only one sound for both of them in Japanese. It's just the way it is, Bix. Yes. But I still don't understand why it's nothing close to fry when they say it. Why is it dirt so is the real Joshi. name Dick or Dirk, though? I don't know. Joshi. Well, we know there ain't no dicks there. All right, uh, the Bull, uh, all Japan women. The Bull oh, no Shiba Kandora chain match on July 14th at the Tokyo Coliseum drew 6,300 fans. Ending with Nakano tying Kandora up with a chain, and when she's immobilized, giving her a leg drop off top rope for the pin. Kandori did a search job and even brought out the ambulance for the brutality match. Bull starts on for the WF on July 28th in Canada. Uh, the results of this all-star show here, Michiko Omakai over Sarpreet Asari in, in your opener. Then you got uh, Mikiko Funagami and Mizuki Endo over Rie Tamana and Toboko Watanabe. Karamodori, Midori, Michiko Nagashima and Rumi Kazama over Bander Sakamura, Miyosato, and Yuki Nabeno. LCO retained their UWA women's tag titles. Escamina Mimishimoto over Juliana Yukari and Miki Honda. Megumi Kudo beat Yasha Kuranai. Harley Saido and Noriyama Tateno defeated Dublin away, Kyoko and Takako. Combat Toyota defeated Eagle Sawai. And then Bull over Kandor in the chain match. So an all-star show here, not just all trans women. I mean, it's 1994, so yes. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen the chain match. I know by reputation it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Interesting mix of talent Cork and on the card, though. Yes. Cork and Hall on the 17th. Now, this is all Chan Women's show. From 2,000 fans. Yeah, Kimiko Mikawa going to a draw with Mariko Yoshida. Chaparita Asari and Suzuka Minami over Infernal Karu and Tomoko Watanabe. Aja Kong, Rietamana, and Yumiko Hota over Bull Nakano, Eskomina, and Mimishimoto in 2353. Sakashi Gawa and over Karito, Manami Toyota. And then Kyoko Inoue won the Triple WA All Pacific title match, retaining her title over Takako Inoue. So partner being partner. And they're no relation, right? They're, they just both happen to be named no. in a way. Yeah. Yes. JWP, they ran a show support on July 18th for 600 fans. We have Hiromi Yagi over Fasao Nochi. Plum Mariko over Command Bolshoi. Dub Masami over Mayumi Ozaki. Dama Kensai and Kendo Kutsu over Kiri Suzuki and Hikari Fukuoka. And then Kiri Suzuki, Plum Mariko, 
Mimiyazaki, Hikaru Fukuoka, over Tanamai Kensai, Double Masami, Hiromi Shugo, and Kenyo Kutsu in your main event. You know what you see from this show in particular? They have a small crew, but, like, batting average-wise, they clearly have the best roster of the smaller women's promotions at the time. Yeah, it's a, talent, a lot of talent. All right, now let's finish Eurasia. As we go to Auto Vance's CWA at the Hugh Market in Wien, Austria, on July 17th. We have Franz Schumann winning a battle royal. Uh, we'll do the card because it's featured on the card. John Hawk went to a draw with Ulf Herman, so JBL. Rambo, Lou Poirier over Giant Haystacks by disqualification. Mick McManus. Franz Schumann over Fit Mick Finley. Mick McManus? Luke Sorry. McMasters. Luke McMasters. Close. Yes. Close. I was close. Mick, yes, you confused <laughs> two of the biggest stars in the history of British wrestling, Chris. <laughs> it's late for me. I've had a long day. Literally, you confused two of the four biggest stars in the history of <laughs> I've had a long day today. So it's still Mick McMahon. Oh, as long as me, you were in you're in the courtroom for four hours. No, I did not have to go far dear uh, as you did. Uh, Franz Schumann or Fit Finley. And then our main event, British Steve Casey, Tony St. Clair, and the Ice Train. Defeated Cannonball Grizzly, yo baby, yo baby, yo. Hiroshi Yamamoto, Tenzan, and Wolfgang Trinker. Why do I feel like I've never heard of Wolfgang Trinker before? No, not Michael uh, Schrenker, the uh, guitarist from Scorpions. But uh, Wolfgang Trinker. Yeah, I'm not familiar with him. I mean, we've done plenty of CWA shows in this era. Why have I never heard this name before? He was also known as Sep Tranker and Wolf Tranker. He doesn't have a cage match profile. He mainly wrestled uh, in 91, 94, and in 2000. Oh, wait, he does as Wolf Tranker. He does. Okay. So he wasn't a very active wrestler, so to speak. I wonder if he's some outside personality that's being brought in or something. But anyway. All right, let's go to England now as we close out this segment. Bill Eady, Iron Sheik, Hercules Hernandez, Big Bill Abusic, Conan Chris Walker, Tyron G. Singh, Senior and Junior, and Richard Charland all were to show on July 16th in London for the World Martial Arts Federation. Okay. Let's read the results of this, shall we? The Butcher over Paul Singh in your opening match. Iron Sheet went to a draw with Conan Chris Walker, who was working as the Warrior. Yeah. Which I'm willing to bet they had him paint his face. Of course. Demolition 2000. Axe and Blast. And this is Richard Charland Blast, clearly. Not a Canadian giant. No, 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 no. He was never Blast. He was uh, was Hooks. Oh, Hooks. Sorry. Hooks or Hooks or whatever his name was. No, um... But uh, the other blast was, uh, oh, what was his name? Carmine Azizo, the, the, the large fella from the Northeast. So, yeah, I forgot about, yeah, it was Hux. There were two blasts. And it, over Big Billy Busick and Chris Walker, ask Chris Walker. That's, that's one way to do that. Tiger G. Singh Jr. over Hercules Hernandez. 
It's IRG Singh Sr. over the Russian Iron Horse. Who I'm presuming is Nick Peterson. Probably so. Okay. Is the tour of India and Pakistan where they get beat up by a bunch of fans running in with field hockey sticks, is that around this time or is that in 95? Because it's the same time. I don't know. And I don't I, know. Like, because I remember Billy E.D., Chris Walker doing a warrior gimmick. Tiger Jeet Singh and Junior being on there makes sense. I forget exactly when that was, but that was a whole thing. Because it got picked up on by some news media saying it was Ultimate Warrior, but no. Chris Walker is the warrior. But love to know why it's the World Martial Arts Federation. They're just trying to uh, do something different, I guess. I don't know. I guess? And why are they, like, I mean, it's rare that you see tours of these countries that have wrestling that, like, get all, you know, a group of just Americans and Canadians. Too. Weird. But anyway. Alright, uh, that is it for the first half of the show's halftime. Subscribe to Nintendo for commercials with fifth and a half time segment. We'll talk about Patreon. We'll talk about our streaming friends. We'll hit some applause and come back. We will go to Mexico. Where we'll have a big AAA show to talk about some TV tapings. And an interesting uh, thing happened in AAA offices during our week. CMLO. Not in the healthy stations for them. So Puerto Rico. And, uh, of course, after that, we'll have U.S. Indies and all that more. We'll be back after the break. This presentation of Moonshot is brought to you by Toyota and their full line of quality cars and trucks. Toyota, I love what you do for me. Since Toyota truck reliability and dependability are put to the test in America, Toyota said, build them here, too. You know what? Most are. But the ultimate test is right here. Toyota 100,000 mile stories, over 60,000 of them, and more coming every day. Toyota trucks, the reliability's built in. Toyota trucks, you just gotta love them. A simple verse for a simple sale this week at Goodyear on these selected Goodyear tires for cars and light trucks. Buy three at regular price, fourth one's free. Isn't that swell? Swell? Here's a health tip from MetLife. Chronic stress can change your personality. It can make you lose sleep, give you headaches, make you feel anxious, even make you cranky and irritable. But you can learn to handle stress with deep breathing, exercise, or even just happy thoughts. For more information about handling stress, phone for your free MetLife booklet. Zay, you're out for a beer. What do you have? Beer. What if there wasn't any beer? Sorry, guys. I've never heard of it. Zima's good. Zima's a unique alcohol beverage. I kind of like it. Anything else? Did you get pretzels? What day is this? 
any kids around, Aunt Jane? Oh, sorry, Billy, not your age. A little earlier, Jane Stewart was troubled with arthritis pain, so she took a Motrin IB, the same Motrin doctors have prescribed for years, but in non-prescription strength. And just one Motrin IB is as effective as two regular aspirin. All right, kid, let's see what you got. Aunt Jane? Come on. Motrin IB, the relief of Motrin in non-prescription strength. Now available in a new easy-to-open fast cap package. A healthy hairspray? I think I'm in love. Gels that are actually good for my hair. A mousse with provitamins. Brilliant. Leave it to Pantene Pro-V to go beyond styling to healthy. There's gel for control. Mousse for volume. And hairspray that holds all day. All enriched with Pantene's provitamins that penetrate to improve. Pantene Pro-V styling for hair so healthy it shines. New larger sizes are a better value. Coming soon from TBS Originals, the Native Americans. TBS reveals their legends, their lives, as only they can tell it. Anatomy of Love, TBS offers a most provocative look at how and why we love. Driving Passion, TBS explores America's love affair with the automobile. Real People, Real Stories, TBS Originals, Real Entertainment. Moonshot now continues on TBS. All right, back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1994 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We're again talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And we've already started recording our latest Patreon show, which will be a uh, two part series on our look at the WCW racial discrimination lawsuits. And, uh, the first part we recorded goes all the way back to 1992 in a deposition that Ole Anderson gave. Well, it's and, not a deposition. It's not under oath. It's an interview that he gave to Thunderbolt Patterson's lawyers. Well, whatever. And um, I mean, it's an important distinction because he's not under oath. Well, whatever. But anyway, um, but it's still very informative. Yes. And very uh, truthful. Oldie Anderson in a way. So, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's not surprising. No. So there's that. And there's gonna be a whole lot more as we uh, do the Patreon. As we go along, we'll record more after we do uh, the recording of this tonight as we're recording this segment. And, uh, we'll have more next week in in our plug for the Patreon show. So, uh, yeah, you definitely want to be part of this. This is going to be an interesting show in many, many ways. A lot of stuff that you never heard of before from people you probably never heard of before. So, um, yeah, you'll get a lot of insight into the insanity of WCW behind the scenes. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up like the names you might not have heard before because I'm guessing this is going to be the first time that most of the people listening have heard of the likes of uh, Rick Reeves, not the same person as Hard Rock Ricky Reeves, uh, Boon fan, Sang Safan, and other uh, power plant people. So, who? Uh, a Laotian refugee who trained at the power plant and was one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit. What was that name again? I believe it's Boon Fan Sang Safan. That's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize is that like a bunch of the plaintiffs were uh, were power plant students who never really ended up wrestling for WCW. Oh, well. So, yeah, there's, there's reasons for that. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Taylor reasons. 
Well, he wasn't the only one, as we'll be talking well, about. Well, no, no. Not the only Paul at the power plant, either, who had anything to do with that. So $5 gets you access to that audio and all the audio that we've done and our almost seven complete years of the Patreon. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. Well worth that money. Dollar month gets you access to the Discord thanks in this segment. $25 lets you pick a show for the week. Now, when you do that, make sure that you have a couple shows in mind just in case the show that you may want us to do, maybe something that we've already talked about in the past or something that we've already got set up on the calendar for the future. So uh, do that, and uh, you should be all right. Then, of course, you uh, follow the protocol on the Patreon website to get that information to Bix. If you have any questions, ask me your Bix about that, and we'll uh, try to help you out regarding uh, show topic and whatever. And, uh, yeah, you do all that, you know, all the other rules, 30 year, 30 year, 30 day rules in effect, 10 year rules in effect, Wednesday, Tuesday, and a timeline, all that stuff. And we should be able to get your show on the air. $50 allows you send for a segment of that show if you choose and 100 for the whole show if you choose. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, big so I think this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, we'd like to thank Kyle F. Thanks, Kyle. And that's a uh, annual subscription there, too. 16% off of any of the tiers. Yes, so 50-40 for the $5 tier. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Pop. Thanks, Jeff. Adrian Pickworth. Thanks, Adrian. Who actually, by the way, said that uh, if we'd ever like to have him on uh, to discuss the Australian wrestling of uh, the early 2000s after we read his Observer letter on the WWA shows, then uh, we should reach out. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't put that together until you just said that. Yes. Yes. It took, like it, When he messaged me, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Wait, why didn't I, why didn't I make that connection sooner? He's been a patron before. <laughs> um, so, yes. Yes, he was the one that wrote the letter basically explaining – it was in the first part of the WWA shows, right? Like yeah. the landscape of Australian wrestling and the other tours that were bringing in Americans and all that when the uh, I Generation tour happened. So, thank you, Adrian. And uh, last pa- new patron, the only well, returning patron this week is uh, Prophet of Ash video. Thanks, Prophet of Ash. That's a uh, what's it? But that's a uh, Jeremy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we thank all of you, new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning, come along the way, left and came back. We thank all of you for your patronage at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, our streaming friends. I'm sure they have a lot going on as usual, Big. So what's going on in the streaming universe this week? Well, we're recording this uh, right before SCI Weekend starts on IWTV. With the we've already, WWE well, we've already talked about all that. No, we've I know. I'm just, I'm just setting the stage. Uh, before I get into this coming week's live streams, few uh, archival Jersey All-Pro titles have been uploaded to the on-demand library on IWTV. Um, is this the one I clicked on earlier? Yes. Okay. So I think it's – yeah, there are four, it looks like, that went up from the 2000s. Just clicked on random one. I, Jersey All-Pro Reboot from November 15, 2008. And this one's pretty interesting. So, among other matches, we have New Jersey State title Grim Reefer defending against Bandito Jr., a.k.a. WWE referee Eddie Orengo. 
LAX of Homicide and Hernandez defending the tag titles against the FBI of Little Guido and Tracy Smothers. That's a match. Uh, the Heavy Hitters versus the Maximos. DNA of Azrael and Dixie. Well, I guess Dixie and Azrael, but that's what it says here. Against the Briscoes. And in your main event, Kenny Omega defending his Jersey All-Pro heavyweight title against B-Boy. Yeah, he was there at the time of regular. Yep. That whole U.S. indie run of his is kind of forgotten, though. Well, he wasn't as big a star. He wasn't, but still, he's he's the champion of a well-known, well-drawing indie in a major metropolitan area. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is Rahway-era Jersey All-Pro. Yeah, just clicking on some of these other shows, like uh, Jersey City Unfinished Business, September 20th, 2008. Main event, Kenny Omega defending the title against Rhino. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> That's a very Jersey All-Pro match. So yeah, there are a few of these that went up, uh, so people should check those out. Always interesting stuff on those older Jersey All Pro shows. And now coming up this week on the live streams, uh, Wrestling Open has set, uh, they're going to have a match for their title, so that's already announced. Ishiban defending against uh, Gabriel Sky on Thursday night, starting at 8 o'clock, and that's of course, is on every week on IWTV at that time. Uh, there's a Chicago-style show. Uh, when is this? Sorry, my eyes are refocusing. Friday at 8.30 Eastern, that I'm mentioning mainly because Vic Capri is in action, as he is on most of these shows. And on his, I mean, I guess he can't call it a comeback run, because he never really went away after a certain point, right? I guess not. It was more like the like mid-2000s, where he kind of vanished, but he came back eventually. And probably, well, no, not probably, the main event of the IWTV shows this weekend, though, Sunday at 10 Eastern, Prestige with All Rise. Oh, that's in Asbury Park. Okay. I completely missed that that was happening. So they've got one of their usually loaded lineups for a show that includes uh, Robert Martyr against Jake Crist, uh, Manders against Alan Angels, Janai Kai versus... Uh, Returning to the U.S. How do, oh God, how do you pronounce your first name? Robbie Brookside's daughter. Is it Zaya? Ja? How do you pronounce it? Zaya. It is Zaya. Okay. Zaya Brookside. Makito versus Trisha Dora. Kira versus Speedball Mike Bailey. Malachi Black versus Kevin Blackwood. Uh, Prestige title, Alex Shelley defending against Jonathan Gresham. And, uh, oh, I missed also that uh, Colin Delaney is going to be there, teaming with Bobby Orlando against whoever Ace of Space is, who I'm not familiar with, so... Oh, wait, so wait, I gave the wrong start time because it's Eastern time. I was thinking Pacific time because it's prestige, but no, it's going to be su Sunday at 7 Eastern since it's in New Jersey and not Oregon or California. So if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign up and we'll get a referral from fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. Now... Fight TV, I guess, really, at least what's coming up this week, the main things are not live streams. They're going to show up on demand after the fact, because it's uh, this week is the uh, GCW Japan Tour. Okay. So we've got that coming up. And the, those shows are always fun, from uh, Shinkiba First Ring. And now, uh, I believe this is the first time they've done the tour as part of uh, Fight Plus with the subscription. 
so everyone can check out all the shows that way. <laughs> and also want to mention, because of the terrible schedule listing they have on the website, didn't mention that we'll be up on demand, you know, by the time people hear this, uh, AIW's biggest show of the year, Absolution. So check that out, of course, from our friends at the uh, Cleveland Territory as I'm trying to find a match listing since the show has not happened yet as we're recording this. Uh, did I click on the media tab? No, I didn't. That's the thing. Forget who I saw recommend this recently, and I was aware of it, but it really is great advice. If you're scrolling an indie promotions Twitter and you want to actually look for sh show announcements and match announcements and stuff, you click the media tab on their profile because that gets rid of all the retweets and stuff. And then you just see the match announcement graphics and whatnot. So, there you go. And God, everyone just needs to pin this stuff to their account. I don't know why they don't. But anyway, uh, so tinyurl.com slash btsfight. That's B-T-S-F-I-T-E. You can use that for either Fight Plus subscriptions or uh, Fight by pay-per-views. So, everyone check that out. Today's episode between the sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. You can use incognito mode, your internet service when you're browsing data, and meantime, even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts or reroutes your network to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider and network administrator. If a service in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access knows easy to use apps, browser extensions for all devices, a raw side privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, and it's just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. So Private Internet Access right now, you take advantage of it, especially the only four between the sheets listeners. We have three plans that we offer as part of our special deal. You get the monthly straight package at eleven ninety five a month. You can get a straight yearly package which discounts down to $3.33 a month for $39.95 a year, or you can get a three-year package plus four free months for $1.98 a month. It goes up to $79 for three years, 83% off. Amazing. What a bargain. Why is that? Because it's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get around 90 advantage of private internet, 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days. If you like it, if not, just turn it for a full refund. How do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash Twenty Sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we have a Patreon request to show by Mark Cole. And he wants us to go back to the year 2000 because he attended the show in Tijuana during our week that he's going to talk about. So a very interesting reason to do this show, different than most other shows reasons we've had in the past so that should be interesting to hear about that uh everything else in world of wrestling man they revolves around WF and wcw but they must have to stay the observer that we'll start to show off with wf we have fully loaded so we'll talk about that pay-per-view and raw smackdown and all the other notes going on there all japan running their first budokan show post split and the last show featuring noah talent under the all japan banner so we'll talk about that we got Big Show in New Japan. We got in Japanese indie scum stuff to talk about. All the other lucha going on. Um, ECW shooting the big angle with Billy Corgan. And what's the news on them possibly getting another TV contract with another network, which you've heard a lot on the Patreon shows in the past. Jim Cornette, Terry Landell, and all their drama going on in Knoxville. We'll talk about that. 
XPW running the big show in Los Angeles. We'll talk about that. And I talked about Australia a while ago. WCW's on tour in Australia. So we'll talk about that Australian tour. We'll have all the TV. Bill Goldberg and Booker T having quite the match. We'll talk about that. All kinds of other stuff. WCW uh, 2000 related, which is always a clusterfuck. So all that more next week on Between the Sheets. And Mark will be, of course, with us as the guest. So uh, a 2000 show for sure. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-C-E-L-N-E-R, show proper BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix, and we had the return of Dark Side of the Ring this week, Bix, and it was a uh, pretty great episode on Adrian Adonis, and one of the reasons why I thought it was great was it shined a whole new light on Adrian Adonis that not a lot of people knew about as a behind-the-scenes. Yes. Especially the family man, Adrian Adonis. Yeah, I feel like you could get a little of an idea from, like, what was it, Entertainment Tonight, that his widow was on shortly after he died? Like, you, Yeah, but you, you, he had both his daughters on this on this show yes, talking about yes. that. Yeah, I mean, the, and it was, like, I forget, I think it was Brett who they had kind of explained, like, he was a completely different guy on the road, he was this big party animal, but it wasn't, like, Jekyll and Hyde, it was just, like, it wasn't the drugs making him do anything. It was just at home. He was this wonderful husband and father. And on the road, he's a guy who liked to party. And yeah. you know, his drug problems, he get out of control, as they discuss. But it seemed like for whatever reason, he maybe because he is on the road so much, he's not home that much. He was able to separate it in a way that like. It seems like his wife and his daughters never saw, like, the drugged-up side of him. No. They specifically basically said they never saw that in him. He kept that on the road. He didn't bring it home. He didn't bring his, his work home with him. And that's very rare for wrestlers. Very rare. Yeah. And, and I mean, the way his, his wife was... I don't think, I mean, she didn't outright say it, but I'm pretty sure she knew that Adrian probably had road women. It, it, but... She kind of implied there was an arrangement. Yeah. Because she said, she, the way she talked about it, like she said, I didn't ask questions, but she didn't seem like upset about it. No. She just was in love with this man and, uh,. That happens a lot in these situations, you know. Um, and I mean, they know they know that okay. their spouse is a celebrity and their temptations there, but they love them for who they are, and they're like, "Well, you know, okay." Well, also, like specifically on that '80s WWF touring schedule, like even setting aside the drugs, like you think of how it was Brett's main vice and everything, like. Can you really blame them barely ever remembering which town or time zone they're in wanting to have someone to wake up to in the morning? It's on, among other tough, things. It's a tough time exactly. for any entertainer to stay committed. It happens. There's some that do. It's tough. But it seems like he it, was able it to... It does happen. But again, it seems like he was able to separate whatever went on on the road... Yeah. From his relationships. Yeah. 
the fact that he's you know doing the gimmick he's doing on the road and the late and you know in his last part of the WF career you know doing the gay gimmick and all that stuff which they touched on all that and uh you know i mean that's a tough gimmick to do in 1986 87 especially the since height, uh, the height of aids well and also especially since like you know they showed the clip from tnt and you know uh pollock pointed this out in his and ways you know review like unlike a lot of these other gimmicks he explicitly went on tv and said i'm gay Mm-hmm. yeah exactly literally there's an episode of tnt it's on the network you can find me and other people tweeting the video where the whole thing is he is coming out as gay yeah as a straight man and the other thing is like you can tell from that segment and some of the other stuff he did, not everything, it's still an incredibly offensive negative stereotype. You get the feeling he, in trying to prove he can make the gimmick work, you could tell there are, mo- there are moments where he's trying to make it less of a stereotype. Because, like, you watch that TNT segment, they didn't show the whole thing, like, to really get that feel for it, but, like, you watch it, the promo he cuts is not a heel promo. He is firing up like a babyface. Well, the thing is, though, I mean, here's the difference. I mean, he's coming out as gay, but he's still Adrian Adonis. But as far as who he is in his core, he's wearing on this ridiculous get up or whatever. Well, you're right. He never changed his promo style. He never changed his demeanor. He's not kissing on men or anything like that. He, he, he's not doing that type of thing. No, you know? he doesn't do. He doesn't do the Adrian Streets check or anything like that in the matches. No, no. Adrian Street did more of a gay stick than Adrian Adonis did, but Adrian Street was not his thing. Was like we talked about before in this show, mind games. Because the, the the we all know he's not gay. That's the gimmick, but he, yeah. But, yeah. But he's doing it to fuck with the guys. Yes. So there's your, there's your difference. And then, of course, they, you know, we, and we knew this was going to happen. And they need, and I'm glad they, they talked about it as much as they did, the, the Danny Spivey fight. Yes. And, you know, Spivey talking about how they made peace before Adrian's death. Which was nice to hear. Yeah, at Ribera's. And they're talking about how Adrian was starting to get back right again. You know, he lost 100 pounds and was starting to get in shape. And he was back with New Japan. And we talked about previously in this show before, who's to say that he isn't in the, in the NWA in 1989 with George Scott? Well, and I mean, also, Murdo- Murdoch's there. And also, I mean, it's I buy the drug issues we're clearing up. He was clearing we're clearing up for him because everyone seemed pretty much in agreement that it was the drug issues that fueled the weight gain. Well, yeah, that's the talking point on the show more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, he gained, he gained some weight, but he gained a lot of weight once he really got hooked on the drugs. Yes. Who was it in the episode? It was, oh, it was Brunzel, I think, that was like, you, you're so tired after you eat if you're a wrestler on the road that if you're, like, gorging yourself from getting hung, you know, hungry because you were doing drugs... You just end up falling asleep and not working out, was the way he put it. And one thing, again, you know, talk about too, they had pretty much the almost the perfect panel. Yes. 
They had his childhood buddy who he had a bit of an yeah. underworld I, thing with. Yeah, that guy. I mean, that guy was something else. I, I'm curious about the more reading more than that guy because he said when he when Adonis Daddy was in federal prison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gotta so, look him up. Yeah, because his uh, what was it? it was something Gugino. Frank Gugino. But yeah, he's in. So him, Bret Hart, Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel. Yeah, Bret was fantastic in that. Um, which I knew he admired Adrian Adonis. I did not know how close they were. Well, somebody tweeted the picture today where he he drew all the the talent for that WrestleMania in the nineties, and then he drew Adrian Adonis as an angel. Yes, plucking a harp. Yeah, it was um it was the drawing he gave to Andre at WrestleMania six. Yeah, and he was he was Adrian Adrian been dead two years uh, almost. Like, I didn't realize, but I didn't really, like, he wasn't a pallbearer, but I forget what the term that was used. But he was, like, he and Nightheart and I think someone else were, like, the honorary, like, not pallbearers, but close to it at the at the funeral. And they showed a picture of him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and just everyone had an important piece in it. And also, in terms of where to make the edits on his career of the episodes where they had to cut a lot out of someone's career, this is by far the best episode of the season in terms of where to make those edits. And it helped because Adrian mainly stayed WWF or AWA. Once he became he a star. He yeah. had the Southwest run, which they could have touched on that. They could have because he was made world champion by Lutez. But they didn't, and I get it. But, uh, but yeah, they they definitely did a great job in every way on this episode, uh, as far as uh, telling the story. Yeah, I mean, Greg Gagne was great. Greg Gagne was the most likable he's ever been in any of these things. Yeah, I mean, talking about like one of the first TVs after they brought Adonis back in in you know eighty seven. Which they showed the wrong footage, but yes, it's whatever. They showed they showed the footage from from Wisconsin. He was talking about the Vegas match, but whatever. It doesn't really matter know, for I, these purposes. Yeah, but uh, uh-huh. um, and it's a month, month difference, so really nothing much there. And he's like, you know, Adrian's like four hundred pounds, and like before, you know, even when he was bigger, he could still do all the same stuff. Now he could barely go ten minutes, and Greg's just like. He basically had a come to Jesus like discussion with him in the locker room after, like, Adrian, what the hell happened to you? And Greg seemed to think that that helped wake him up. Yeah. So, uh, hell of an episode. If you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. And I mean, that's yeah. not even talking about the stuff with the accident. Yeah. Oh, God, Mike Kelly. Yes. Oh, man. I felt so bad for him. What, a, what an amazing man he is. Yes. I mean, just talking about him and his brother, how close they were, and just losing him like that. Oh, Losing your identical twin. I mean, oh. I mean, the way Way put it, and he's right, I don't think Mike Kelly says it in the episode, but like, you know, having this car accident, waking up, and then seeing your twin brother, identical twin brother, dead next to you. Oof. And then Ricky Johnson, The Rock's uncle, Rocky's brother, talking about he was almost on that in that van. 
But yeah. there wasn't enough room. Well, so no, there was ride. enough room. No. It was that Phil Watson was right there, too, and just honked his horn and was like, hey, Ricky, ride with us. Yeah. That's like Waylon Jennings not going on the plane with Buddy Holly shit right there. Yeah. I mean, I also – I mean, I don't want to get too deep into it, but, like, I didn't realize Adrian didn't die on impact either. I didn't realize, like, he was, like, screaming for help and stuff. Yeah, just – And confirming that, that there were new, newspaper clippings and everything about the ring crew guy robbing them. Oh, well, they're dead yeah. and dying. Oh, just fucking terrible. So, which I had never yeah. heard about till recently. Yeah, so everybody go watch that. Yeah, hell uh, of an episode. Yeah, next week it's gonna be interesting. Uh, it's gonna be on Abdullah. It was a ri- and, yeah, it was originally gonna be Bash at the Beach, but they switched the two episodes. The uh, in the uh, promo package for the show, it focused heavily on Hannibal. So that should be quite the show. Next Did they week. interview him? Yes. Okay. He's I, a talking head. Okay. So a commercial. Here's the thing: if you're talking about the dark side of the duel, you have to talk about it, and like I, you do. And here's the thing: whatever anyone thinks of Hannibal, a lot of it justified. I don't think there's any argument that he was not horribly wronged by Abby. It's, I'm definitely going to be uh, curious to see how this is, how all this is portraying. Yes. So. Uh, you mean especially now that uh, Hannibal has taken his own liberties with uh, cutting folks? Because I remember, I'm trying to remember who it was in the commercial. I haven't. Yeah, I three, didn't see the promo. I think it was maybe Tony Alice. That was like talking shit on Hannibal or something. So, yeah. Because for whatever reason, when I watch it on Philo, unless I'm just, it's always like if it's at a time I'm getting up or something. Like the commercials they run on there, it, I guess it runs on top of the regular commercials. So I don't see the promo for next week. Any, anytime you say Philo, I think a fucking virtual will lose. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say Philo Doe, but okay. No, Philo Beto, Clint Eastwood's character on Virtual will lose. A fantastic movie. But anyway, yeah, I mean, a hell of an episode. The Abby one, I'm very curious about. So then. So you uh, haven't seen the preview yet? No. Okay. So then Bash at the Beach is the week after that, and then Bam Bam Bigelow, and then Marty Jannetty is it, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I think this week was episode six, right? Yeah. So, I mean, overall, I would say a fairly solid season so far. Um, but I think this week, the Adonis episode and the Graham family episode stand pretty clear among the rest of the pack as the best of the season so far. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes next week. All right. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right. Let's go to Mexico now. And Triple R. The return to Ignacio Juan de la Barrera in Mexico City draws up 10,600 fans on July 15th. With Los Hermanos Dinamita and La Parca beating Conan, Liz Mart, Pedro Aguayo, Mascara Sagrada in the main event. Reportedly, they turned down 5,000 fans away at the door for the show. The show aired uh, two days later in Mexico, which is quicker than usual to arrive for this group. They were on CMLL time doing that, but uh, yeah, because they usually were a week, and then uh, the show would air 
about a week later or so. So yeah, that is a quick turn. And Tape in Mexico City helped that out. So probably that's one thing. All right. Uh, the four matches we have from this taping, Espiritu, Fresita Guerrera, Jerito Estrada. They beat Mascarilla Sagrada, Microcon, and Otegoncito. Then uh, Los Tostratores, Rocco Valente, Tony Arce, and Volcano over Ave Phoenix. Sergio Romo Jr. and Triton. Io de Santo, Octagon, and Rey Mysterio Jr. over Bupanta, Fas Guerrero, and Sicosis. And Cien Caras and the Dinamitas. Um, Cien Caras and the Dinamitas. Cien Caras, Mascarilla de Smil, Universal de Smil, over Conan, these Mark Mascarilla Sagrada, and Pedro Aguayo. Then they tape TV uh, three days later. And, uh, if it's in Leon, it's probably Domo de la Feria in front of 6500 on the 18th. We have uh, Los Articos and Mayflowers, Pipinella Escalada, and The Rose over Los uh, Diabolicos. I don't Marabunta, Mr. Condor, about his qualification in a two star match. Evi Metal, Latin Lover, and Volador over Jerry Estrada, Misterioso, and Rambo, two and a half stars. We have Mexican National Heavyweight title match as Lee's Mark retained his title over La Parca in a three and a third star match. Oh, gee, I wonder whose star ratings those are then. Dr. Lucha. Yeah. Because he was had the third star ratings. Yeah. Then we have the Dinamitas, Cien Caras, Vascaño de Smith, Universal de Smith, Vacona, Mascaras, Garadas, Pero Aguayo, by disqualification, two stars. And then a Mascara Contra Mascara match, Micro Conan over Jerito Estrada by countout. No stars listed for that one. Okay. So wait, that was mask versus hair, I guess. I guess this is mask versus mask. We have mask versus hair. It's Dorito Estrada. Dorito Estrada never had a mask. No, so, he didn't. So it's Mascara Contra Caballero. That also must be a really weird match to watch. I didn't even remember they had a feud or anything because, for those not aware, you know, Dorito Estrada is a five foot tall mini he's right at the official limit you know he's one of the tallest ones of the triple a ones you know cmll would have various minis that were really over five feet but it was less of a thing in triple a um micro conan was one of the micros which for those who are not familiar um the minis are who you remember, you know, more proportional. Mikro would be like Suki. That's, he's a Mikro. No, 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 no. It wasn't a size thing. Suki's not a Mikro. It, I mean, it was, I'm trying to figure out the most politically correct and effective way to say this. The smaller of the minis were proportional, very athletic dwarves. The Micros were smaller, I mean, relatively athletic. They tried hard. They worked their asses off. But the, you know, less proportional bow-legged dwarves, and they had previously been like the 80s minis, who did more of an American, you know, quote-unquote midget wrestling style. Yeah, you're right. Suki's not a a Micro. I don't know why I'm sticking him. But yes. But, um... And, you know, the re- they didn't – most of them didn't last long because they had enough physical issues that trying to work a more physical style couldn't really work in the long term. But a couple, you know, stuck around. I guess mainly Microcon and uh, Forsita Guerrera and I guess Microvolador lasted a little while, right? Yeah. 
But, but just to give you guys the well, Mikro Conan was three foot two. Yeah, it being its own division did not last long. <laughs> but that's that's the thing, though. So you have these cute guys here who are almost two feet apart in height. On top of everything else, so I'm very curious to watch this match on YouTube and see what it looks like. It'd be like Andre wrestling some dude, I guess. I mean, Andre never wrestled anyone he was that much taller than that I could think of. I mean, that we have video of. Some of the job guys he was wrestling was uh, was like five, six, seven sometimes. I mean, mean, the main thing I'm thinking of is like Big John Harris in Memphis. Well, yeah. But anyway, so there's that. Apparently, there was a major office robbery this past week. Don't know all the details, but Antonio Payne received a phone call threatening his life and a warning not to be in the office one day. He would anyway. Five gunmen showed up and pistol whipped one of the employees and stole $15,000 in cash. <sighs> a lot of those in the office and destroyed the fax machine. There are no leads or suspects in the case. Sounds like an inside job to me. Because why would they go for the fax machine? Why would a robber destroy a fax machine? I mean, that's just weird. Why would anyone destroy the fax machine? <laughs> this is Lucha in this era. That I'm, you know, enemies are there. And I'm not pointing a finger by in CML or anything. But what's the point but, of destroying the fax machine is what I'm saying. Enemies are there. It could have been indie promoters. I mean, it could have been. There's no telling who was the one that uh, ordered this to go down. Also, who are all these employees who are leaving their personal jewelry in the office? That's a little weird. Yeah, it is a weird story altogether. Yeah, I don't know what to think. But also, it's clearly someone who did not want to harm Pena and the office staff. Most of the office staff, at least. Like, hey, Pena and Warren not to show up. Well, so, yes, yeah, so they didn't want to harm Pena. I mean, they did pistol whip one of the people. But, but I'm saying, I mean, they gave Pena the Warren not to show up, but he didn't anyway. But, yeah, there there their... are a couple things here that don't make sense, so I, I don't know. Yeah, weird story. But, yeah, what was that? I, I was pulling up the uh, Estrada uh, Microconon match. Oh, we've got uh, Mini Torantes here as the referee. Well, I would hope so. I mean, he looks more like Micro Tirantes, and of course. So we've got uh, we got our seconds here being uh, Mascarita Sagrada and Microconon's corner, and of course uh, Espectrito and Torito Estrada's corner. And yeah, oh. oh, and oh, oh, he's got the lush, beautiful Jerry Estrada hair too. So he looks even bigger than. <laughs> than he would otherwise compared to uh, mm-hmm. Miko Kaonan. Mm-hmm. Alright, Fabuloso Blonde is returning. He did an interview in the magazine saying he was going to form a tag team with Black Magic. Norman Smiley, who is still a CMLO headliner. Which, that does not happen. Norman does not leave. So... Maybe he's going to form a tag team with him on the Indies. Who knows, but it definitely wasn't in AAA. So... There is that. Speaking of CBLL, this is the dark ages for them. July 12th, Rick Coliseo in front of a thousand fans. Aliado and Asheri Jr. over Duende and Pegaso. Escudero Rojo, Rebecca Nero, and Reyes Vellos over Nipico, Olympus, and Ultimatum. 
Future Electroshock, Domino Guerrero, Guerrero de Futuro, and Guerrero Maya of El Terreno, Josiero and Solar, number two. Blue Demon Jr., Ildo Solitario, and Hayabusa. Over Control Mendoza, Hakimate, and Mochacota. And Mila Chalice Jr., Mano Negra, Negro Casas, over Bazar de Oro, Bazar de Pot, and El Brazo. Then we go July 15th, Arena Mexico. Blue Demon Jr., Ildo Solitario, and Hayabusa. Carrying his team. Uh, beat Cachorro Mendoza, Hakimate, and Mochacota. Elantis, Pegasus Kid, Crispin Law, and Narada Disco Jr., over Bestia Savaje, Mila Chavez Jr. and Pedroff. Interesting. And then uh, Simon Latrio's titles as Lo La Ola Blanca, Dato Banda Jr., Ildo Gladiador, and Gran Marcos Jr. retained over uh, El Dandy, Silver King, and El Tejano. <laughs> so we got Hayabusa and Benoit here at uh, Simon at this time. Yes, uh, almost exactly three months since they were both in the J-Cup. <laughs> and a a rare Benoit similar appearance. He didn't do many of these. So. He, he did a decent amount in like late 93, early, like early to mid 94. Yeah. But that but was still. Yeah. He was mainly a UWA guy. Previously. Yeah, he wasn't going to Mexico much after UWA ended. So, yeah. WBC, Puerto Rico. Next show on July 16th. It's Trujillo Opto. We have Muhammad Hussein, Lou Fabiano over Gator McAllister. Tahitian Warrior over Pocorosito. I said Rosario over El Exotico. Carlos Colon retained the television title. Yes. The TV title. Uh, beating Fidel Sierra. Those two tag titles. Rey Gonzalez and El Bronco, numero uno, retained over the Bruise Brothers, Ron and Don Harris by disqualification. <laughs> Universal heavyweight title. Dutch Mantel. Retain going to a no contest of Invader 1. And then our main event in a lights-out match. Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert went to a double disqualification with Ray Gonzalez. So yes, a double DQ and a lights-out match. I mean, it's not sanctioned. It doesn't mean it can't. Still. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a lights-out match, which usually is no rules. Also, if Cage Match is accurate here, one of the rare times that the Bruise Brothers were actually called Ron Bruise and Don Bruise and not Ron and Don Harris. Yeah, that had last happened in Memphis in 88. And even then, I think that's when they first came in, and then by the end of that run, I think they're Ron and Don Harris. Well, they, yeah, they, yeah, they go by their name eventually. Yeah. Yes, Hearthrob Babyface uh, Harris twins. Well, that's what they were. Well, I guess also you have to call them Ron and Don Bruise if you have a new Bruise Brothers tag team in Memphis of just a few years removed from the Blues Brothers-inspired Bruise Brothers. Yes. I wonder what they would have thought of the uh, the the music video that the previous Bruise Brothers did. Uh, I don't think they would have uh, talked too much about that. <laughs> because uh, Dream Machine probably would have uh, done something. Oh yeah. He, yeah, if they over if they overlapped at all, he probably would have stabbed um, them. Yes. Well, they were. I think they may have had an intersection in, in their '94. Because yeah. Dream's there, and I think they do come through for a cup of coffee there in '94. So mm-hmm. it's possible. Yeah. Okay, and I did check. So Benoit starts CMLL, works like the 
last week of September, beginning of October, in Arena, Mexico, and then he comes back for this July run. So yeah, very rare sh- set of shows there. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing he works some outside of, you know, Arena Coliseo and Arena Mexico, but it's you know mid '90s Mexico. It's not like we have all of the results. No. All right, let's go to the territories. Well, not territories. We're in the 90s. Let's go to the indies now. <laughs> Still stuck in the 80s last week. All right, let's go to the CWA, the Century Wrestling Alliance. They ran a show in Springfield, Massachusetts on July 16th. We have Crystal Blue over Brittany Brown. Big City Mike over the Executioner. El Mascarado over Astro Man. Tony Rumble over El Loco. The Troublemakers, Chaos and Mayhem over Scott Taylor and Vic Steamboat. Scotty Too Hotty and Vic Steamboat. Superfly Jimmy Snook over Metal Maniac in a match that never happened before. And uh, Doink the Clown over Tony Atlas. A definite CWA show. So who do we think's Doink here, Bix? That's an interesting question given who the promoter is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, since it was a Tony Rumble show. Hmm. Do we think it's possible that Ray Apollo is able to take out dates? He's not. There's nobody on that card that would be a doink. As, as far as double duty. Yes. And Matt Bourne has just been sued. Or is that it in 95? It's 95. Okay. Okay. It's possible it's born. It's definitely possible it's born. I mean, it's still the Northeast. It's and just, and it, no, no it's double just, duty. It's just that being that the doink in the WWF at the time is a Tony Rumble guy, it makes you wonder. Yeah. Well, is now, I mean, is doink wrestling on WWF on the 16th? Or? Well, let me look. I'm... Uh, the 16th of July, 94, we got, uh, WF in Plattsburgh, New York. With what the hell is this show? It, well, it's not doing it because they, they were just in Germany on the 15th. And Doink was, no, but wasn't Doink, <sighs> weren't they using Steve Kern as secondary Doink at this point, or... Still, or no? I don't know. There's a torch item around this time about multiple doinks. But you're... Okay. I, I bet if... Kern, it could be Kern in Germany and uh, Apollo in America working for Tony Rumble. Yeah. If in the situation they're in, they probably don't give a shit right now. I mean, and I don't feel like Tony Rumble is someone that would necessarily just book a random as Doink in this era. No. And if he was going to use someone like that, I don't think he would call him Doink. I think he would call him the funny clown or the wrestling clown or whatever. Yeah. So, maybe? Possible. What an international tour. I mean, I know we'll talk about it later, but what a tour they have going on during that (laughs) steroid trial. Oh, they got... Yeah, it's something. (laughs) It is something. So... And, yeah, Jimmy Snook and Metal Maniac. Again, never happened before. Never happened again, either. Mm-mm. All right, let's go to 
Eastern Championship Wrestling. And we have the TV report from The Torch. Terry Funk opened the show saying, even though he's wrestling WCW, ECW is still the place to be. I'm sure WCW would love to hear that. A clip then aired of Tasmania beating up Pitbull in a dog collar match. And Pitbull 2 made his debut in Attack Taz. So there we go, Pitbull 2. This is from uh, Hostile City Showdown. Yes. So, yeah, the beginning of the Pitbulls as a unit in ECW. Yeah, they've just been, uh, just been Gary Wolf up to this point. Yeah, and this was highlights of uh, part of the ECW's last TV show. Then we have Tasmania pinning Jimmy Snooker, managed by Hunter Q. Robbins at the Normalized Suplex. Robbins got angry and called Snooker a monkey boy. Tasmania got stepped between them, but it was an attack by the Pitbulls. Snooker was tempted to save Taz, but Robbins dragged them back. Taz got the advantage on his own. So there's that. Yeah. And this is the end of Snooker in ECW, I think. Yes, pretty much. It's, it's crazy he went that long. He, he was almost there when ECW became a strange change of wrestling. Wow. Mikey Whipper beat the Sandman by disqualification when Iron Man Tommy Cairo attacked Sandman with Sandman's person on the top rope smoking a cigarette about to dive on the Mikey. Mikey thus retained the TV title. So, yeah, Mikey can't do nothing. Nobody. And he, he wins his, and he's winning matches. That's the gimmick. Public Enemy found a secret partner in a deserted warehouse for their main event later in the show, which we'll talk about. Then we get Shane Douglas. Of course, we know Ric Flair is uh, about to wrestle Hulk Hogan at Bash at the Beach. And Shane Douglas has some thoughts on his uh, former boss, so to speak, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Something Mr. Hughes... The entire wrestling world, all of ECW is trying to figure out just what the possible scenarios can be. As a successful quarterback all through my life, I've always had a great offensive line in front of me. And as quarterback, I'm telling you the offensive line. If somebody gets in my way, big man, take care of them. That's right. 911, I got something for you. You think you're going to get in front of this man? Well, let me tell you this. He don't pay me a lot of money just to stand around the ring and look pretty. Boy, you get in this man's way, I got something for you. Don't nobody make a fool out of me. I ain't no Mikey Rippick. I don't know. <laughs> That's weird. Shut out to if he is. So, which way does not mention? You get in this man's way, I am going to take you out. <laughs> you can call it insurance if you'd like. And there you can see, because I'm playing the Reese dub version, uh, what got cut out of the promo from them having to edit the music out of that on the network. Like, this Saturday night, we find out what the future of wrestling is all about, what the future of ECW is all about. I claim to be 
the real deal. Because I am the man that wears the gold, and I do it day in and day out by blood, sweat, and tears. I've spent 12 years in this sport to be the best, to show why I am the best. And that's why in 1994 and in 2004, they'll be calling the franchise wrestling, the epitome of what wrestling is all about. They got some guy called Bret Hart that calls himself the execution of excellence. I've invited him to Philadelphia, my background, to come down and find out who's best, who's toughest, who is the greatest wrestler in the world. No exception. And he hasn't accepted the invitation. I look down to Atlanta. I've called the nature boy on his own game. Woo! Come up to Philadelphia and find out who's the great one. He hasn't accepted the invitation either. You know something, Curtis Hughes? The other day, I'm flipping through my channel with my thumb because my thumb's as good as the rest of my body. I'm flipping through, and I thought I saw Sensational Sherry, so I stopped and I said, oh, my God, there's Sensational Sherry. And it sure as heck was her. She was sitting there with Bob Barker, or so I thought. <laughs> it wasn't Bob Barker, 72 years old. It was that old piece of dried up nature boy Ric Flair. <laughs> Sherry took a wrong turn. You see, Sherry's gone the other path. Everybody else has gone the other path. But the wrestling world is looking at ECW. The reason they're looking at ECW is because big man here and the franchise, Shane Douglas. This Saturday night, Sabu, you get a taste of it up close and personal with the franchise. <laughs> Okay, um, he hasn't fully quite, uh, figured, excuse me, quite fully figured out the franchise yet at this point, because, uh, Chris, who does the delivery and the cadence of that promo remind you of? Uh, I don't know where you're going with this. Ric Flair? In a way, I guess. He's not doing a Flair promo, but he's doing the beats of a Flair promo. The rhythm of it is a Flair promo. <laughs> I guess so. I really didn't gather that, but well, I, it's, I, I'll put it this way: you know, Terry Funk talks about be about getting his promo style from King Curtis. He's not doing King Curtis, but when you think about it, he's doing the same He's doing the same rhythm and delivery and all that, even if he's not doing the voice and the gimmick. Yeah, I guess. So that's what I'm saying about this. It is funny that Sherry Shane's ex valet is now in those who Flair. Yes. A funny part of that st story. Which was also not originally the plan anyway. Yeah. But, uh, so there you go. As uh, Shane's uh, Ric Flair uh, hatred will soon intensify even more as we go along here. Alright, so next we get a friend of the show, Chad Austin. And uh, he had an interesting uh, week, so to speak, on the TV. He was booed on the previous week against Sabu, even though he was the underdog babyface. Sabu was the heel. So Chad came to the ring and decided he was going to take it out on the fans. Let's go to the clip. Oh, wait, we have an ad. Or not. Or not. <laughs> wait, what is this? A I'm assuming this is a national ad for something if it's in the Reese Dub version. It's RCA, RCA commercial, it looks, yeah. They had a national ad for RCA. It looks that way. Because, yeah, that's the thing. It's like the, the Reese Dub stuff. No, it's, it's the appliance store. 
Okay, that's, that's what it is. American All Appliance right. in now, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. All right, so now we go to Chad Austin. Yeah. This Saturday night here in the ECW Arena, the future of pro wrestling will be decided as the franchise Shane Douglas goes one-on-one with Sabu. Chad Austin making his way to the ring. I like that Eastern Championship. Down much more yeah. energetic. The mic. Yeah, Tom, we can hear you. You know, last week on TV, I came out here against Sabu. A pretty good beating, too. Everybody. Oh, he doesn't. Oh, wait, I didn't mean to meet that. Uh, how did I do that? Sabu. What I meant to say. Sabu. I meant to pause it. Um. He doesn't sound like he's from Balmer at all. No, he does not. Not at all. A pretty good beating, too. Everybody cheers for the almighty circus freak, Sabu. What did he say? What did he... That's because all you guys are insiders. Who's from the You know another word Inside. for insiders? Like for fans. Yeah. Hey, do you know another word for insiders there with the head? They come Jason and the Rock. Hey, you with the side. It's scumbag. What did he say? Oh, you guys are scumbag. He can't say that. Well, he said it. He sure as hell said it. Sad. What's wrong with Chad Austin? His entire fan club is here. There's 45, 50 people chanting, go Chad. Hey, go. Rebel. Hey, Rebel. I got a present for you. A present for the Rebel. I hope it's brass knucks. What's he doing? He's laying down. Why is he laying down? Okay. <laughs> what the hell happened in the crowd that Paul felt editing the TV had to do a digital zoom on Ron and Charlie's video toaster? <laughs> Who knows? What the hell? It's very obvious, too. Yeah. And because we're watching the Reese Dub version, we know this is not something that happened on the network that got messed with. Yeah. Huh. Pin me, Rebel! Come on! Pin me! Pin me? Is it... And then they switch away from the hard cam. Hat Guy and Sign Guy were reacting to something to their left. Yeah. Someone in the crowd was doing something. But... Yo, yeah. he's got some chat off, he's no, got no, some no, sleep! No, 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 no. Rebel's got it. One. There's the count. Chad Austin just threw the match in front of his entire fan club. He just gave the one, two, three to the Rocket Rebel. Why did he do that? I dedicate that lock to all you scumbags. What did he you say? You cheer for me. Every time you guys cheer for me, it just proves what kind of scumbags everybody in South Philadelphia is. This kid's bitter. This kid's jealous. You know, he's jealous of the East. Hey, Chad Austin. Wait a minute. Thank you. You're my toughest opponent. You know that? Jason, I think I hurt my shoulder there, buddy. Dark has a personified. What do you say, Jason? Don't forget it, buddy. This Saturday night, Chad Austin gets his chance at glory. He's going to face Mikey Whipwreck. Replay? Replay of what? Chad Austin faces Mikey Whipwreck this Saturday night, and odds are in Chad Austin's favor. Mikey would love to lose the belt to this guy. Stop getting those hellacious beatings. 
Tommy Caro. Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting segment. Yes. Rebel. Ch- Chad definitely would have gotten more chances, more places in a different era later on. Because he could talk, good worker, take great bumps, but he was a smaller guy. So, yeah. That's the way it was back then. Well, and, and he's all, he was always going to the stigma of New Jack. Well, once that whole thing happened, yes. <laughs> He'll be forever remembered for that. Anyway. Tommy stinking Cairo. Tommy Cairo. I can't stand looking at your face. I can't stand your name. I can't stand the stench of you. Do you think you are? Saying then first it was your ex-wife trying to cane me. Now Tommy Cairo's trying to cane me. I guess what one can't have, one must cane. Have you banged enough things in my life, Cairo? You wanna bang Cairo? You wanna bang Cairo? You wanna bang with me, Cairo? Pay me for my house! Pay me for my wife! Pay me for my cars, Cairo! You're gonna have to pay your bill! Pay your bill, Cairo! You wanna bang? I can bang all night long! I'm drawing a blank on the name. Let Love Rule by Lenny Kravitz. His first okay, yeah, yeah, single. Yeah. Maybe it's best song. Um, so, by the way, and you know, obviously the stuff's on the network too. I feel like the way everyone's always pointed to 95, 96 ECW as the best, I think one thing that people miss if they're not checking out the 94 stuff, because she starts cutting a lot less promos in 95, is just how good Nancy got on the mic. Well, 94's good. No, but what I'm saying just, is, though, it's like... It's the table for the other years. But she talks so much less in 95 that if you don't check out the 94 stuff, you don't get to see how good a promo she began. She's a different character in a way. And, and you know, as Sandman evolves as a different type of character, Sandman talks less, you know, in 95. Yes. It becomes a different version of Sandman as the year goes on. As a character, 94 Sandman, I think, is certainly the best. Um, yeah, in the early 95, yeah. And yeah. honestly, I mean, I don't think Nancy gets nearly enough credit for helping him get over, too. Well, she's a big part of that, yeah. Absolutely. You know, you know here you have, like, friggin' Mr. Sandman all of a sudden turning heel into this. It doesn't work nearly yeah. as well without her there. No, no, she was definitely a, a, a big part of that. Absolutely. 
everybody's wondering about the future of oh, wrestling, if there even is a future for professional wrestling. The world's largest and most successful wrestling promoter is on trial in federal court in New oh, York. Boy. And emulating what Vern Gagne did in 1922 sure ain't the future of wrestling. <laughs> for as even Terry Funk, 50 years old and a former world heavyweight champion, and in the main event in a barbed wire match this Saturday night, will tell you wrestling has grown into one of two possible evolutions. The natural progression into the wrestler, the athlete, like the franchise Shane Douglas, or this whole new bizarre violent concept which has been spirited by the suicidal death-defying maneuvers of Sabu. This Saturday night, the future of professional wrestling will be determined. And Shane Douglas, can you imagine what Sabu will do? What kind of death-defying maneuvers he will invent to prove to you that he's the future? We walk away this Saturday as the future of wrestling, even if we have to OJ Simpson your ass. Oh boy! Oh well. <laughs> it's yes. I not even a month at, uh, after that. Uh no. But, uh, I mean, it's basically a month. Kind of yeah. Yeah, because it was the the twelfth is the actual murder, right? Yes. Yes. The chase is the seventeenth. So, yeah. so yeah, it's exactly a month. Yeah. Um, I mean, this isn't his best, but as we've talked about before, like, stubbly, bearded, backwards cap Paulie might actually be the best Paulie. Yeah, I've got an edge. All right, are we playing Mick, uh, too? No. No? No. Is this just a replay of the Hostile City promo? Um, yes, I even mentioned in the uh, notes. So, we didn't think enough about to mention it. Curious what it oh, is. It's... And, oh, it's, oh, it's, he was voicing over. Okay, yeah, they must have been playing that promo over clips from Hostile City Showdown. So, um, Public Enemy in the guest hoodie, didn't say who that was, lost to. Okay, there you go. Tommy Dreamer and the Funks. Okay, there he is. It is Hat Myers, That's right. When Tommy Dreamer pinned Hat Myers. After a match, a 20-man pull-apart brawl ensued. That's a lot of people brawling. So there is Eastern Championship Wrestling Television for our week. Yes, as we get to one of the last uh, free uh, admission ECW TV tapings. So um, way noted that, real quick, the way noted the strong points were Chad Austin was believable. It was a great program. And Shane Douglas was shocking. Okay. Oh, I forgot the spiders are in ECW at this point. Or at least the spider, at least Glenn Ruth. Or is that both of them? Oh, yeah, it's both of them. I guess. Yeah. So, anyway, something funny happened at the end of the Bar Bar match on July 16th at the ECW Arena, Heat Wave 94. After a bloodbath where the Funk Brothers and Public Enemy and were approximately 80 chairs in the ring. Terry Funk wrapped, in bar, wrapped up in barbed wire with a garbage can stuck to his chest and a brawl, which went out of the building in the parking lot while dozens of the elderly were arriving at the building for their weekly Saturday night midnight bingo. The East Arena doubles the bingo hall. The fans gave both wrestlers in the show standing ovation and then chanted ECW, ECW. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. The bingo thing, that was a midnight deal. Which I always wondered about that. Who are these old people who are going to play bingo at midnight on Saturday night? And the thing is, is that ECW always run their shows, so they read on Saturday night. So they had to be done and out of there 
<laughs> for the midnight bingo. That must have changed, though, because there are shows in to. the future that go past midnight. Had to change. Had to. But anyway. The folks who bring you It's Not For Everyone Wrestling, Eastern Change Wrestling Philadelphia, ran their monthly card East Arena before by 850 of the hardest core feds of the country. The converted bingo hall is even smaller and more dingy in person than it appears on television. And Dave does say you could put more than 1,000 in the building, Bix. Oh, so Dave So Dave drove over from Long Island for, for this show. So he's there. But DCW Arena is close to crowd-wise to Cork and Hall in Tokyo. Fans don't care about the, whose face or heels. They cheer and boo who they want and who they're not told to. And they're more knowledgeable about wrestling in the crowd in the country. Like only the top in Japan groups in AAA, and the promotion itself is over to the audience to the point where even the referees are over. I mean, let's stress this. This is Dave's first time at the ECW arena. Yes. ECW isn't the wrestling of the past. It may not be the wrestling of the future, but it is right now the most innovative English-language wrestling in the country. Headlined by nine in and nine out, the best form in the country today. And that's sure ain't Bret Hart and Ric Flair. It's Sabu. Sabu did a plunge into a Frankensteiner while doing a run early in the show. Did his first stretcher job ever in Philadelphia against ECW champion Shane Douglas in the semifinal match. Sabu sat Douglas down in the chair outside the ring. And then got in the ring and gave Douglas a chair and the chair a tope. Douglas wound up still in one piece when it was over. The chair wasn't as lucky. There were the ruckles of broken tables from suplexes, old style moves and new style moves, brutal chair shots. Cannonball died by Sabu off the apron. He blew anything on the next line's preview show away, as did the show as a whole when compared with WCW's show in Orlando. And then, as they were going to the finish, all the power went off in the building. This was no angle. About a minute later, the power came on, and it didn't take the too long to regain the kill momentum. Sabu set up a table vertically and put Douglas standing by it. He then did the side moonsault, but Douglas moved and Sabu crashed into the table, almost like moonsaulting into a wall. He was standing away on a stretcher. After losing my count out. But not before the local favorite 911 managed to choke Sam Douglas, Mr. Hughes, and Valet Angel Amoroso, who both jumped six feet in the air before taking the bump to the biggest pops on the show. Okay. You know, people never talk about this one. This may genuinely be the most insane bump Sabu ever took in his career. It's up there. And no one talks about it, but I remember when they would show that. Heatwave VHS ad on TV, which they didn't do a lot for some reason. That always stood out the way he smashed into that table and hit the floor. It was like, ugh. But that's Sabu for you. And uh, I forgot that Angel was briefly replaced Sherry, too. Yeah. Yeah. I do not even want to. I do not know if it's a good idea to revisit any promos that are cut about this association. But after taking literally forever to take the ropes down into an FNW style barbed wire match, it was up to the Funks and Bone Gaming to follow up. Barbed wire matches are traditionally awful. What can you do but bleed? Somehow this didn't fit the bill. All four bled like crazy, but it would have been every bit as great without it. After brawling the crowd, using wire cutters to take one side of the wire down and wrapping Terry up in it, and brawling outside the building, came Terry grabbing the house mic and asked for a chair. It was raining chairs within seconds, much as the raining pillows after the Mudo Vader match at the 91 G1 Climax Tournament. It was a little too dangerous, however. The wrestlers were being blindsided with chairs left and right as fans were throwing every chair they could find into the ring. 
All it would take is one bad throw and someone not is getting hit the wrong way in the promotion. We'll be having too many problems. For all his positives, we're not for everyone. Could have been we're not for anyone, but one fan who couldn't name a chair hitting the wrong target. Somewhere amidst all this, Terry did a clean job, after which Dory destroyed the public enemy with one chair shot to another. Terry once again asked the fans to throw him a chair, and it was raining chairs again with chair shots galore. Finally, wrapped up in barbed wire, Terry left the ring while Dory, with Dory, where public enemy was buried under a sea of furniture. When they got up, the fans realizing the show was over gave them, although it was really the show itself, a stand ovation. No, it's not for everyone, but for those who it is for, they give them a great show. So, yes, Dave Meltzer's first experience at UCB Arena is the night that the, the chairs go flying in the ring. The first time, yes. Yes. <laughs> I can, knowing how Dave is, I can only imagine his thoughts as all that was going on. I wonder if someone tried to grab his notebook from him and throw it in the ring with the chairs. <laughs> and knowing how Dave feels about, you know, hardcore wrestling like this, you know, it's interesting that he's at this show to see the barbed wire match. And putting over Sabu so strongly, too. <sighs> yeah, but Sabu... Hot moves? Yes. Well, yeah. All right, the rest of the show. Bad Breed and Hat Myers and Rock and Rubble in your opener. Mike Weaver retained ECW TV title being Chad Austin by his qualification. Tommy Dreamer beat Steve Richards. Mr. Houston beat Tommy Dreamer. Tasmanian and Sabu, as a tag team, beat the Pitbulls. Sam and beat Iron Man Tommy Cairo in the Singapore Kane match. So, well, this, this is Singapore Kane match. It's dueling canes with both guys having canes. Yes. Sam, uh, Shane retained the ECW title being set up by Canada, and the, then the barbed wire match for tag titles. A very memorable show. I mean, that chair, the chair spot, is something that would be replayed forever. Yeah. And, uh, well, not as much as it could have been because of what happens the next month. It's in the intro. No. For the TV for no, years. It, no, it's not. Funkin Cactus is in the intro of the TV for years. That. That's right. That's the one I'm thinking about then. That's what I was saying. Because of what happens the next month. So there you go. Yes. I mean, it's not even the next month. It's like two weeks after this, isn't it? Like two and a half weeks? Something like that? Because it's not the... It's like the first show of August. It's Hardcore Heaven, not the NWA tournament. Yeah. So that's the one that gets remembered more than anything else. I forgot it was Cactus, not the Public Enemy. Wait a minute. No! It's Public Enemy and Tandori! Dory's not there Jimmy's for that one, no. Public Enemy's in there. Public Enemy's in there and getting buried by the chairs. They run in on Cactus versus Funk. Really? Okay. Yes. Cactus is not on this show, Chris. I know, but I could swear Dory was in that, though. No, Dory's in the other one. Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, it's, it's hard cactus. to miss the difference. Ter- Terry is com- wrapped in barbed wire from hair to nipple. From hair yeah, to head you're to right. nipple. In, you're right. In barbed you're wire right. Yeah, I, was, I just watched it to make sure. Yeah, you're right. So. Let's go to Sunday afternoon. Well, this is the uh, day before. Friday oh, night. The day before? Oh, okay. So Friday night in ECW Arena. So they taped out of order. Oh, no, they didn't. Yeah, they did tape out of order then. Okay. 
of 147 fans. Ian Ron over Hat Myers TV taping. Ray Odyssey over Steve Richards. Chad Austin over Damian Stone, the future little Guido. Mike Weber retaining the TV title being Sam and by disqualification. Terry Funk beat Keith Shearer. Keith Shearer. I don't think I think that was just his name, though. I don't think that's a Dave Shearer th- reference. Really? Okay. Uh, Shane Dush, Shane Eastman, everybody thought of being Tommy Dream by referee stoppage. Tasmania over Hat Myers. Dreamer in the Funks beat Jimmy Snook in the Pitbulls. Chad Austin received Richard, Sabu over Odyssey. And Jimmy Snook and Taz went to a double disqualification with the Pitbulls. So, well, we even got more. Uh, public entertainment, he said, Tag Tales beating Steve Richards and Damian Stone. Jason beat Keith Sher and Bad Breed over Joel Hartgood and Dino Sendoff. So, okay, how many wrestlers with names uh, taking shots at other promoters do we have on this show? <laughs> We've got Mikey Whipwreck for Dennis Whipwrecked. We've got Joel Hart good for Joel Goodhart, and we've got Dino Sendoff for Dino Santa. Am I missing anyone? Uh, I think that's it. <laughs> what? Why? Because it's Paul. And also, like, anyone knows who Dino Santa or Dennis Whipwreck are at the time. It, well, ECW fans would. They're the smartest fans around, Bix. Oh, thanks, Dave. So anyway, then there's a house show. On Sunday. So it's an all weekend, a Sunday house show in Wildwood, New Jersey, no less. Oh, gee, I wonder what Dennis felt about that. In front of 200 fans, as Jimmy Snooker won about a Royal. So Jimmy Snooker's not done quite yet, Bex. Rock and Rub over Hat Myers. Mikey retained ECW title, TV title, being Chad also by disqualification. Tommy Carr over to Sandman. Tasmanic over Pitbull 1. Sabu over Ray I. It's got to be Ray Odyssey. Yes. Got to be. Mr. Hughes over Tommy Dreamer. Public game retained the tag titles beating the Bad Breed. And then Shane Douglas retained the title beating Jimmy Snuka. Okay, so going by cage match. Oh, okay, so Hardcore Heaven is until the 13th, so it is a month later. Hardcore Heaven is his last date. He doesn't work anything between Wildwood and Hardcore Heaven. And then a Hardcore Heaven, Snuka, and Tasmaniac beat the Pitbulls. In 40 seconds. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, ECW is just an, it's in an interesting era here because, you know, Extreme Championship Wrestling is about to begin. We still have the remnants of the Eastern Championship Wrestling stuff. I mean, it is an interesting era in that, in that promotion. A lot going on. Yes. Cactus is about to become a regular. Yeah, yeah. All right, I, a promotion named IWA ran a show at the fairgrounds in Cortland, Ohio on July 13th. T.C. Reynolds over Psycho Mike. So is... Which is not the Pitbull. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's not... Whatchamacallit, what's-his-face? Um, that's not a character. Just a dude named Psycho Mike. Um, Doink the Clown over Ron Cumberledge. Ah. So there's, another, there's another Doink, though, Bix. And he's managed by Laura Forbes. Another Doink signing. So, who knows? Uh, the Haiti Kid or a Little Ninja. Haiti Kid in 1994? Okay. Yeah. Preston Steele with Brutus the Bar Beefcake. Retaining the IWA title beating Great Hammer Valentine with Johnny V. By disqualification. I think we're about to figure out who the promoter is, Chris. Hacksaw Jim Duggan over Scott Summers with Notorious Norm. And Jim the Emblem Nightheart with Notorious Norm beat Bruce the Bar Beefcake by Countout. 
Yeah, I'm guessing North, Norm Connors promoted this. There you go. So there's the IWA in Cortland, Ohio, which I guess is near the border. I mean, I I think I knew he promoted before Steel City, so this is probably that. All right, well, next we go to uh, MT-Dub. Midwest Territorial Wrestling, Gary Warrenchak. Yes. They were going to show the Sheridan Community Center in Taylor, Michigan, for foreign fans on July 16th. We have Scott Summers over Randy Rogers, Scott Stevens over Danny Cass, JT Lightning over Steve Nixon, Sean Casey over Johnny Paradise, Bastion Booger went to a double countout with the missing link. Sure. That is Dewey Robertson. Uh, into the title, Mike Kelly beat Al Snow to win the title. Doink the Clown beat Ron, and Doink the Clown and Ron Thie beat Jerry Graham Jr. Punisher Pete. So we have Doink the Clown in Michigan on July 16th, and it's spring from Massachusetts on July 16th, picks. Confused yet? Who knows? And then an MTW tag title match where the International Freedom Fighters, Chris Carter and Muhammad Saad, won the titles from Road Warrior Hawk and Bobo Brazil Jr. That's a match with wrestlers in it. (laughs) I can only imagine watching Road Warrior Hawk selling for Muhammad Saad. (laughs) Yeah. He was not but a large still, man. But still. What a show. Yeah, it is a show. All right, so now we got Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Large and quiet two weeks. Me and the Grizz wrestlers on tour, not around. There was an incident or two involving Timothy Well and Chris Candido backstage, which could have turned to a bad scene. But since Well Done has gone for the territory, everything has calmed down. Hmm. Big. <laughs> hmm. Alright, Morristown High School in Morristown, Tennessee on July 16th in front of 500 fans. We have Steve Skyfire over James Atkins in your opener. Lance Storm over Kendo the Samurai. Tim Horner. Scott and Steve Armstrong defeated Brian Lee and Chris Candido by his qualification to swing a tag title match. Bruiser Bedlam then beat Steve Armstrong in a street fight. And Dirty White Boy retained the Swing Man Heavyweight title, beating primetime Brian Lee. Now, among those gone of late, have been Chris Jericho, Japan, Trey Smothers, Japan, Rock and Roll Express, Germany, more on that later, and primetime Brian Lee, WF, doing fake Undertaker stuff. Hmm. Now, you see, the only place Catfish Jack is going to. Catfish Jack is slated for a September start date, although the extent of his appearances is not known yet. And he worked. He works Knoxville. He works King. Uh, not King. He worked Johnson City. He works some spot town because he works the Cincinnati suburb in Kentucky, at least once. But other than that, is he doing anything else other than the TVs in those towns? That's it. Yeah. Now, by the way, though, like as far as whatever one would speculate about Rex King and Chris Candido. I'm not saying this to cast aspersions about Chris, but if there was actually a fight about it, that almost makes me think it was not Tammy. It could have been over anything. So, it's wrestlers. You know, who knows? Alright, so uh, another person that's going to be in the territory, Conan Chris Walker. And used to wrestle in the early days CWF, is scheduled to come in later that summer. And he does For a brief briefly. cup of coffee. Yes. 
was supposed to be a top heel that clearly wasn't going to work, and then he's gone. Mm-hmm. Yep. The angle of the Armstrongs turning on their father what? has been hurt by Steve Armstrong being called by all Japan to participate in three tours the rest of the year, taking Dale Wilkes' place to sign with WCW. The angle had to be modified if not scrapped as a result. Was that going to be a thing? We're going to get into that in just a minute. But yeah, that was a thing that was going to happen. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know why? Because they're doing Armstrong and Armstrong in a peach state. Yeah. So they've do they've been doing the feud. They're gonna bring the smoking. Yeah. Jake Snake starts showing up for Smoking Mountain Cars without calling the cancel's appearances. A few days to his no shows after he and Jim Cornette played telephone tag. Robert told Cornette his pregnant wife was suffering complications. The fact he didn't say that from the start made some skeptical of his excuse. That's Wade. Let's go to Dave. Jake Roberts' wife did have the baby, so his story about why he missed the dates is accurate. But the question remains, why didn't he make that clear to Cornette from the start? Because Cornette would have had no problem with it. It's Jake. <laughs> yes. It's 1994, Jake. Yes. So, stay with the torch. Terry Gordy's coming in for the big August dates. When a Smoking Mountain representative went to Gordy's house to film promos for his matches, it took several takes to only get only a few seconds of usable material from the incoherent Gordy. Cornette's going to use old footage and interviews with Gordy and use as little of the current Gordy as possible in promoting his upcoming matches. And this got Smokey some criticism at the time. Yeah, because as we mentioned earlier in the show, he's now bat wrestling in all Japan, too. I mean, and Terry, Terry has just come back from his health issues. Yeah. Which is the reason why he's like he is, you know? Yeah. It's not because he's strung out. No, it's that he has brain damage and had to learn how to walk again. Yes. Um. In the grand scheme of things, if this happened today, he'd never come back to wrestling. In the ring. He, they wouldn't, he wouldn't be allowed. No. Nobody would hire him. I, the fact that he was able to functional, function at all in the ring and have a match is honestly kind of impressive. And, and, and you know what? He came back and did okay. I mean, he wasn't Terry Gordy of, you know, 1992, by any stretch of imagination. But, I mean, he came back and did okay. Yeah. He looked like Terry Gordy. And he didn't look unathletic. No. The way he moved around and stuff looked fine. It's just, you know, they wouldn't let him talk. And that wasn't the only thing, though. You know, there's the story Foley tells in the first book (laughs) about how they're doing the press conference for King of the Death matches... And he's doing his whole cactus voice promo. You know, I'm going to make your ass the world's largest pincushion because it was a thumbtack match. And then Terry just kind of looks at them and is like, nobody said nothing about no thumbtacks. And then <laughs> there's the story where Mick was worried that Terry Gordy would not be able to throw a convincing working punch anymore. So he asked Terry to just 
really give it to him. Uh, unfortunately for Mick, a, even a very compromised Terry Gordy shoot punching you is Terry Gordy shoot punching you. <laughs> yeah. So it was a bit of a rough match. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. Because Terry Gordy was one of the best punchers ever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would have asked for that. Good lord. But anyway, and then Terry comes in full time. A year later, once he gets, you know, more back to normal-ish, so to speak, you know, so. But yeah, right, I TV. do think, I just, I just wanted to finish the thought, like, like, I think with how people now give Kerry Von Erich more credit for what he was able to do after the amputation, even if Gordy should not have been wrestling, he really does deserve more credit for even being passable under those circumstances. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's go to TV. July 16th. Open up with Dirty White Boy defeating uh, Jake Roberts for United Sterling to recapture the Smokey title. White Boy talked about gaining revenge for his wife. Talked about coming to the defense against Terry Gordy and Dick Slater versus Fan Week. Next, we get the Armstrongs, Scott and Steve, beating Chris Hamrick and Steve Skyfire. We didn't talk about Steve Skyfire, that, of course, being Bix. Easy money. That's right. Afterwards, they said they were disappointed. Their father didn't pick them as part of the three-man team for the big matches during fan week. They said, frankly, their father being commissioner had held them back because he'd been over backwards, not to show favoritism, and they predicted their careers would soon be skyrocketing. So there you go. They're shooting promos for it, Bix. Yep. But Stevie not being around much longer, getting the regular work in Japan, like Dave said, pretty much kills that dead. Now, I see you didn't put any clips in the notes, but if I Google, I'm not even seeing this week at TV being online. Yeah, it's online. And it's on YouTube? Do I just have to Google for something else other than No, it's not. No, it's not. That's right. I look. That's right. There's a skip. It goes from the the um it goes between the weeks. Did this one this get, week's not on it. Did it get pulled from YouTube or is this missing from the the set that's out there? It got pulled from YouTube, I think. Okay. I might have somewhere else for it because there is one thing here I would like to play, but let's see. But anyway, keep going for now. <laughs> um, I'm just going to see if I've had this in, on my list yet. Uh, yes. Okay. The, the one that skipped, and, it, it, and here's maybe why it's, it's the ninth is not in there. So if I look for SMW July 9th, let's see. That might be, this might be the show. Okay, there's no 16th even it on is, the... It is, it is, it's mislabeled. It's mislabeled as a knife. It's on YouTube. Okay, well, the, I'm looking at... Uh, the, what, what do you want to... Uh, at the, the Thrill Seekers thing. Okay, what about the Cornette promo? Uh, which one is it? <laughs> Him sitting from the computer. Ah, we don't need that. Well, alright, let me read... All right, so a taped interview with Jim Cornette aired from the office in front of a computer, which he said was the Fight Union Headquarters. The Federal, uh, not Federal, no, Federation of International Thugs and Eliminators. That's it. Yes. 
You see, he recently received a letter in contract from Bob Armstrong requesting signed a six-minute match with Sorry, with Bob and with Bob and Tracy Smothers and a mission partner against the Funks and Bruce Bedlam. And the contract stipulated it would be a Cowboys flag match. Cornette City would sign, but only Bob would agree to sign a Texas Death Match in Johnson City. Bob and some others agreed to the stipulations. Bob then brought out Ron Wright and said he would be the flag bearer. Bob showed a clip of the Road Warriors of Midnight Express Star Kid 86. Yes, they're showing clips of Turner own stuff and a scaffold match when the Warriors cornered Cornette on scaffold and Cornette was forced to fall off, the in- fall off injuring his knee. Bob then announced Hawk would be his mission partner. A split screen showed Cornette in the dressing room watching a monitor and panicking when he heard that. All right, next. The Rock and Roll Express beat the Infernos. And then we get Bob Carl, who talks about the thrill seekers and an incident that happened in the parking lot. Let's go to the clip. Arena for a match a few days ago, and they were attacked by Jim Cornette and two masked men. A fan now with a video camera was getting tape of the wrestlers as they were arriving at the arena, and they caught the attack on tape. So let's take a look and see what she taped. Look, kids, there's the referee. Go ahead, Barry. Look at it both, Wow. Did you tell him thanks? Say, look, let's po- pose with him. He's going to pose with you. Get over there and stand beside him, Ashley. There you go. Smile now. Can you tell they're really making the money in the territory? Showing a butte, like a butte with a saber. Remember, they uh, they told Jim he could have all their gimmick money. <laughs> and then they didn't sell any gimmicks. Smile. There you go. Look, kids, it's the thrill seeker. Go get their autograph. Hurry, kids, come here. Hurry. Ashley, Derek, come here, hurry. Come here. Oh, my God. Go get somebody to help. Get somebody to help. <laughs> Also, it's uh, 1994, so Jim Cornette street clothes are a t-shirt and Zubaz. Of course. Oh, let's see what kind of car Cornette's driving. Hold on. <laughs> what is it? A Ford Taurus. You know, Jim Cornette can say what he wants, but we all know it. Chris and I know it, and the Smoky Mountain Wrestling fans know it. It was the heavenly bodies that beat us up in that parking lot, and thanks to that fan's videotape, we've got proof. Jim Cornette even called the one Tom. We know it was the heavenly bodies, and so are all the fans. Chris took 18 stitches in the back of his head, and my face has looked better. But, you know, the heavenly bodies are really great, but we're not going to roll over and play dead for anybody. My name is Lance Storm. I am a wrestler. Bleep, bloop. <laughs> it's exactly what I mean. It's so wooden. That's right, you know, Heavenly Bodies, you were banned from Smoky Mountain Wrestling when you lost the Bluegrass Brawl at Rock and Roll Express. And now you want to come back into Smoky Mountain Wrestling. 
well, you know, we could take this to court. We could file a grievance. But first of all, Jim Cornette would probably tie it up for weeks, months, years. Second of all, that's not how we want to decide this thing. You know, the only thing we can think to do legally to get you guys back in the ring is talk to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, who in turn talked to the World Wrestling Federation, who in turn told you that you had to come back to Smoky Mountain Wrestling for a week. And if a week is all we got, that's fine. Because there's two things in this world that don't forget. Elephants and thrill seekers. And we're not going to forget what you guys did to us, heavenly bodies. And I'll tell you something else. You made a mistake because you came and jumped us from behind. You beat us up. We're the first to admit you guys did a hell of a job. But let me tell you something. You didn't put us in the morgue. You didn't put us in the hospital. And therefore, you made a mistake because we're still alive and kicking. And believe me when I tell you that we might be flying all around. We might have new moves that you've never seen before, but we can fight. And we're here to say that coming up, we're going to take you guys and we're going to kick you like you've never been kicked before. Because we're not going to let you forget about this because we're not going to forget about it. And none of the fans are going to forget about this either. So Jim Cornette and the Heavenly Bodies, you watch out because we will have our revenge and it's going to be really sweet. You know, it happens to every great... You know, uh, before we get the rebuttal which is shot on the WWF interview set. I sure hope mm-hmm. that uh, when the thrill seekers are practicing those new moves the heavenly bodies have never seen before that they're both very careful, especially Jericho. <laughs> yeah. The labor organizer, every great union boss, whenever you start getting a little power, the false accusations start happening to Jimmy Hoffa. Now I'm being accused of being responsible for things that I had nothing to do with. Sure, the thrill seekers got attacked in a parking lot. Hey, that's not my fault. It was two guys in masks that did it, but now they're claiming that I was responsible for it, that the heavenly bodies were the guys under the mask. And thanks to some snoopy old lady trying to get autographs for a little snot-nosed brat kid with a video camera, they got a tape of it. You know, it's that kind of snoopiness in America today that got those fine, upstanding Los Angeles police officers in hot water for trying to arrest that convicted felon, Rodney King. But if you'll notice... <laughs> okay, wait, 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 wait. We're yeah. a few weeks away from the gangsters... Mm-hmm. ...debuting... Mm-hmm. ...and being pro-Rodney King... ...as mm-hmm. heels. Mm-hmm. Here, he is cutting a heel promo in for Smokey, where he's supposed to be anti-Rodney King as a heel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, that, that's, I mean, think about, no, think about the dynamics of this, Bix. Alright. The gangsters are pro-Rodney King, which is a heel thing to do, because the quote-unquote racists hate Rodney King. Alright. Jim Cornette is upset at the video camera being used to get him in trouble. But he's defending because, the cops, though. I know, but that's what I'm saying. So, so again. Oh, okay. I get so, what you're saying. He's relating it specifically to the filming. Yes. The idea. Okay. Yes. Okay. I, I get where you're going with this. Yes. On that tape! It clearly shows that I was the one trying to pull those guys off the thrill seekers. I was the one trying to call those guys back because I knew that Storm and Jericho couldn't sustain any worse of a beating than they were already taken. But no, no, they can't let it lie. You know, thrill seekers, it's an old saying. Be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. They went to the promoters in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, all the officials. Smoky Mountain Wrestling came to the World Wrestling Federation. Two big corporations getting in some kind of hoo-ha, some kind of collusion against a labor union, just like always happens. 
And now the result is that the World Wrestling Federation has said that they're not going to sign any matches featuring the Heavenly Bodies for the period of August 5th to August 13th. They're going to force the Heavenly Bodies under threat of a heavy fine to go back to Smoky Mountain Wrestling to meet the Thrill Seekers anytime, anyplace, anywhere that they want so the Thrill Seekers can get their revenge. They don't want to do it in a court of law because they haven't got any evidence. No, they want to get the Heavenly Bodies in a wrestling ring. Well, let me tell you something, punks. And I want you to listen real good. The Heavenly Bodies are coming back to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. The ban hasn't been lifted. But for one shining, glorious week, uh-huh. thrill seekers, the Heavenly Bodies, Dr. Desire, Tom Pritchard, and Gigolo, Jimmy Del Rey, they're going to be back in Smoky Mountain Wrestling to teach you punks a lesson. Sure, you've had all the flashy videos. You got all the fancy damn moves. You got those pretty faces. And all the fans are cheering for you. But now we're going to find out if you got guts, thrill seekers. This is your acid test. This is your chance of a lifetime. Because these men dominated Smoky Mountain Wrestling on some very basic principles. Blood, guts, violence, and intimidation. And you've had some wins over some mid-level teams. You've done a few nice things. But when you get in the ring with the Heavenly Bodies, you're in there against the guys that have been there many times. You're in there against the cream of the crop. You're in there against a couple of guys that'll stop at nothing to end your career and send you on your way because they ain't rolling over and playing dead for nobody. They got a reputation to uphold. So, Thrill Seekers, we're going to find out if you've got it in here, brother, if you've got the heart and the desire to be on top, to be main eventers, to be championship material, because the heavenly bodies are going to give you the damnedest fight that you've ever been in in your life. And I don't think you're going to win it. <laughs> Thrill Seekers, you asked for them, you got them. What are you going to do with them? Well, fans, the Thrill Seekers are going to be back in action next week after their recuperation. And the Heavenly Bodies, they're going to return to Smoky Mountain Wrestling for one week and one week only, beginning August 5th at the Night of Legends. Now, here's the complete card. Thoughts on how they how that got put together, to get around the, the ban of the Heavenly Bodies. I mean, you're having baby faces request it. That's kind of the way you always yeah. kind of need to start with it. So I think it's... I think it's fine in that sense. The problem is that it's smoky in this era with all the reneging on stipulations and that we're only, what, three months removed from the Loser Leaves Town? Mm-hmm. Bluegrass Brawl. Yeah. Mm. That's the problem. Yeah. It's a little too quick. Also, I just realized something. Oh, no, wait, never mind. They're completely unsuspended when they come back as baby faces with the gangsters, is the deal, right? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think that so something happened. Right, because then when Cornette brings them back at Super Bowl a year later, it's explained that the unbanning that was done for the gangsters matches was permanent. Yeah. They have, they have some weird ways to, uh, Explain bringing the heavy bodies back when they needed needed them. Also, some of this promo was weirdly babyface-ish from Cornette. Yeah, I mean, it depends on your you know, on your spectrum. I just mean, the, <laughs> I mean, like the like some of the basic verbiage and like just the the style. Of it. Well, heels stink to the baby faces. True, that's fair. You know. It's clear as day he's the heel in the promo, so. Alright, so anyway. Well, we got all that. Alright, uh, not alleged that day, Dennis Bob Orton Jr., Ricky Gibson, and Danny J. Donovan, and two more additions to the Hall of Fame. 
Tammy Fitch then came out and wound up being picked on and that because she had a shopping spree plan, she couldn't afford lawyers. So she set up a legal defense fund like the Clintons and also all of her loyal fans to send in money. She then asked Bob Cottle to show the address where the fans could send money, but Bob refused. And Trace Smothers beat Primetime, Brian Lee retained TV title. Short match after rep on Chris Candido attacked Smothers, Rock and Roll's made to save. Drop kick Lee and Smothers covered Lee for the pin to complete the five-match TV title run. And the show into a cornet ranting and raving about Hawk showing up. It threatened to take the entire union team on strike. Tim Whitehead, by the way, is the one that did our Smoky Mountain review. His strong point was the parking lot angle and Hawk announcing one of the best. Overall, great show. Weak point, the announcement of the title change was too casual, so the title seemed unimportant. Because it just said to begin the show, and it's like, oh, we changed the title. That's what it said. So, All right, let's go to Memphis, USWA. Where Sid Vicious won a unified title from Jerry Lawler by default at television on July 16th. They had a match scheduled for television, but there was a pre-match altercation with Sid giving Lawler a choke slam. And Lawler couldn't come out for the match later on the show, so he forfeited the title. All right, we have two parts here. So let's go to part number one, where we get the whole situation where uh, we have the altercation with Sid and Lawler. So let's watch how that goes down, shall we? I'll tell you where he is. He's he's prepared because he's got a unified title match coming up here a little bit later on. You ain't got nobody here. Hey, come on. You ain't got nobody here to help you, Lola. I ain't got nobody. Hey, sit down, you bunch of idiots. Sit down in your chair, boy. Sit down. See there? He didn't have the guts to sit down in that chair and get his head shaved. Make poor Mickey Pooh ruin his whole life. He's out here now. So bad. Did you want me? I hear you running your mouth. You run your mouth. You call me out here. Well, I'm out here. Now, let me say this. You talk about somebody being gutless. You talk about somebody having to have help all the time. I think the I think the footage just showed. We've seen it already this morning. What happened when I'm wrestling you? You had to have Sid Vicious come in from behind. Then the second time I'm wrestling you, you had to go get Mickey Poole. Now, who's the one who has to have help? Who's the one who has to have help? In you don't want to jump on me, Tommy Rich. You want to jump on me? Right hey, I ain't got to do it right now. Just sign it up right now. I'm ready. All right. King. All right. Uh, Jerry, he's got a title match coming up. He's telling you that uh, that's a case of, of that pride when somebody shakes it in his face and says, you won't. He says, let me show you how I will. And Lawler right now. Oh, look out. the throat, hammers him down, Davey hit his head on that ring, and Vicious clobbered him right down on the mat. And once again, Tommy Rich out here, yeah, one against one, you and me, and then Vicious comes running in a jump Lawler from behind, so it is two against one, and Lawler is down, he, he has moved. Oh, you're a great guy. proud of yourself. No wonder you did. Face you, four-eyed freak. This vicious and that charming personality of his comes in, grabs Lawler from behind, 
Gets him with that throttle slam, and he throttled him all right, man, right on the throat, up in the air, slammed him down, and Lawler is still laying in the ring as his head gave when he threw him down with his hand on that throat. The back of his head hit that mat first and hammered him out of there. His, uh, his, his legs are moving now, but he is not really moving much. Most of the time in a situation when Jerry Lawler is involved in a match, you'll see him bounce back to his feet quickly. He's not doing that right now. Everybody's checking him out. Eddie Marlin is out to uh, take a look at the situation. I uh, suspect we probably better go ahead and take a break, and we'll get Jerry attended to. Any, thought, any thoughts on this before we go to the uh, next segment? You know, this this never hit me before. And maybe we'll think about this as we watch as this continues on. You know, we've talked about how Sid just seems so much more comfortable at home in Memphis. Yes. And I'm sure that's part of it. I also wonder how much of him just being in a better mood is that he's off the gas. I'm sure it definitely helped. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Because, I mean, the other thing, too, is he's in fantastic shape, but he's also very obviously gone, gone off steroids for the time being. Yeah, he's not he's not massive. He's more cut. He, and I mean, he looks like, right down to not really dyeing his hair anymore, he, he looks like 1988 Memphis Sid Vicious. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's the thing. During this whole run, he is not... Big, he's not ridiculously jacked, you know, shoulders like antelope, Sid Vicious. 1991, Sid Vicious. No. 1991, Sid Vicious was God almighty, you know? Yeah. Insane. I I wonder how much that played into it, too. Oh, definitely helped his mood. (laughs) I would hope so. All right, so am I going on to the other uh, timestamp now? Yeah, so, so now it's time for the title match. So let's see what happens here as uh, Sid and Lawler come out. Well, one of them does. Back on the USWA with action here in the ring. One fall, ten minutes yeah. in time. Our next scheduled bout making his way to the ring area at 270 pounds. Making his way now, we are looking for the new Spellbinder. Oh, no, you're not. So he's doing, as a ring announcer with Lance there, he's doing the Lance inflection, but he's not doing the other Mr. Coryisms. He's doing the Lance inflection no. with his normal voice. His yes. On his way. What? That's not really, really his natural voice. How do you mean? It's close. Let me find the video so you can get Corey's natural voice. All right, let's see here. All right, let me find one here. I have no idea what we're looking for now. I'm looking for it. Hold on. Okay. This is a video that I'm looking for in particular. I got to find it. Okay. Oh, my God, there's so many of them that I have not watched and I need to look, need to watch eventually. But Brian Turner, our friend, has put so many videos of mid-2000s Memphis up on uh, on YouTube that I've never even seen before that uh, 
It's crazy. Okay, here we go. Let's see here. That's for apprentice. Alright. Alright, so here we go. Alright, so I'm gonna send you this clip. So the people can listen to Corey Macklin in his regular speaking voice. Okay, let's see what we got. And Lance is in the clip too. <laughs> From 2005. And Paula Lawler's there. Paula Lawler's there. That's a part of the big angle that's going on here. Holy shit, does she look a lot like Stacy here, too? Yes. Jerry more than I've ever noticed her looking like Stacy. Yes. It's like she looked more like Stacy when she got older. Yes. That's eerie. Alright, so we're gonna hear Lawler and then we'll hear Corey. Right. Why why would you have the audacity to come out here and interrupt my interview? Why would you have the audacity to do that? This was my time. Look, I don't I don't know if people understand this. Look, this is called this is called a TV format. This is what they you know you write down, and this is uh is what's going to happen. Like right here it says sponsor, going to have the opening of the show. Right here it says Jerry Lawler interview. It doesn't say anything about you coming out here, Corey Mack. I tell you why I have the audacity to come out here, Jerry Lawler. First of all, you got this blimp <laughs> Bert Prentice out here. I don't even know what he's even out here for. Okay, I get what you're so saying. I, yeah, and that's not Lance. Dude, looks like Lance, but that's not Lance. No, I get what you're saying, then, that it's like the voice we're used to as being his more natural voice is just his his more natural announcer voice. It's his radio voice. Yes. Kind of sportish. You know. Whereas this is just his day-to-day speaking voice. Fat blimp Bert Prentice out here. I don't even know what he's even out here for. You come on over, Bert. I just wish you would. I'd knock you in the next week, Prentice. I mean, this may also just be his promo oh, Matthew, voice. You don't want to start nothing with me, punk. Bert can't even button up your coat, you're so fat. Prentice, hey, you're such an idiot, Prentice, you can't find your tail with both hands. That's how big a fool you are. But let me tell you something. No, 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 no. Come on back. Come on. I'll kill you. Come on back. I ain't taking this from that punk. As, as big as it is, you can't find it with both hands. But let me say this, Brian. I want to get somebody some out of here long. I ain't done with you. Because I told you a couple weeks ago that I had somebody. Okay, you get the idea. Yeah, we don't want to get too deep into this. <laughs> because we could spend a lot of time on this because there's multiple segments with the ball. All right, so, um, so yeah, there's your Corey voice. All right. So now we go to uh, 1994 Sid. Out, out. I want Jerry Lawler out here right now. No more standoffs, no more time for the guy. I want him out here right now, Lance Russell. No no excuses. Well, I just want to tell anybody who got in here a little bit right, late that the scheduled title match has been delayed a little. And why has it been delayed? No, no, Sid, it's a little early yet. You still haven't won it. It's because Sid Vicious got a whole throttle, Jerry Lawler. Slammed his head. You know his head hit first. Oh yeah, that's great. That's the reason why he isn't out so you're here. You tell me he's not going to come out here. No, I'm not telling right you that. Right now, time out. I want Eddie Marlin out here, the guru of USWA. Eddie Marlin, I want you out here right now. I want you guys to get out here and make up your rules. But I know the rules, Lance Russell. He has got to defend that title right now. If he does not. I am the champion. We're trying to get the match on just as quick as we no, can, not Sid. As we can right now, Eddie Marlin. I want him out here right now. Well, I don't care what you want, Sid Vicious. No, no, Wait no, just no. a minute. You call me out here. You want me to say something? Let me say it. After what you pulled in there, Jerry Lawler, he's possibly... 
Naeem have a concussion. He is in no shape to come out here and defend that title right now. And you know it. That's the reason you did what you did. Well, I'm going to tell you something else I do know also. Pull out your rule book. You look in there and you show me why he doesn't have to come out here right now. And I'll walk out of here. But if not, I'm walking out of here the champion. You know what I'm noticing? Just how much more of a coherent promo he is here. This is his best work as a character. That was his best work in the ring, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, but as a complete character, Sid's amazing in Memphis as heel and babyface because he's home. He's comfortable. So, okay, I'll put it this way. You know what he is? You know, you know who he is? He's Brad Armstrong. Well, I was about to bring that up. So it's like, what do you think it is with them? Do you think it's simply nerves? Possibly. Possibly. Yeah, but he's Brad, he's Brad Armstrong, and there are other guys like that too in their territories, you know. Yeah, but where it's, they, it's still where a, they were home. They were they were uh, they were more comfortable and better fits. It's it's more of a stark difference with Brad though, because most other places he's this kind of dry, great worker. At home, he's like a small territory magnum TA. Yeah. But anyway. I'm telling you why. It's because what you just pulled while ago, he may have a concussion. He is in no shape to wrestle at this time. Look, I'm not going to stand around here and let all you guys make up your own rules as you go along. Jerry Lawler either comes out here right now as scheduled, or I will be declared the new champion because he is a stinking, a stinking coward. They're just showing exactly why he wasn't out here right now because of the way you grabbed Sid, you know, no, you know why he's not out here, Sid. He is not able to defend the title at this time. Okay, if he's not able to, then that has grounds for what? Disqualification? Forfeit. I hear it out there. Forfeit. Jerry Long, you guys think about it. You tell me. He's right. It is in the contract. No, he has to defend the title or he has to fall. Referee, the only thing I can tell you to do is raise the man's head. And no! Kevin? Boy, what a win. What a win. Jump a guy before, come up, get him where he can wrestle, and get a forfeit out of him. Around. 
But he didn't beat him in the ring. No. What he did was beat him before the match ever started and put him in a position where he couldn't wrestle. And, he, and then picks up the belt and walks off with it. And he jumped him from behind at that. Oh, I picked up the belt and I walked off with the last wrestle. Does everybody want to know why? I'm sure you're going to tell them. Because I can. <laughs> well, there he is. The new unified heavyweight champion. Boy, this, what a disappointment. Okay, uh, why don't we take a break? Huh? Well, we're going to, we're going to, okay. All right, standby match. All right. Eddie set out that. Uh, a standby right. match here. Yeah, let's go to Corey. What a team that is. Uh, Makes me find the spellbinder. <laughs> um, just for perspective, Lance is 68 here. Yeah. Um, just four years older than current Sting, eight and eight years younger than current <laughs> Chick Donovan. <laughs> four years older than Sting now. Lance yeah. Russell, at this point. I'm trying to think: is there anyone else to compare him to? Oh, wait. I mean, Sting's a good one, but... Wait, so... How about Tony Schiavone? Ooh. Well, I was about to look up Billy Gunn to make sure again first. Billy Gunn's 59, I think. Okay, so that's almost a decade. So that's a... But, um, okay, so Tony Schiavone... <laughs> ah, Tony's 65, turning uh, 66 later in the year. So Lance only two years older than him. Now Lance doesn't look that old, though. And Lance doesn't look old, but it's just the way that we perceive the people at the time. Yes, like Lance really did not age that much until he hit like his late seventies. Yes. Or well, no, it was, yes. he started to age a little bit more like in the early two thousands, so more like mid seventies. But it's our perception. Yeah. So, all right. So two days later at the Mid-South Coliseum, Sid was to defend against the winner of the Battle Royal. The last three in the mid were in the retirement rich, Jeff Gaylord and Jerry Lawler. Gaylord was out cold in the ring while Rich and Lawler fought going out together, leaving Gaylord as the winner. <laughs> Vicious hit the ring immediately, called for the bell, gave Gaylord a toe slam, and kept the title in 20 seconds. The addition of Sid brought the crowd up to about 1,650 fans right near the $10,000 gate. From what Dave's told, everyone here is thrilled with Sid's attitude, and he's not being sarcastic. Well? He's happy. Yes. And he's doing business. And yet, just to be clear, for those who don't know, like, this is the... He's just got in there, and this is the first time he's been back in really anywhere other than a major promotion since he left there for... Uh, WCW in 89. Yeah. Jeff Gaylord over Tony Falk was your opener. Bart Slayer over Rage of Me Fine. Swellbinder over Doug Basham. The Eliminators won a stretcher match over PG-13. Lawler over Rich. Then we had a handicap hospital elimination match. As Dream Machine, Doug Gilbert, Tommy Rich, and Scott Bowden beat Brian Christopher, the, Boo Do and the three Moondogs, Spot, Rex, and Spike. And this is... Smoky Mountain Rex, Nathan. Yeah, yes. Then the Battle Royal where Gaylor won, and then Sid beat Gaylor. Burr Burnus is here. Trish and Eliminators and Spellbinder are now being managed by Reggie B. Fine. Oh, really? And 
since Prentice is gone, there's some thought that Prentice may start running opposition. I'm shocked. <laughs> and that would uh, soon become Ozark Mountain Wrestling. Yes. Which would then become North American Championship, or no, was it North American Championship or All-Star? North American All-Star Wrestling. Yes. In which a, would then a, become a, Music City Wrestling. Yes. Which would then become uh, NWA Nashville. Which would then become NWA yes. Worldwide. Which yes. would then become USA Championship Wrestling. Yes. Any questions? No. All right. Let's go to the Global Wrestling Federation. They're going to show the Sportatorium on July 15th. We have Scott Buskey over Dapper Dan. Bo Vegas and Devin Michaels over Rick Slagle and Silas. Slammer over Chaz. Black Barbie, Michael PSAs by Countout. Iceman King Parsons over Rick Guerin. Moa Deeb over Pretty Boy Larry. Slammer beat Action Jackson. And Wild Irwin beat Michael PSAs. The TV taping, obviously. Yes. Um, who was Slammer? Uh, I don't know, because I really have never watched any of this stuff in of, this of era. The, of the late stage global? I never really watched the Crockett era of Dallas. I need to watch some of that crap eventually. You've at least I'll seen a little there. Moa Deeb, haven't you? I've seen Moa Deeb. But I haven't watched complete episodes. That's when I say that. That's what I mean. I haven't watched complete episodes. Oh. That's what I like to watch. I'm, I'm a complete episode person, so... There's Bo Vegas and Devin Michaels with the original High Voltage. That's right. All right, some sad news from the Silver Northwest. Sandy Barr has closed oh, wait, down his chance wrestling. Oh, Isn't Speedy Gonzalez here, Ricky Gonzalez? I don't know. Uh, I don't know who that Rafael is. Rodriguez is his uh, dad? I don't know. Uh, Sandy Barr has closed down his chance wrestling USA promotion based in Vancouver, Washington. Reported due to money losses. Suffered, that they, they suffered, rumored to be around $30,000 in total. For the combination AAA CW USA show with Tanya Harding on June 22nd, which flopped at the box office. Darius thought he'll be ripping it at some point shortly. One of the reasons Harding did so little is the Washington State Athletic Commission stuck to the rules and since she wasn't licensed as a manager, they wouldn't let her anywhere near ringside. So, yes, it wasn't the Oregon State Athletic Commission that got him, it was the Washington State Athletic Commission that got him. In the end, yeah. Oof. Poetic. So, the end of uh, another Pacific Northwest promotion. Yeah, who, who? So, who's next at this point? Um, someone Sandy Bar, right? I think Sandy Bar reopens. I think. Uh, that, that I think maybe it's right. Yeah, probably under. I don't know if it's under a different name or to get the same name. I don't know. Drama, drama, drama with uh, wrestling in the State Athletic Commissions in the Pacific Northwest. An ongoing story that would continue for years after the fact. Mm -hmm. All right, now let's uh, close out with the World Wrestling Federation, which, of course, the major stuff is a steroid trial, but we're not getting into that. We're getting into the non-steroid trial stuff on this show. They aren't jumping the gun on the Undertaker vs. Undertaker announcement, but instead are doing a bit where Leslie Nielsen of Nick and Gun movie fame is playing the detective, trying to get to the bottom of the story, which we talked about before on the show and play clips of. I mean, it was an interesting way of doing it. It didn't work, and I'm a huge Nick and Gun fan. 
but it just didn't work because they were writing the comedy. Yeah, so different. It's different when the when the Zuckers are writing com- the comedy, and then in 1994, WF's writing the comedy. Yeah, and also they did kind of jump the gun because they announced it before they had really pushed hard on TV that DiBiase's Undertaker wasn't the real one. In a way, yes. <laughs> so it was because when they first announced it, it's like Undertaker was Undertaker. What the hell could that be? I mean, it was kind of sloppy, but I guess we got to take consideration what the hell was going on. That Vince is not there, and Pat has to testify, and all that. Yeah. So, there's a lot of stuff in 94 that's just not good, and part of that's because of the situation with with Vince and Pat, you know? I mean, actually, I guess... Since Vince isn't doing the trial and Pat's by his side, well, I guess maybe not by his side because he's a wit- government witness technically, but still, Pat has the testimony and everything. I'm guessing Bruce is the main driving force, at least in the production and creative in the office during the trial itself, right? Even if well, that explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it has to be though, right? Because JJ is not really booking by this point. No. It explains a lot. How do you mean? <laughs> well, we know how Bruce, Bruce is. Uh, and well, ways. also we know how he feels about Jerry Jarrett, too. Yeah, there's that. Alright, so uh, Titan made a major play to raid Conan. This Triple H shows have proven them some drawing power in New York and Chicago, but apparently Conan stand with Triple H after all. He's got 18 months left on his Triple H contract with Televisa. Hadn't he threatened to sue them or vice versa? Previously, I don't know the time. I don't know the timeline of all that. But this is a, presumably that they saw that AAA had just drawn three thousand fans at the theater at Madison Square Garden, and are like, "Oh, well, they've been hot. They've been hot for over a year in the United States." But specifically, New York is my point. Yeah, well, Los Angeles, Chicago, but New York is the yeah. one that just happened. Well, Chicago too. But. <laughs> it's a, it, yeah, but it is a a thing that's been going on for a while now. So, yeah, AAA was uh, was quite the little deal on the U.S. Uh, scene for that year plus, where um, they were kicking everybody's ass. <laughs> but that wasn't a major promotion, and then some of them. So, yeah. All right, Torch. Dave Boy Smith has been booked for the September from England. Team with Brett against Owen and Jim Neidhart. There's talk of in Europe of Davey making a short appearance at SummerSlam to advertise his Europe dates. Well, that's not what exactly happens, but yes, he does appear at SummerSlam, right, as we know. Comes back. Yeah, that's his return. Yes, and he and he uh, he looks very well when he comes back. <laughs> well, you know, he comes back with the hair down. Long, uh, wearing his glasses. Yes. You know, he looks younger. You know, kind of, yeah. But um, so yeah, I mean, that's a smart move on their part to get him back for the uh, for European tours. Absolutely, they need all the help they can get, even at that time. So it was good to have another hand like that back around on the scene. And Davey does good until he has his injury issues, so. Yeah. 
right, Raw. Raw opened up with the marquee match of Lex Luger challenging Diesel for the Intercontinental title. Actually, was methodical early on, but picked up with some near falls near the end. Luger hit Diesel to close off the second rope and scored a near fall. Diesel then caught a charging Luger with a boot to the face. Luger reversed the whip and Diesel dot to the referee. With a ref down, Luger lifted Diesel into the torture rack. Shawn Michaels entered the ring and sidekicked Luger from behind, so Diesel fell to the mat. Diesel then crawled and covered Luger for a dramatic near fall. So the referee nearly needs to the third count. Rizzo Ramon then came to the ringside and chased Shawn around into the ring. With Razor and Sean in the ring, the referee called for a DQ. As Sean and Diesel went for a stuff pile driver on Razor, Luger made the save. Where should I pick this up? Ted, at the, right at the finish, and then what else with Ted DiBiase? Because Ted DiBiase comes out. Goes around. Okay. But go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and start playing. I mean, I have to get to the right spot. But, oh, we're at Fernwood here. Yeah. Not Fernwood tonight. Uh, we don't have uh, Martin Mole. I don't see DBS here. And Fred Willard. Well, it's in there. That's what the notes say. He's when watching, he... a, and, and at the end, he approaches Luger. Doesn't look like it. Not in the network version, at least. Holy shit. Okay. All right, so the notes say Ted DiBiase uh, looked on and would later explain to Luger that if Luger worked for him, he wouldn't have to worry about interference from Sean. So maybe it's not directly after the match. Hmm. Let's go to the chapters. I'm looking and I don't see anything. I can't even see because all I see is okay. Uh, is keep going. Wade's review that you're. Yes, because Dave didn't. Dave didn't talk about Raw. Okay, so this is a later segment. Yeah, because it's not here, because it goes to the Mabel match right after they clear the ring. Yeah, because this is it's almost 20 minutes. All right, well, we'll continue then. Wade's doing a Dave-type thing here, doing stuff out of order. Um, Mabel want to squash. Ty Penn goes to Summer Sam update. Owen Hart want to squash. Then they preview next week's show. Sparky Plug want to squash. Bam Bam Bula want to squash. And then we get more of the DiBiase drama, which is closes the show. Sure, sure, so it's got to be, some, be here somehow, some way. But he makes it sound like it came right at the end of the opener. When if it Talk aired, it did not. It, that, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's anything cut out on the network, though. Yeah, well, he did say later. <sighs> talk to Wade how he formats his stuff here, Bix. <laughs> talk to Wade 29 years ago? Yeah. Alright, well there's DVR. Yeah, I guess we're just going with the show closing thing then? Yeah, yeah. Alright. Oh, we have Bam Bam Bigelow versus Gary Sabaw. Wait, so is Sabaw the real name or is it Cordinelli for Stallion? Cordinelli. And George South does a job on the show too. So... Driving all the way up from North Carolina to the Fernwood Resort upstate New York. Okay. Back here, ladies and gentlemen, on Monday Night Raw. The Million Dollar Man has joined us. I understand that just a few moments ago you were seen talking with Lex Luger. Do you or do you not have a deal with Lex? The answer to the question, my friend, is yes, I have been in the back. I have been talking to Lex Luger. So what? 
hey, you're stalling, man. Every time you're looking at Lex Luger, you got dollar signs in your eyes. Do you have a close or not? Or does he not even want to talk to you? What is the deal? So you want to know what the deal is? Yes, I do. I'll tell you what the deal is. The deal is... <laughs> the deal is, this weekend, I've got a big, big, big announcement. An announcement that's going to rock the foundation of the World Wrestling Federation. That's what's going to happen, macho man, so keep your hat on. No hints for what's going to happen, huh? You don't have them? You're going to have to wait just like everybody else to this weekend to find out, hey, what it's all about. We're being joined here by Tatanka. Come on, me and Dollar Man. Won't you tell the world the news is going to shock them? Do you think that I'm stupid? You don't think that I've seen the money that you've given Lex Luger? You don't think I've overheard the promises of how you're going to give the world to him? Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, I know you bought Lex Luger, and I know he has sold out to you. Calm down, Indian. Don't get your feathers ruffled. <laughs> you know what your problem is? You're jealous. You're jealous because it wasn't you that I offered the deal to. You're jealous, Tatanka, because you know deep down inside, on your best day, you can't beat Lex Luger. Oh, but, yeah. enough, but enough of Lex oh, Luger yeah. right now. I'll tell you what, I've got $10,000 that says you won't beat Nikolai Volkov next week. What about that? I'll take that bet. Wait, wait, wait. It's a deal. I'll take that bet. Next weekend, not only will I beat Nikolai Volkov, but I'll take your $10,000. And this weekend, I cannot wait to listen to the news that's going to shock the world because it's not going to shock me, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. <laughs> All right, Bill, bring your money before it's in your pocket. $10,000, Nikolai Volkov. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that match right here next week on Monday Night Raw. Plus, you're going to see Adam Bomb take on Yoko Suna. From Macho Man Randy Savage, I'm Jim Ross saying so long, everybody. See you next week. Ah, yes. The Luger to talk angle. Yeah. I mean, at the time, watching this, I think they telegraphed it a little too much. The way Tatanka was acting. He was too... Too forthcoming about it, too blunt about it. I don't know. I just think it it telegraphs it too much at the time. That it comes off as uh, protesting too much? Yes. I think the thing that helps it seem less telegraphed, though, is that it's Lex Luger. Yeah. So you're expecting him to turn. It feels like he's running his course as a babyface. And it's Lex Luger, so of course he's going to turn. Yeah, I mean, that, for people that were WCW fans, yeah, there's that. But, yeah, it just feels, Tatanka's just, he's just too confident in all of it, you know? Yeah. It's just, it, baby faces weren't supposed to be like that, Vix, you know? That's the thing. Yes. Baby faces didn't act like that. Baby faces were, supposed to, were trusting. Plus They're the ones supposed to get duped. Had he and Luger even interacted on TV since the not really. was before Survivor Series? Yeah, not really. That's another See, that's problem. Yes, yeah, another thing too. I mean, the baby faces should be too trusting of the other baby faces. Oh, I can't believe he would do this. You know, 
but I guess it I guess it worked in the end, but I don't know. It's just a different type of story that, from from them. Yeah, the angle at SummerSlam but, and the payoff is well executed. Yeah, which we've done. We talked about in the show before. So, all right. So uh, Wade said a strong point was strong episode of booking. So there you go. Uh, Raw did a 3.1 rating. All-American did a 2.0. Mania did a 1.3. So very strong rating. Yeah. The Dave Magazine is on the newsstands did an article that did a major barrel job on Hulk Hogan mentioning his age, saying how another organization where the talent is mainly past their prime, etc. Okay. That's not a smart dig at that time. You know? No, but also, like, it's Vince thinking Hogan's going to say something to send him to prison. Yeah, which he's very lucky. <laughs> what, what do you make of Vince to a degree either holding that grudge or publicly acting like there was a grudge to hold over Hogan's testimony when Hogan, if anything, helped make sure he didn't go to prison? That's the thing. I mean, it's, it's the public thing because Hogan's not there. He's working for the competition. No, but I mean, even later on, like years and years later, like, it was like, oh, he testified against me. And you was getting in that storyline. And... Well, he brought him back. I know. It just, it... It's Vince. <laughs> you know? That's one way to explain it. It's Vince. Well, yes. So, you can't explain Vince sometimes. It, he, he's Vince. Uh, Brian Lee started on the road this past weekend as The Undertaker beating Sparky Plug in a number of cities. Emily Bodies returned as Jimmy Del Rey's back from his injury. And now we have an interesting look at the international tour. Yeah, there are international tours while Vince is on trial. It's in Germany at the Grugahalle on July 12th in front of 6,000 fans sell out. Adam Bomb over Sparky Plug. Alundra Blaise in a women's title beating uh, Luna Vachat. Bam Bam Bigelow beat Mabel. Lex Luger of a crush. The Smoking Guns of the Rock and Roll Express. Very interesting match to run in Germany. With the Rock and Rolls working as heels, I believe, with facial hair. (laughs) Yes. They had their dick heel beards going. Uh, Dwayne Clown over Jeff Jarrett. And Razor Ramon over Jeff Elmer Diesel to retain the Continental title by disqualification. So that's one crew in Germany. The other crew, the Philippines. Oh, wait, I didn't even look that closely. So we have split two separate crews on international tours? Yes. Manila at the Cuneta Atrodome on July 14th in front of 10,000 fans. One, two, three, kid of her quang. Bushwhacker Luke and Coco Beware defeated Reno Riggins and Barry Horowitz. Huh? <laughs> Rip Martell over Jim Powers. You look good, Jim. Undertaker over Yokozuna by disqualification. Tatanka over the Barbarian, working as Barbarian. The Head Shrinkers, which is still fought to in some mood at this point, retain the tag titles, meaning well done. And Bret Hart retained the world title, being Owen Hart. Yeah, it's fought to in Samu while they're still champions. But yeah, Barbarian, I mean, it's here as Barbarian. Oh. Yeah. And there's a third crew, Bix. Okay, we'll so that real, real quick. quick. Though, real quick, though. So, are they doing basically the same lineup in each city from each of these crews? 
Basically, yeah. Okay. Another crew is in the United States working small shows in Plattsburgh, New York at the Creek Civic Center on July 16th for 800 fans. We have Virgil going against Nikolai Volkov. Bob Backlund against Greg the Hammer Valentine. Sardin Slaughter over Quebecer Pierre in a midgets match. How about Greg Valentine in summer 1994 WF? House shows. Sure. Wild. So looking at attendance and stuff, because we're not going to read the results over and over because they're all the same. Uh, Heel on the 13th at Ostihale uh, drew 6,000 fans. Uh, so Manila we did. Uh, no attendance listed for for Karlsruhe, Germany at Europa Halle. Uh, nothing for the other Manila show. No results for Latham, New York on the 15th. Uh, nothing, no attendance for this Germany show. Okay, and then, oh yeah, past our week, they end up, in, they run Hong Kong, they run Singapore. Quite the tour. No, no Kevin Sullivan on those Four. shows either, how about the... No Mark Lewin. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, let's see who, let's see who's on those shows. I wonder if Quang went to see the Lady of the Third Eye while he was over there. The melting pot of sin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Barbari- Barbarian's back here, but as Barbarian too. Yeah, yeah, Abudadine. Yeah, I missed it. Yeah, I just I, it took me a second to register that when you read the, the Philippines results. That yeah, this is his return, but he's not on TV until he's Sioni the Headshrinker. Mm-hmm. That's right. And also, it just shows. I mean, some of these people. I'm mean, not that these are bad talent necessarily in some cases, but holy shit, the lack of roster depth. All right, the last European tour we saw the Germany shows do mostly full house again. The Czechoslovakia show was canceled with no advance. And some other shows drew 500 to 1,000. Uh, the Philippines ran some weeks and ran small towns in the U.S. Czechoslovakia in this time period, that was an uh, interesting place to run, to run a show. Obviously, it was canceled. We got clips. The superstars the week after our week was going to feature Bret Hart against Bob Backlund. So we have a video promoting that match. So let's go to the clip. To see what you've turned into. To see how you won the King of the Ring tournament. It actually actually breaks my heart to see what's happened to you, what you've, what you've become. Can we start with Bret talking about Owen? Bret's talking about Owen, but I think Backlund's part of this. But and realize that Jim Neidhart is now the guy that has been poisoning your mind right from the very start. I can see it all real clear. And the fact that Jim Neidhart wanted me to keep the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt just so you could have it all to yourself. But that's your first mistake, Owen. Having Jim Neidhart backing you up, that's a big mistake. Jim Neidhart... Owen broke my heart, but you stabbed me in the back. And you're both wrong when you think that you're going to beat me in the SummerSlam. Because we got a 15-foot-high steel cage. Nobody can come in and interfere, Owen. It's going to be you and me. And I guess we'll find out just who is the king of hearts. I entered the WWF in 1977. A Minnesota boy with high aspirations. Through hard work and relying mostly on... Holy hostage video delivery on this, though. <laughs> yeah, so Bob is uh, giving a career rundown here. As he narrates an uh, old 
garden clips. On technical skills, I was fortunate enough to become the World Wrestling Federation champion in 1978. I held the title for almost six years, an accomplishment that I'm very proud of. Then, in 1983, I lost the WWF title. Although my manager at the time, Arnold Scullin, had my best interests at heart when he threw the towel in. Still, to this day, it bothers me because I did not submit and I did not give up. Ever since I've returned to the WWF, I've been waiting for a special moment when the time would be right for me to fulfill a dream of once again becoming the World Wrestling Federation champion. And that time is now. So with all due respect to a man that I feel is a great champion, Brett, I know you're a man of your word, and I know you will accept my challenge. And in the end, the best man will be the WWF champion. I boss Foswell. I mean, I, I think it's effective. I think Bob did really good there. Yes, he's much better in the promo than he is in the voiceover. Uh, yeah. Um, and so here's the problem with all this, though. As good as he ends up doing with the Mr. Bob character... Yeah. Pred is the only person on the roster that can get a match out of him. At this point. Basically, yes. As a babyface. Yeah. Because, like... It's, and, it's, and it's wild, who it really shows how good Brett is. I mean, it's also Brett is able to find a way to kind of cater to Bob and work a 70s-style match. But, like, you know, their their match on Superstars the following week is, I would say, easily the best match of their feud. Because Bob's not not healed yet. Well, it's a babyface match, yes. It's babyface versus babyface. So that helps out. Bob, when he goes healed, decides to, you know amp up the character and all that stuff in his matches. Yes. Also uh, interesting, and I wonder what the reason is that all of a sudden they're ramping up the Bret Hart fighting champion gimmick again. And then they just kind of get rid of it again once Vince is back. I guess that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, basically, I guess that's what it is. Just have him de- defend against other baby faces for a few weeks while Vince is on trial to fill time. They're just doing whatever, yeah. Well... Something else is going on at the time, though. The baseball strike. Yes. So you know, now it's time for WF to get their little digs in as we go to Abe Knuckleball Schwartz. sit in the stands and watch myself hit just like I can't sit at ringside and watch myself mow down the competition in the WWF. Now we should know uh, he had already been around as MVP with the same outfit and 
paint. Mm-hmm. And but it was basically just a new Steve Lombardi job guy gimmick. Yes, I mean when you watch this, you're like, "Oh, it's fucking Steve Lombardi." Why should I care? Well, Steve Lombardi disguising his voice. Yeah, but why should I care? I know who this is. I know what this is going to be. You know, I mean, just... If you're going to use Lombardi, put him on that fucking mask. I know it's face paint. Yeah, I, this whole thing was just stupid. They should just they should have just did a baseball-themed mask. But also, they had already done the new generation we-never-go-on-strike videos. I know, but they, you know, they gotta be current. The character. And then, I mean, does Abe Knuckleball Schwartz even have TV matches? Yes, I think so. Not a lot, though. No. No, he wasn't a goon. But anyway. What do you think Vince was thinking with the name Abe <sighs> Schwartz, too? I don't know. Baseball's not known for uh, all their great Jewish players. There are some, but. And not many. I don't know. It's Vince. I mean, he could have at least named him Barry Koufax or something. It's just, it's Vince. That's yeah. <laughs> all, all you can say. It's Vince. Uh, uh, St- Steve and Sonny, the, uh, the, the, the baseball donnas. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Anyway. All right. Uh, next, we go to Shawn Michaels at the Heartbreak Hotel, where Tatanka is talking his shit on Luger again. Let's go to the clip. What do you think about that, Ross? I like the looks of the old knuckleballer there. Well, he's uh, got a lot of confidence, I'll say that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Speaking of confidence, yeah, he's be quiet, be quiet. That's hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. So without further ado, although I could make fun of him all day, <laughs> my guest this week, the Native American Tatanka. Oh, I hate the sound of that. Well, i tell you what, he's got his game face on. You think you know what he's going to talk about, don't you? I know exactly what he's going to say. Just speaking of old knuckleballers, the only Indians I ever liked are from Cleveland. It's called conditioner. Get to know it and leave the blowtorch at home, okay? <laughs> now, I understand you've got some real earth-shattering news this week. Now, it can't be about the heartbreak, kid. I know that you don't want any of this. Sean, I don't have a problem with you, but I could have a problem with you. What do you mean by that, Ross? I think uh, Sean Michaels understands. speak about a man that was once my friend, that I thought that represented this great country, a man that says he's made in the USA. The man I'm talking about is Lex Luger. And Lex Luger is sold out. 
He's sold out to the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Now, wait a second, wait a second. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> You're telling me. Now, wait a minute now. Let me think about this. You know, I've heard these rumors going around the World Wrestling Federation. Me and Big Daddy Cool, I've heard this scuttlebutt. But I don't want you coming out here and using my Heartbreak Hotel as a vehicle to spread vicious and untrue rumors. We won't have that here at my hotel. Remember that forked tongue I told you about? Now I want you, man who speak with the uh, forked tongue, to give the Heartbreak Kid Big Daddy Cool a little proof, Jack. Shawn Michaels, I don't speak with the forked tongue. I came here on the Heartbreak Hotel to give you proof, and I'm prepared to show you the proof. Take a look at this. Hey, wait a minute. He's not going to show this out. Rumor has it that you're trying to purchase Lex Luger? Well, King, you've got it just about right. I mean, actually, I'm no longer trying to purchase Lex Luger. He's mine! <laughs> That's right. He's bought and paid for. He belongs to the Million Dollar Man. Oh, God. <laughs> what a scoop. I can't believe it right here on the King's Court. I mean, but uh, don't kid me. You have Lex Luger in your thing. I, mean, I offered him a deal he couldn't possibly refuse. This is too much. I don't believe it. You're telling me Mr. Self-Made Man has sold out for the almighty greenback to the Million Dollar Man? You, my friend, are not as dumb as you look. And again, nobody could be. But the fact of the matter... Okay. That telegraphs the term, because why would Tatanka be the one delivering a video from DiBiase and Lawler? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense unless he's in on it. Exactly. This is not being thought through very well by uh, Uncle Brucey. No, excuse me, sweet Brucey. Uncle Brucey's response. <laughs> it's just way to uh, way to telegraph, like I said. You have finally seen the light, and our break kid is thrilled. That is too much. Let me see now. That makes Nikolai Volkov, The Undertaker, <clears throat> Bam Bam Bigelow, three, and now. The self-made man, Lex Luger. Moneybags, the heartbreak kid and Big Daddy Cool take their hat off to you. Salute. <laughs> Shawn Michaels, I guess it's just great to be given a new car. I guess it's great to be given a new Rolex. Sure. But once being a friend of Lex Luger, I know there's one thing that he wants more than all these gifts. What, pray tell, might that be? And that's a championship belt. Shawn Michaels, if I was you, I would be worried. Isn't it a little funny that Big Daddy Cool has an intercontinental championship match this Monday night with Lex Luger? Hey. Yeah. The pot Wait goes. a minute. Yeah. They're, now they're thinking, you can hear their wheels turning. With the million dollar man's Lex Luger? 
the Million Dollar Man's Lex Luger. And Shawn Michaels, never underestimate the greed of the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Wait a minute, Ross. Something's cooking here. Yeah, and I, I'm still not sold that this is a done deal. I gotta hear it from Lex Luger to believe this. <laughs> Paul Bear, you. Well, okay. Okay, so that gets to something I was just going to bring up, and that I can't believe I've never seen anyone point this out before that I can remember. Here's how sloppy and disjointed the creative is at this time. Mm hmm. We have two completely separate Is Ted DiBiase telling the truth about having acquired the contract of his babyface <laughs> angles? And the air pass <laughs> never cross. And they mm -hmm. both get blown off at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. So it is very sloppy and disjointed promotion at this time. That's what I why, said. You know, that's what that's what I was saying earlier in the, the WCW section. That's where WCW is thinking. I mean, we're the new number one because we got Hulk Hogan, our creative is now stronger because he's here. We have another, we're going in a different direction. I mean, we got the momentum. This man's on trial. He may be going to prison. I mean, the, it was right for the pickings. Well, here's something we need to stress, too. Going into the trial, no one knows the prosecution has completely fucked the case up. And it's physically impossible that the FedEx shipment they've documented is Vince splitting steroids and give, with Hogan and giving, delivering them to him at the Nassau Coliseum. And that it's physically impossible based on the dates they were trying to use. No one knows that yet. No. So, for all everyone knows, and yeah, they're going to say it's really personal use with a friend, but still. For all everyone knows, Hogan's going to go on the stand, and this is what everyone thinks is going to happen, and say, yeah... Vince sent, got those steroids from Zahorian, sent half of them to me via his limo driver at the Nassau Coliseum. So, like, when you think that's what's going to happen, it seems perfectly likely that Vince is going to prison. Mm -hmm. Which is something that I think people don't take into account enough. Until the trial, based on what's out there and what people are able to surmise, it's understandable to think Vince is going to prison. It didn't look good. I mean, it did not look good for him at all. Now, as far as the conspiracy stuff, we also don't know how ba how badly, you know, McDevitt and Laura Bavetti are going to take uh, Zahorian apart on the stand, too, yeah. and make it seem yeah. like the prosecutors really did a job on him to get him to testify. But, like, it... Yeah, of course, from that side, it's going to look like that. Especially when you yeah. see just how, and not like they've been doing great TV, but just how much worse their TV is without Vince actively involved. Mm-hmm. And we can we can also surmise without Pat actively involved too. That's the thing, you know, when people talk about Vince's, how how much should Vince get credit for the booking of WWF in that in the glory days era? Look when he's not around. Yes, but also look at when Pat's <laughs> I mean, not around too. <laughs> I mean, it's hand in hand. I think it's I think hand in it, hand. I mean, I think it shows it's the two of them as a team. They're, they're a team. They're a team. Absolutely, they're a team. 
Because look at how. But uh, yeah. Look at, I mean, look at how much the quality of the TV nosedives when Pat has gone to ninety two. Yeah. Like if there's it's there are mess. months at a time where like nothing happens on TV when Pat's gone. It's, yeah. It's weird. So, but yeah, to get back to the original point though, like, why are we doing these two angles at the same time? On the exact same timeline. These two nearly identical angles with the same heel manager that are starting and ending Mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Sloppy. Just that simple. But I can't believe I've never really seen anyone Uh, talk about this before. Especially when you see them go from the one promo to the other, it's like, wait a second. Yeah. They're bouncing back and forth on TV. With the whole thing. And, and never it's just ridiculous. No. Now, one of the weirdest things that's going on in WF at this time period is, um, you know, with the way TV's taped, um, things can happen that in real life that, you know, would come across on television and it's stuff that's kind of hard to edit because of how it is. Um, and it can't just not air the stuff because, I mean, it's not involving a wrestler. That's what we're talking about here. Joy Morella had his uh, his car wreck on July 4th. His fatal car wreck, which killed him. Um, his fatal car wreck, which killed him. Um, his TVs kept going. Until the weekend that is our week of our show. So um, he's been dead. No, it's past for our week. About two weeks. No, it's past well, our I think week. The week after, maybe the last. It's, there is no tribute to Joey Morella until they come back live on August 1st. Okay. So, as it says in the newsletter, in the Observer, expect an announcement made on television on the death of Joey Morella in a week or two because matches he was refereeing were still airing as of this weekend. Oh, yeah. He. He died on the way home to New Jersey from the three days of TV. Yeah. So. And with it being Joy, and with it being Joy Morella referee, you know, there's not that urgency to take the matches off, off completely. Because who's going to know? And also, he's the lead referee, uh, so he's all over the table. Yeah, so it, it, it's definitely hard logistically to do that so you would have to basically you know do a whole another set of TV tapings yeah going in that direction but uh just a sad situation there and Gorilla obviously was never the same after that and he had already started having his health problems so I mean, he had already started yeah. having problems like five years earlier. The first heart attack, I think, was 89. Yeah, it was. So. But, yeah, and like. Just a situation. And, you know, less serious, of course. But at the same time, you know, there was the thing, you know, that started a few weeks earlier where uh, they t- WCW taped a bunch of TV and then Nick Patrick got a crew cut. Which Nick Patrick had there cut the pay-per-view. And, well, at the Clash, too. He, he showed up. No, no but we just saw him on the pay-per-view. No, but I'm saying he showed up with that hair. Well, the pay-per-view, the yeah. I know, but I'm saying on the pay-per-view, he's, he's really got short hair. Yes, that's, yes. But still, you get what I'm saying, though. So that's they had weeks saying. of TV after he showed up on the live shows with the very short hair where he has the old hair. 
still that I mean fans. It's not a big deal, right? It's 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 different from someone dying, but yeah, I can, that's I a little bit different. I think the thing is is that everyone knows it's really pre-taped, so I think they should have just said something instead of having to wait a month. It's kayfabe, you know? Yeah. But anyway, that's the end of our show this week. Next week, we go back to the year 2000 and a Patreon-requested show by Mark Cole, who's been on many times before. But there's a newer show for him, and I will tell you the reason why in just a few minutes. Um, we have a state of the Observer that we'll talk about. As Dave Meltzer talks about the changes in covering professional wrestling in the year 2000 and how will it affect the newsletter. We have a pay-per-view in the World's Federation, fully loaded, a very wrestling-heavy show, one of the more popular ones of, uh, of the era. So we'll have, uh, have that. Lots of stuff going on there. And then we'll have uh, Raw, a SmackDown, of course going on there. We have an interesting Lillian Garcia Trish Stratus story to, to talk about. Um, what What is the morale among the, um, the radicals at this time? They've been in the company now for six months, so what uh, Where? What are they thinking? What, where, how do they feel about where they're at? We got uh, news on the big show, Undertaker's thoughts on his character. We got uh, Taz being paranoid. Uh, and uh, Dave Meltzer's thoughts on the stars of developmental. So we'll have that. All right, all Japan's first Budokan show after the split. So we'll have uh, that to talk about. Plus the last show with the Noah talent that takes place in our week as well. We have a big New Japan show to talk about, and uh, Sushi Anita and his dealings coming up in there. We have news on Noah and what they're going to be looking like at the beginning. We got all kinds of indie scum shows to talk about. The Crush Gals reunite in Gaia. We'll talk about that. We have an interesting story about Stampede in the Heart House. We got some uh, interesting stuff in Mexico, which is why we're doing the show because Mark went to Tijuana for the show in Tijuana during our week, which has quite the main event. So he'll have a. Uh, rundown of that being there live which is interesting to talk about ecw and a television update <laughs> some of the stuff you have heard on uh patreon.com slash sheets uh ecw doing an angle with billy corgan at a tv taping so we'll have news on that jim Cornette and terry landell and folks you if you don't know anything about this you definitely listen to this as uh, Jim Cornette is very upset at one Terry Landell, to say the least, during our week. So we'll have that story. Yes, it's covered in detail uh, by The Observer. Yes. XPW runs a big show in Los Angeles featuring Sabugas, Terry Funk, and World Championship Wrestling. They do their tour of Australia. So we'll have uh, the news on that. We have news. We had the Thunder and Nitro during our week, and it's 2000, so you know there's going to be some wackiness. Plus, Bill Goldberg and Booker T have a match where both men uh, come out of it banged up, literally and figuratively. 
<laughs> and we'll talk about that plus uh, other WCW stuff in a wild WCW section, including uh, their uh, morale talks and just who should be credited for WCW starting to have some better wrestling on their television show. It's all that and more next week on Between the Sheets. Quite the show indeed next week, folks. All right, big thanks as always to the rock of the show. And this is Chris and so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Love.